Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic yeah. books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. Shut up. <laughs> like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. <laughs> 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 it get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, guys. Welcome back to another mega bimtastic bionosaurific episode of fan holes comics motherfucker do you read them hey what's up guys this is derek derek wc i'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight but i am not alone i actually have a special guest because on this podcast time is not absolute so i've got my good pal luke jackanetti here to talk with me about the epic 90s crossover event, Unity. Hey, Luke, how's it going, man? Hey, Derek, thank you very much for having me on. I know, I know, twist my arm, you're making me talk about Valiant Comics, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I who volunteered to do a Deathmate podcast with another another yeah, podcaster, yeah, yeah. so, um, yeah. yeah well, I... Of- I- I, I was trying to do the uh, the path of least resistance, I guess, because I've been I've been promising that I would do this on the show for years, and every time I try to do it, it usually falls apart. And I thought, well, instead of trying to introduce new new readers to this, I thought, you know, why why don't I, you know, because so, sometimes I try to do things, and I'm like solar. I think like by sheer force of will, they're just gonna happen. You know, if I keep if I keep pushing, you know, it'll happen. But um, I, I figured for this, like, I, the other thing I thought of was I was like, dude, Luke likes this. Like, why don't we just do a, you know, I'm like, I'm like now, now, now I'm like, I'm like, this is going to be the, the find your joy episode. You know, me and Luke are into dinosaurs eating people and, you know, I don't know, child abuse and all the, 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 the fun find your joy topics in, in unity, you know? Yeah, like, for sure. Um, you know, and, and it also helped that I already own them. So, you know, that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. made your life easier on that front, too, you know. That, that was cool, because I saw, I saw Luke sent me a, a nice photo of all the, 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 as they call, as the kids say these days, he sent me a photo of all the floppies, and I was like, damn, Luke still has the floppies. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I have the, the uh, old school slipcase with the, the four different volumes that you stick in the slipcase. So, yeah. And, and for some, some crazy reason, I still have those. So, you know. Hey, they're vintage, man. That's uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. I'm, I know a lot of people have probably never even heard of those, let alone seen them. I mean, I I I only say that because I you know I purged a great deal of physical comic books, you know, from my collection. So it's like that that basically this is another special thing that 
you know, survived the great purge of, you know, right. like two, 2005 to 2008 or whatever, you know, like yeah. it, it survived. So I was like, obviously I liked it. So. Yeah. Unity is a, is an odd, kind of an odd duck for me in that I got into Valiant post unity. So I only really got into comics for reals air quotes up to the microphone around the time that unity was starting. Cause unity was the summer of 1992 and I turned 12 in the summer of 92, and I had only started reading The Toxic Avenger, which was my first regular comic I collected, in which I want to say was in 91. So I was just getting into, like, mainstream superhero comics, and it wasn't until I started reading, wait for it, Wizard Magazine, that uh, I got exposed to Valiant and started picking them up, and that was post-Unity. So Unity was always this mythical, mysterious thing that everybody talked about, that at the time you had no way to get. And that was that was yeah. what was weird because I think these these trades were my first time that I was able to read the whole thing all at once. Because like yourself, I mean, I remember Wizard, you know, because I I, I kind of revisited this too because I I sort of expected like to find like articles about Unity like maybe in comic scene or Wizard or whatever because you know they did promote the hell out of Valiant when they could. But, you know, interestingly enough, when I was trying to, like, look up stuff, it's like they had nice articles on Magnus's relaunch, and they had nice articles on Solar's relaunch, and they had a good article on Exo Manowar, and that, I think, like, Exo Manowar was the the cover attraction of Wizard number seven. But, like, it, it, it seemed like after that issue, they went into not only full-on Valiant promotion, but, like, that's the month the top 10 books changed because before then it was always like you know i don't know nine x-men books and like you know spider-man or nine x-men books and ghost rider or nine x-men books and some rando thing that they were trying to say was the new hotness or whatever for for the top 10 back issues but i i remember like once that fr the the free quote-unquote unity zero came out like that became a top 10 book and became this highly sought after issue and i don't even think i ever got the the quote-unquote free unity zero so i mean i might have been reading comics a little longer than you you know in terms of when i when i started you know like i probably you know I, I read comics probably here and there when i was a little kid you know in the early 80s but right. then like i'd say like 1987 maybe 86 the tail end of 86 was like when i really you know i found them on spinner racks i kept buying you know i was a repeat customer at that point and 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 going after things with my own money and so by the time 91 92 came around i was already pretty savvy on going to comic shops and all that stuff but i didn't quite know outside of like marvel and dc for the most part like oh what's this you know wh what's valiant you know what's what's all this other you know dark horse what's all this other stuff right. and uh, like you i mean i uh, clearly wizard played a role in that right like that was something that influenced i was trying to remember the very first like i don't know if we ever had this discussion or not but like i was trying to remember the very first valiant thing i went out of my way to buy and i think I think it was that it was post unity. So, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I can't, um, you know, uh, I can't tout 
you know, or flaunt like, oh, I was there from the very beginning because I wasn't, you know, I mean, I knew of it, but I, I wasn't reading the books as they were, you know, coming off the stands. I, I think I remember, I, I don't know if I remember the free copy, but I seem to remember like there was like a promotional, you know, rack for it that was always mm -hmm. empty. Do you know what I mean? Like, like basically yes. if, 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 you know, people picked up the free copy of unity zero and then it or it was like, uh, you know, the, the dealers or the, you know, the, the shops all, you know, hoarded some of them and then it became a wall book, like, you know, the next week or something, you know what I mean? Like something like right. that, where it wasn't, it wasn't always, you know, quote unquote free or whatever. But I, I think it was like that crossover between, exo and solar post unity where it like ran through the books for like maybe two months it was like i i want to say it was like solar like the immediately following unity i think where it was like maybe 12 and 13 and i don't know there it, maybe it was like exo 12 and i i, I forget the numbers but it was like right. it, yeah. it was it was a few months after unity and like i i'm pretty sure that was the first thing that i had read and i mean i did get super into it after that i mean i picked up these these four you know this slipcase with the four trades and they they i mean the trade paperback industry wasn't in full swing but they had a pretty good selection of trades that you could get as jumping on points i think yes. for me you know the 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 thing i always liked to tout was well you know to me i had a complete run of exo man of war at the time you know it was like i think i supplemented issues one through four which were way too expensive wall books for me to get at the time but i had that trade that had one through four and the i think it came with like the exo database in the little yep. plastic bag and everything so i had that and then i think i filled in any gaps so whether it was i forget what issue it was but whether it was like exo 12 or 13 that i started with like i i was able to get you know five through whatever numbers including the unity floppies and then i think i think from there i just kept buying it and if i did ever trickle off or fall off i think whenever i got interested in exo again i would maybe go and get back issues and fill in any gaps. So I kind of remember having like, you know, all the issues of EXO. And then I think other books, I, I probably didn't follow as faithfully or religiously, but I enjoyed a lot of them. Like for a while, kind of post unity, I was picking up probably most, if not all the books, you know, and then depending on which ones I really enjoyed, you know, whether it was, you know, I don't know, Solar or Shadow Man or, you know, uh, XO, you know, like I would, I, I would continually buy those. Whereas like maybe some of the other books I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as keen on comparatively. So maybe right. I bought, you know, some number of issues, but then, then I kind of dropped off. But like, do you, do you remember the first, like, cause I know you said you came to it after unity, like what, what was the, you know, thing that wizard guided you to that finally sort of lured you over over the edge with with valiant well for me it was always a matter of money right because i was i was chasing so many trends and reading so many different books for a few months and uh, i had no comics identity yet so the the first valiant i remember buying it was it was about a, it was not quite a year after unity but it it's it was it's, it's a shadow man it's shadow man number 15 which I got, and then and right around the same time was Tarak number one. 
which is which is astounding when you think about the fact that it's almost a year after Unity that Turok number one comes out. Yeah, yeah. From a from a uh, just a marketing standpoint, but Shadow Man was the one that that really. I mean, I I liked a lot of the other characters, and I really did like Turok. I know Turok number one is a joke to a lot of people, but it's like, hey, if you actually read the comic, it's it's yeah. actually quite good, you know. Yeah, the, the but, comic uh, itself is good. Yeah. Also, what's funny is in the uh, the compass points or the whatever the back matter was called, or the new one was called compass points. I think the old one might have been compass points at that point as well. If you get Turok number one or anything else that came out that month and you read the back matter, there is a picture of my old boss standing in front of my old LCS. John Terezi was his name, and he had drawn a life-size stand-up of Magnus Robot Fighter that stood in the shop, which was Comics, Cards, and Video Stop in Brewster, New York, which was the first place I worked at that summer, uh, you know. So uh, so my old boss is there in, inside Turok number one. I probably bought it from that shop, so that was just really amusing. But yeah, and so I so I read you know on and off different. Dialogue. I said oh, I read a fair amount of Shadow Man. I remember getting I remember getting Exo Man of War Zero, which was right around that time, because I have it signed. I went to a my dad and I, my dad took me to a signing out somewhere in Connecticut. It might have been in, in in Danbury somewhere, and it I have that book signed by Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti. Ooh, cool. Back when they were just you know the, those two artist guys that the, they the weren't comers. You know, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember Secret Weapons. That was the other one I remember mm. being excited for. But it's like, oh, it's like the Avengers, except it's, you know, all these great Valiant characters that are way cooler than those Marvel guys. So, and it, you know, and it was like everything else for me. I, I read for, you know, a while and then eventually something else caught my eye and I could only afford so much and, and did all that. Valiant really started for me again when in the early 2000s, before the relaunch, when I started buying Magnus in back issue bins and I've got a pretty decent run of, of Magnus and then eventually uh, eternal warrior as well. Those, those became my key kind of books that I sought out. And then eventually I'd throw in Archer and Armstrong as well. And those were the ones that really drew me back into to Valiant. And so like these copies of unity that are sitting right here, I'll hold them up to the microphone for everyone to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I pulled these out of dollar bins. Dollar bins and 50 cent bins, which is in one sense so disheartening that, you know, you know, you got these Melvins out there paying top dollar for books you can read in three minutes. And uh, it's like, really? We're just reshuffling the deck chairs and you're, you're spending this kind of money on it. But at the same time, it meant I got them for that price. So I'm happy about that. You're you're the winner, man, because I got I got I got loser stories for you. I I, I got a couple Turok stories for you. Both both loser stories. Big L on my head. But yeah. but th this will be the first one, and we'll we'll come to the other Turok story somewhere later in this uh, coverage. But uh, story number one is I probably paid an exorbitant amount of money for Magnus Robot Fighter twelve at like a you know. 1992 WonderCon, and I was so like pleased with myself. I'm like, dude, I got the first Turok, you know. Like, and it's not even, you know. I mean, if you think about it, right? He's a gold key character. Like, I didn't have the first Turok because there was some right. Turok that was in like the Dell comics like a million years ago, Turok Son of Stone, right? But to you know, th that was one of those top ten books that Wizard you know, promoted the hell out of, you know, where they would stick like Unity or whatever Valiant book would find its way into the top 10. And at some point, like there would be like six of the 
10 books would be valiant books and one of those was magnus robot fighter number 12 because they're like right turok's got a new series coming out and you want to get like the first appearance and i bought it and at the time like whatever it was i don't i don't know if it was like 45 bucks or 85 bucks or whatever it was but it was like it was a lot of money for me right. and 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 so i bought it i had it in the little mylar sleeve and i was all proud as punch of myself and all that other stuff and I remember fast forward to me going to Loyola Marymount University and being in L.A. And it was what? I don't know, 96 or something. It was, you know, when I when I first started going there. And that's like way, way after the big bust of comics and everything like that. And I remember going into a place called I think it was called like Sound something like it was some kind of records shop right and you could go in there but right. for whatever reason they had like they had autographed photos of celebrities they had you know they had stuff other than music and right right up in the front were all these like comic books but they were all like 10 cents like like it was just somebody somebody brought them and made some deal to get like a cd and brought in like you know 20 boxes of comic books so they could get like you know one one uh you know i don't know green day cd you know what i mean like i I don't know what it was right but they did something like that and so you had all these comic books and i'm sitting there thinking to myself what i paid 85 bucks for this magnus robot fighter 12 and here it is now flash from like 90 what two to like 1996 and it's like 10 cents you know, so you're like, and you're yeah. like, boy, I'm a moron. You know, <laughs> like that's what you feel like, like whatever. But I'm glad that you got like the 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 good half of that. Like that 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 was, uh, it, you could read these kind of cool comic books for for pretty much less than cover price, right? Oh like, yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like that's 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 awesome. And yeah, then, the only and then... one I paid more than cover price for was Unity Zero because Unity Zero is free, like you said, and I I. It's got so mine is it's got black magic marker on the top, so I'm guessing this was a fifty cent book, just from how it's marked. So it's either fifty cents or a dollar, but it's like, yep, these I, and 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 it took me it took me a little while to find them, but like I said, I don't think I paid more than a buck for all of them or for any of them. So I was like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a happy camper. There's no real intrinsic value in this, but there's either nostalgic value or there's a value in pleasure. Why why do amusement parks do well? because people enjoy themselves. Collector passion is also behind the recent surge in comic book sales. The industry is riding double-digit sales growth with earnings of more than $500 million a year. Newcomers like Voyager Communications saw a chance to make big money. One year ago, Voyager started to build a stable of successful superheroes like XO Man of War and Solar. And today, those characters generate revenues in excess of $6 million. Creator James Shooter says entertaining stories are the key to future growth. We have to not consider the job done of making a comic book until the reader has read it and has gotten such a rush from it that he wishes he could tie a towel around his neck and fly around the backyard and pretend he's a superhero. So I guess my game plan with this is I, I, I have some little notes and things that, that I took on each of the issues, but I've got synopses for each of the chapters, and there are 18 chapters, so this is going to be one of those kind of Avengers Galactic Storm, you know, Captain America No More episodes. So if you guys like those episodes, awesome, because 
this is what one of those is going to turn out to be. We'll, we'll, I'll kind of go into each chapter, and then me and Luke will discuss the chapter, and then we'll keep moving on down the the time is not absolute road. Um, if 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 you're like, holy crap, I can't do another one of those episodes. Well, then I, I guess you have to check out now. But you, you've been warned, basically. But but um, you know what though? Yeah, they've already downloaded it. Yeah, yeah, they might as so- well. They- they might as Jokes well keep, on them, right? Keep because listening you get a download it, right? out of it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, you, if, 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 you, if you've been this far, you know, if you're already in the lost land and you're already got your earbuds in your ears, you know, so. But um, I did take this one, you know, I didn't find a lot of useful stuff about Unity in Wizard, but I did find one little tidbit that I think will serve as the, the uh, irredeemable shag, like 10,000 foot level of what Unity is. Yeah. And this is from uh, John Hartz, an article written by John Hartz in Wizard issue number nine, where he's talking about Jim Shooter and Bob Layton and how they describe Unity. And he says, Jim and Bob described Unity. They compare it to World War II. If you're going to do a comic series of World War II, what you would do is you would probably have one comic book about the Battle of the Bulge, one comic book about the Normandy invasion, one comic book about the battle in the Philippines, so forth and so on. And you could reach each of those individually and have a really great story. But when you read them all together, you get this encompassing view of World War II. Well, that's kind of what Unity is. Unity is going to deal with each of these characters and their experiences. They're in the middle of a war, and this war is going to have profound consequences on each individual character as to what they have to experience throughout Unity. And I felt like that kind of sums up, like, without really telling you what the story is about, it kind of sums up thematically, you know, the approach in storytelling that they took to Unity and, and kind of how, you know, how it feels to read unity because there's lots of you know overlapping moments and there's lots of non-linear storytelling when you read it chapter by chapter i mean i i would be kind of uh, not surprised i i didn't look into this but i wouldn't be surprised if like you, you know how sometimes they make like fan edits of movies where like you you watch like pulp fiction right. in like real time or something and they they organize it so that you actually watch it in the order that it happens or whatever like where you you know i don't know you watch vincent vega get messed up like after the diner scene instead of you know the diner scene being at the end or whatever and it's like he should have learned his lesson or something you know like and you watch it in linear order like i it'd be funny if somebody took all the pages and just went from like unity day zero (laughs) to like unity day you know 156 or whatever the hell it is you know unity t minus zero or something you know and 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 then you you read it in that order but you know i mean i'm sure it wouldn't make much sense but um that's that's something that I thought of when uh, yeah. when I well, was well for sure and and to me that that would if you do that it's bound to make more sense than some of the actual crossovers that we got from uh, especially Marvel Marvel was very bad about that where crossovers were making the money so they kept doing them and kept doing them and the you know it would be four months or you know three or four months that your series would go on hold to tell the story of the crossover. And the strength of Unity, to me, has always been that, let's say, you're a hypothetical reader in 1992, and you have just gotten in 
to Valiant from Reading Wizard. And, you know, the same month that Unity number zero comes out, there is a book that comes out called Archer and Armstrong number zero. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to try this. This looks like fun. And so you read Archer and Armstrong number zero and you fall in love with these two misfits and this weird kind of buddy, you know, uh, buddy relationship they've got. And then you read in Unity number zero where you see Archer and Armstrong and then you're like, well, you know, I can only really afford one book. So I'm just going to get Archer and Armstrong. So you only buy Archer and Armstrong number one and number two of Unity. Well, then guess what? You still have their entire story. Mm. There is nothing that 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 happens outside of that that you need to know if you're just reading Archer and Armstrong. Yeah. And then when you get to Archer and Armstrong number three and the story continues on, you're still a happy reader, even though you didn't buy the other 15 chapters of Unity. You're still able to understand the story, and that is true for every single one of the of the of the titles. And there was, as far as I'm aware, there's never been a, there was never a crossover before Unity that did that. That that literally did. It wasn't just you know lips paying lip service saying, oh, we're we're looking out for the readers. They really were. It's like if you were just reading whatever books you were reading, you didn't have to read the other ones. You could read them. They wanted you to buy them, of course, but you didn't have to. And it wasn't like the one I was kind of compared to is the one that 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 is like the poster child for this, which is you know Executioner's Song. And mm-hmm. Executioner's Song is not bad if you read the whole thing and you yeah, like the characters yeah. involved. But if you're just reading X Factor, yeah, that, you're that's you're super, out of luck. Man. That super what? sucks because you're yeah. you're following uh, what the uh, the Havocs team, and then X Factor is like what Wolverine, Bishop, and Cable yeah. or something like that, and you're like. Right. What the f? Like yeah. you're like, the first, wait, the, wait. that was the that was the first issue of X Factor I bought was the Executioner song crossover and no member of X Factor appears is in is in the book yeah yeah <laughs> that's a, that's actually a a perfect example of right. the antithesis of what Unity is I think yeah yeah well, you know what I think it is one I think we have great teamwork I think we have a a, a group of people Bob Layton and myself and Steve Masarski and Kevin Van Hoop and Mark Moretti. We're all professionals that have been in the industry for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and was really almost like lightning being captured in a bottle where we were all converged at, at this company all at one point, you know, and we were trying to put out comics that we like to read. You know, we've all been comic fans since we were kids. You know, we've been involved in the business. We paid our dues. And like I said, it was just a, a it was really like capturing lightning in a bottle where we all were in the right place at the right time. And we all work so well together as a team that we, you know, we, we get real excited about it. We try to put out good content. So, I mean, I've got, like I said, we, we've got about 18 synopses and discussion on each of those issues. I used the synopses from Valiant fandom.com for the basis of my synopses but i i sort of tweaked them to to as i saw fit but like luke was saying chapter one is unity zero of course the cover price was quote unquote free i don't know how many people got it for free but uh the the cover price was free and the cover date is august 1992 but the on sale date was actually april 14th 1992 according to Mike's Amazing World. The title of the story is Ends of the Earth. Writer was Jim Shooter, penciler Barry Windsor Smith, inker Bob Layton, letterer Jade Mode, and colorist Janet Jackson. Not that Janet Jackson. Not that one. Chapter one, Ends of the Earth. 
using her powers to escape the event horizon of a black hole over what used to be Muskogee, Oklahoma, Erica Pierce appears six months later over the Chicago in a different temporal dimension. In 1992, Phil Seleski, aka Solar, Man of the Atom, and Jeff McHenry, the Geomancer, are investigating the death of the Erica Pierce native to their dimension. Solar assumes that Erica committed suicide by allowing her energies to dissipate after killing her abusive husband, Bert Pierce. However, Jeff senses that there is another Erica Pierce that killed their dimension's Pierce and kidnapped her child, Albert. Solar explains that when he caused the black hole, it not only threw him back in time to prevent the disaster, but briefly created two Solars until they agreed to merge. The Erica Pierce is from that previous timeline, and Solar only knows of one place where she might be hiding a realm known as the Lost Land, a place outside time and space with a pocket continuum. Jeff is excited to see dinosaurs in the Lost Land, but the two are quickly attacked by a force of 41st century robs riding pterodactyls. After Solar destroys some robotic T-Rexes within Erica Pierce's gigantic fortress, Solar gives Jeff one of his hands so he may use its energy to return to reality and recruit help from Gilded Anipata, the Eternal Warrior. Jeff is teleported to Holden, Utah and calls Gilad's beeper on a payphone. While waiting for the Eternal Warrior's arrival, Jeff wishes he could recruit other powered individuals to help and has enlisted Exo Manowar and the Harbinger Renegades. When Gilad declines to come immediately, Solar's hand ports the Eternal Warrior straight into the payphone based on the boy's wish. Gilad wants some allies he can trust, so Archer and Armstrong are also recruited for the cause. Jeff returns to the Lost Land with his allies on day one of Unity. They join forces with Solar and his allies Magnus Robot Fighter, Rai, and the Gilad Anipata from 4001. Time operates differently within the Lost Land, and while Jeff has only been gone for a few minutes, we see that Erica's son Albert is now a young man. Erica Pierce tells Albert she is determined to correct the anomalies from Solar's black hole, which is why she killed Albert's mother. She intends to end everything from the Lost Land and bring quote-unquote unity by starting creation anew with herself as Mother God. Solar and his allies are then surrounded by attacking Robs, the robots from the 41st century, Bionosaurs, mechanically controlled dinosaurs, when Erica declares killing them will be the first step toward unity. And that is the 16-page free Unity issue number zero that is supposed to entice new readers, I guess, and, and kick yeah. off this this gigantic crossover event. Yeah, and I think it does a, a pretty good job of it. I mean, first off, it's free, which most mm -hmm. of us could afford if we could find a copy. Secondly, we got a naked woman flying from the sky on page two. Yeah, yeah. And and things things go go on from there. They get crazier from there. I, I do have to say the cover, cover is Barry Windsor Smith. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's Bob Layton inking on the cover. Yeah, yeah. Barry Windsor Smith and Bob Layton, when I think of 90s Valiant, that's who I picture. I mean, yeah, that yeah. that that cover, that is the Valiant crew from the 90s, right? I mean, Magnus right there front and center in the miniskirt and go-go boots, Exo, Solar, 
the Renegades are there. Rai is there. Archer and Armstrong. We got Shadow Man looks a little strange, but uh, you got the Eternal Warrior there in the back who hadn't even debuted yet. His his uh, his first issue is the next issue is chapter two. So no one's even quite I'm sure picking people were picking it up. They weren't sure who that was. But what a great cover and just a, a classic yeah. image for the Valiant universe. The thing that is kind of interesting about this is that uh, it leans very, very heavily on Solar's story. Yes. But it also, I think, does a pretty fair job of bringing new readers up to speed. If you hadn't been reading Solar, because there is the discussion between Jeff and Solar, we do kind of get an idea of what's going on. And, you know, we we don't really get to know the other characters other than Jeff, but, you know, there is... We are we we get a little bit with uh, Galad. We get a little bit with Archer and Armstrong, and it's like okay, well, this is just a prologue. We're going to learn more. You know? Yeah, I I think I think this does. You know, I, I I know it kind of is jumping you into the story kind of right away, but I think and and you you are kind of in the middle of something that had been set up over the course of this universe's start but i think it does a good job of name dropping everybody you know i mean it, it does that thing where if you if you're confused on you know what a character's name is they they talk to one another and call each other by name and you're never kind of like sitting there going like who are these right. people like what why are they here like you you get the idea i mean it does have that to me it, it was something i always when it, whenever i wrote my own you know, homemade comic books or whatever, you know, it, it reminds me of those, those tropes of, of crossovers, you know, and you would always get like a, you know, a super powered guy or a magic guy or somebody to, to assemble everybody, you know, and it's like solar's right. hand is, is fulfilling that role. You know, they're, it's bringing yes. everybody together in the same place, you know, the, the, the lost land having, you know, I guess bionosaurs, it's a little different, but I mean, it, it reminds me of, like the Savage Land having dinosaurs, but then it's kind of like shooters also semi-revisiting, you know, Battle World and Secret yes. Wars, you know? Like yep. there's, and I there's, actually, I had I had the same note, that the Lost Land is sort of like Battle World from Secret Wars. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 that aspect where you, you see, you, I always feel like this is the Evolve form. I mean, I, I figure I want to talk about this later, you know, like when, when we get more into the nitty-gritty of it, but there's there's a lot of aspects of, I think themes that shooter likes to explore and, and they, they are, I, I feel like realized to their ultimate potential in this. Whereas I guess I'll just kind of spoil it a little bit, but like things like, like Michael Korvac and, and the beyonder, you know, are, are, are stepping stones to, to, I think solar and Erica Pierce, I feel like, or mother God, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, it definitely does because there are there are certain themes that I guess shooter keeps coming back to, and this one this one does seem to work better than than some of the others. Absolutely, I, I also like here that it it's this kind of trendy thing now, and I say now it's in this trendy thing for the last like fifteen years in American comics that all you guys ever want to do is fight. You know, you never find any other solutions. Well, here we go in '92, and Solar wants to go talk to Erica rather than fight, and that's his mm -hmm. first thing that he says. Is that he goes, don't you do he's I mean, I'm I've done the exact quote, but he basically says, Don't you see that it's not worth fighting? We should discuss this instead. Yeah. You know? And it's like, but remember, no, no American comic book character ever did that until the two thousands. 
So it was some kind of, I guess time's not absolute here in this particular instance. That's what the, the issue is. So that, that, uh, that I liked. And I, and I be honestly, honestly, I had not really remembered that, but that is kind of Solar's thing is that he's, he's not one that's usually going out picking a fight, you know, he's usually uh, trying to figure out a solution to it other I, than that. I think what you, you mentioned, you know, being able to look out for the readers, like there, there's, there's different ways you can read this, you know, like, and I guess what I mean by that is it's, it's kind of like, it, it's weird. It's the theme of maybe the story itself, like looking at things from different perspectives, you know, a war essentially from, from different vantage points and angles and different people's motivations and all that kind of stuff. And then tracking, you know, the, you know, historical, you know, fixed points of it, but maybe looking at it from other characters' perspectives when it happens. But there's also that added bonus of, like, if you're a new reader, you can follow every event that happens in this 16-page story, and it makes sense. It's logical, and, and you understand the the plot. You understand, you know, what what is happening, but mm-hmm. I think there's also that added bonus that if you had been reading what, what I guess the kids these days are calling the pre-Unity Valiant comics, right? Like if right. you had been reading all these pre-Unity Valiant comics, there's a lot of interesting nuance to it that, you know, maybe at face value, you see, you know, the Eternal Warrior is just kind of saying like, hey, look, I, I, it's great that you assembled all these guys, but... Let me let me get some people that that I know that can help, too. And that's how Archer and Armstrong come into it. But if you look at the exchange, the reason why he does that, like his his true motivation is, you know, the Eternal Warrior was friends with Harada. And and at one point they send him after Solar. And that's how Solar and the Eternal Warrior meet Jeff for the first time. And right. then, you know, there's this big combat and everything. So you could you could understand why why Gilead is wary of renegade harbingers, right? Because th- those aren't really mm-hmm. to to him, they're they're kind of these off the grid guys that have gone against people that at, at bare minimum he considers allies, if not friends, right? And then yeah. and then and then, you know, I think later, you know, they will kind of establish that, you know, Eric Exo Manamore and him had a history because of their longevity, even though they don't really recognize that history at the time. Right. So I think that's something that, you know, it's like if, and and there's, there's a lot of this within that 16 pages, but for me, that's just one example of something where you can read something, get something out of it and, and enjoy it. But there's also a, a lot more layered, rich history to it. It, it, and you're rewarded, you know, had you been reading some of the other titles, because Valiant was one of those books, you know, or companies that, you know, the, the, the continuity was very tight-knit, and it wasn't so much like, like you said, you weren't forced to read it, but if you were, if you did happen to read Solar and see him fight the spider aliens, and then you watch, or you watch, you, you read, uh, you know, Exo Manowar's origin, and you realize, like, oh, man, like, that fight that Solar had, like, that was, that was what kind of kicked off Exo beginning his map journey, and you know, you know what I mean? Like, that, that, that all, all, all those 
actions of the different characters started having ramifications and ripples in the pond that 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 impacted the other characters and yeah. you you could you could still read the story and enjoy exo without ever realizing that but it's also you're rewarded and it's kind of cool to see that that one one character has an impact on another character even if they don't you know i don't know eat a sandwich together it's like they 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 affected another you know their 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 lives but it was something that you know maybe they didn't realize they had a direct impact on but but you having the vantage point of the audience or the reader you can you can see it all right yeah and valiant was very good about that and i remember all in in like the letters pages in wizard people complaining about marvel continuity and you know this doesn't make sense and when is this supposed to take place and when will these plot lines ever be resolved? You know, this was the Claremont era. So mm. Claremont and Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nassiza, who loved their subplots. But Valiant, at least under when when Shooter was around, and so for the first few years, we see it on the very first page of Unity Zero. There is a, a location and a date. And it's not, you know, that they're they were very clear that of when things took place, so that the idea being that you could understand the order in which things are presented and unity the actual crossover itself is very much based around that that things happen at certain times right and that the same events will be shown like you say from different perspectives at certain times but they're always the same event right and so i I always like that too because you know it's like it's very clear okay this is april 15th 1991 this is when this happened you know there's no question of well well how could how could erica pierce have done this it's like well because it happened now right yeah and what, what's cool is it's it's not one of those things where if you go back and you uh, you know you check you know you fact check it you know it's like it's fun to go back and go oh wait look at the date on this issue of, of solar you know and go oh this is this is when erica pierce fell out of the sky you know what i mean yeah. like like that that kind of thing and the, the only the only other media and i guess it applies to the comic adaptation of it as well that i remember doing that rather successfully like valiant did was the young justice tv series Mm, like they 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 have a good track record of you know they they they, i guess appropriated that valiant trope of you know date time place you know happy harbor you know june whatever you know at 4 45 p.m you know like that kind of thing and 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 if you actually go and look at the the comic they released like the the issue stories take place in between certain date and time stamps where you can go oh this happened in between that's why red tornado's there and that's why you know this is happening or whatever so like that that to me is always you know i don't know i i I dig that stuff it's fun you know it's it's fun that they had a tight-knit continuity and that that you know whether whether you were invested in some of it or all of it, it it had an impact and and had ramifications, you know, consequences for the the characters you were reading. Yeah, the the other thing I do want to mention right at the end when we see Erica as Mother God, she is wearing this very sheer outfit that she wears quite frequently in this book, in this crossover, and yeah, she's naked underneath that that outfit for all the world she reminds me of ann baxter from the ten commandments when she's wearing that one like bluish green thing that is on vhs you couldn't see through it but on dvd oh boy you can see through it and it's like yikes just yikes it's like uh 
good to know even in ancient Egypt, girls on full blast. So, uh, but uh, yeah, depending on, like I said, depending on how it's depicted, there's some pretty risque stuff. And these are not code books. Valiant wasn't a code book, you know. No, and but they, they tackled. In 92, but it's like, and, but it's like, again, I can see why there were some 12, 13, 14 year old boys that were very, you know, were okay with, with Erica Pierce and her plan, as long as she kept wearing the, the sheer outfit. Right. And they, they certainly tackled some, some heady and heavy subjects in, in, especially in unity. But like that, that's something that's interesting that I, I, I was trying to wrap my head around it. And, and I, I think I thought about it more because it, it, it's actually been a long time since I've read a lot of the pre-Unity Valiant comics, so I actually went back and read some stuff, too, in preparation for this, like some of the earlier stuff. And what it reminded me of is, like, they, they don't ever come out and say it directly, but, oh, I, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but, you know, Erica Pierce and Solar are both energy beings after the nuclear accident right so they they control yeah. energy they basically are energy and they can manipulate energy and what i find fascinating is they don't come out and and explicitly hit you over the head with a hammer about it but what what i found interesting was you know when when the backup story the alpha and omega for solar first starts phil seleski is not your typical Adonis looking superhero physique guy that just happens to be a scientist. And then, you know, then he transforms and keeps the Adonis physique. He's your average kind of schlub. I mean, he's, he's got a receding hairline. He, yeah. he, he is not like he's, he's supposed to be brilliant, but it's not like all the ladies like him or anything like that, even though he's got the hots for Gale and that kind of thing. And, and when you see even after the accident, once he starts, you know, recovering, I guess you'd call it, or able to manipulate his energy so he looks normal again, even then, at first, it's like, you know, he's still kind of got that, you know, you know, as the kids say, he's still got that dad bod, right? right. Like, he's not he's not a superhero Adonis, but as as the the ongoing series continues, and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of referring to all the Barry Windsor Smith inserts, but as the ongoing series continues, at some point he merges with his older self, and by the time he's his, I guess, new self, he, he does have that Dr. Solar Adonis body, and by the time, you know, it's, it's almost incalculable. It's not like there's a big moment where you're like, ta-da, I'm an Adonis and I don't have a receding hairline and I'm actually kind of hip and cool looking except for my white Magneto hair. You know right. what I mean? And, and, and they don't specifically, it's not like it's like on the cover, like Secret Wars 8, where it's like, Solar's got a new, like, not dad bod body or any, you know, they don't come out and announce it, but over slowly over the course, right, if you are, you know, as he kind of, it's weird. He goes back and forth. Like sometimes he'll say, well, I'm not a God. And other times he's like, fuck it. I'm a God, right. you know? And, and, and when you think about it, like if you had the powers of God, right? Like I, I, I'm pretty, I think I'm, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. I am happy with my physical appearance and who I am, or I don't have any mental hangups about my physical appearance and who I am. But you know, if I'm a little bit overweight or 
you know, I've got a blemish or whatever. Like you, you, you try to correct certain things, right? Like you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh man, my skin's peeling. Let me put on some, uh, you know, dry skin cream to, to clear that up. Or I've got a blemish or whatever it is. Right. And you, you try to make yourself look the best you can. And if you had the powers of solar, you take that to the nth degree and his receding hairline goes away. And, yeah. and he, he has the body of an Adonis now and, and Gail, responds to that right like so there's there's that aspect and and the one thing i thought was interesting is and i i I don't think i ever thought about it until i was like contextualizing all this like in one sitting but i I, what you mentioned about erica you know when erica first shows up she's not exactly glamorous movie star like she's kind of she's kind of a bit homely she she she's a scientist but she kind of you know she's not like the first person you'd think of for somebody who's supposed to be like super beautiful. There's, there's even a point where she, she offers to make love with Phil because he's being kept in captivity essentially, or I guess he's being uh, quarantined, you know, uh, after the accident, you know, and, and even then Phil's kind of like, no, no, that's not, you know, and he, I guess he doesn't mean to, dismiss her but but he also turns her down i mean there's no question about that and and some of that is because you know he's like he's you know gail's the one who he's into and gail's the one who's who's the more glamorous of the two but as as you continue reading this storyline and you see she murders her old self you know, or kills her old self. I guess there's no court to try her. I always get mad at myself when I fall into that trap of saying it, but she kills her old self, you know, then it's because she hates that version of herself. And, and, and to me, I was thinking, Oh, well, she must've been doing the same things that, that, that solar, you know, that Phil Seleski was doing, right? Like she, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's not the same thing. Right. But she too had dad bod, right? Like she too was not, not a perfect specimen but if you if you look at her like you said with kind of the ann baker you know uh gossamer dress or gossamer outfit or whatever you want to call it right this kind of see-through you know nighty looking thing right and 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 you see her and and you you see like she's got the eyeshadow and the whole thing right there's something about her that you know is dangerous but alluring right and and I think that's something where probably I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, because that's why I think it's open for discussion. But to me, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, she's she's doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. Like she's she's slowly making herself more and more attractive, like even though even though she hates her old self. Right. Like she's trying to make her you know, she's trying to give herself a makeover with these, you know, essentially, you know, beyond her Corvac level powers. Right. And 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 even though she she repeatedly makes hurtful comments to herself about herself or, right. or, you know, kind of kind of says, oh, I don't believe men. They always lie and tell me I'm beautiful when clearly I'm not. But like th- there's certain aspects where you're kind of like, hey, you know, Mother God, like, you know, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about because you, you, you look just fine to me. You know, like, right. that kind of, you know, that, that kind of thing. But I, I was just curious what, what you thought about that. Oh. If you had the same interpretation or you yeah. thought about it differently. Yeah, for sure. Because Erica Pierce, plain old Erica Pierce is, I mean, she's a victim. She's the stereotypical abused woman who's kind of mousy and uh, unassuming and accepted and, you know, believes that in some capacity believes it's her fault. And the the new Erica, 
the second Erica that's created by Solar when he creates a black hole and screws up time, you know, she is liberated and vindicated and she has the power now to do something about it. And it's always, it's always very interesting that the first person that we that she takes it out on is herself mm. because she's disgusted with herself that she, that the mother God for love for, you know, the, the second Erica looks at the first Erica and says, no, I, that can't be me. I was never that weak. I was never that much of a victim. That that's that's the thing that drives the entire the the entire story of Unity is her refusal to want to be a victim again. But at the same time, she victimizes others constantly. You know, it's yeah, a cycle yeah. of abuse, right? Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. hurt. What what is it? Hurt people, hurt people. Right, and that's Erica Pierce. And yeah, so she I absolutely agree with you. She she has made herself into you know this this glorious mother god. The fact that she calls herself Mother God, I think, is right, uh, you right. know just beyond egotistical. Yeah. And and she's you know, the thing is, is that she's she's manipulative. She's not manipulative in the traditional sense, but she is because she she's getting what she wants out of people, and she's a true believer. And so all of her followers are true believers, you know, except for Albert, which another a whole other can of worms to unpack. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, not and not just his fashion sense, which is suspect. You know. <laughs> One last thing I do yeah, want to yeah. mention, the presence of Bionosaurs. This really made me think of the 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 line that never really kicked off at Mattel, which was Powers of Grayskull, which had mm. all the cybernetic dinosaurs yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I still have the Triceratops. That also survived the Great Purge. Oh, yeah, I, I, never, I never had any of those. I, I, yeah. was it, they, we had Tyrannosaurus Rex and uh, Turbodactyl and Bionotops, I think, were yeah, the three Bion that got Bionotops was the yeah. one that, because that, I, I always liked the triceratops so i i did manage to ask for a bionotops and got that i don't think i have any of the parts to it but skeletor i think is currently writing bionotops for whatever reason because he, he survived faster, you the, fool yeah we have to catch he-man you have four legs can't you move faster than this everything's funnier if you read it like skeletor you know <laughs> Eternal Warrior. Were you instrumental in the formation of the company, or were you just uh, come in later as a writer? How did that work? I came in about a year after Valiant had started doing the superhero books. So, the, I actually um, had sent my my samples off to be an artist for Valiant, and I had gotten their address out of Magnus Twelve, which was the first appearance of Turok. And what happened was, I sent that in, and I called in to follow up, and I happened to reach Jim Shooter directly. And he uh, was very polite, but he was explaining how they get thousands of submissions, and wasn't likely that that uh, you know that, that you know, things were going to happen. And and besides, he wouldn't necessarily be able to find my submission in the huge pile. And I said, well, I sent it in in a black nine by twelve envelope on purpose. And he said, okay, I, it's the only one here that's a black nine by twelve. And he opened it up, and he said, oh, you're actually really good. You know, maybe we could talk and. So I ended up talking to them further about my background. My background was also in production, a lot of printing and design and graphic design. And this was in the early days of desktop publishing. And so I, I uh, ended up uh, saying, well, if you ever need anybody that has a strong Mac background, strong printing background, I'd love to work with you even in the office. And they said, hang on a second. And he put me on with Bob Layton. And to, to tell it a little quicker, uh, about a week later, I was in New York uh, doing an interview. They hired me, and two weeks after that, I was living in New York and working on Magnus 13. 
so the very next issue. What are some of the other Valiant comics you worked on? I believe you worked on Bloodshot, right? Well, I created Bloodshot. And so I wrote the first uh, almost 40 issues of Bloodshot. I created it with Don Perlin. I wrote Bloodshot. I wrote Eternal Warrior. I wrote Solar Man of the Atom. Uh, over the years, I was involved with the company. I wrote Exo Man of War, um, aspects of Magnus. Uh, uh, we did stories that moved in and out of the Unity saga. And so I wrote something called Unity the Lost Chapter. I wrote Time Walker and uh, pretty much had my hand in everything because I was also the, I started off as production manager, but because of all the other things I could do, I ended up helping to ink books and, uh, and then I ended up writing and drawing Bloodshot Zero, which was the origin. And uh, I moved from being a production manager to an editor and within a year I was the executive editor and vice president of the company. And uh, so it was a very fast ride. And, um, the uh, Bob Layton and I were uh, were essentially the you know the the editorial heads, and then uh, we we you know expanded that team over time and had more editors and assistants and so forth. Now, at the time, I mean, unfortunately, it crashed eventually. I think '94. At the time that you came in, the sales must have been pretty healthy, right, I imagine. Well, when I got there, the sales were poor. Okay. They uh, when I arrived are well poor relatively speaking. When I got there, they were ecstatic that they had sold 40,000 copies of Solar 10. The average sale was more like 20, 25,000 that we were getting. Um, but Bloodshot One did almost a million copies. Hardcore was you know six, seven hundred thousand copies. Turok One was 1.7 million. So I mean it was uh, you know we we had this meteoric rise. Um, that I, I was there for. I teased them and told them it was because I got there and they hired me and suddenly our sales picked up. But the reality was that Unity really drove a lot of sales. And we were also at a time where collectability was something that was starting to really spark in the marketplace. Wizard was new, we were new, Image was new. How would you define what made your Valiant Comics at the time different from, say, Marvel DC or even Image? We had the strongest continuity in the industry, in my opinion. The, uh, our characters interacted, our characters uh, were consistent, and so if literally if we had a character that broke an arm in, in one book, then the next time you saw him in another title that week or two weeks later, it was still broken. We were very conscious of it. Our books used time date stamps, so we would literally say things like November 17th, 1992, 5.35 p.m., and so we were very conscious that well, Bloodshot can't be at Heathrow in England and also be in New York on the same day, same time. And, uh, uh, you know, when you start small, and we did, the, uh, when I got there, there were six titles. We grew to eight, literally the week I arrived. I helped um, send Archer and Armstrong one and Eternal One to the printer uh, right off the bat. When you start small like that, you can control it and you can guide it. Jim Shooter had a very strong vision of what he was doing. Barry Windsor-Smith and Bob uh, were big parts of that. Uh, Jim left. I had already been working with Jim to... Uh, uh, to write Solar and Eternal Warrior and I had submitted scripts and things and was getting his feedback and so on. So when he left, I inherited those books. And then I created Bloodshot after that. He had already laid groundwork for it with uh, something called Rise Zero, which was our sort of roadmap for our books. Now, do you mind talking about Jim Shooter's departure from the company? Is that something you, you don't want to talk about? or? I, I, I will talk about it. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess I can start by saying, as an, he was what, the editor-in-chief, the publisher? Uh, he was editor-in-chief. Jim, okay. Jim, as I understand it, because realize, again, I came in about a year after they had started the superhero titles, but uh, Steve Mazarski and, and Jim Shooter uh, uh, 
started the company. They originally had made a bid to do, from what I understand, something called Marvel on Ice. They were actually going to go and, and do a, a big uh, Madison Square Garden kind of ice show with Marvel characters and so on. And that went away, but somewhere along the way they decided that they would make a bid to actually buy Marvel. And, you know, there's, there's rumors and legends and myths about all these things, but, but my understanding was that essentially that they bid somewhere around $63 million and Ronald Perlman, uh, Perlman who was the Revlon guy, uh, bought it for like 64 or 65. Now whether he had inside knowledge of what their bid was or not, I don't know, but, they, but he ended up buying the company. And uh, Jim and Mazarski ended up uh, separately raising private capital through a venture capital company called Triumph. Uh, and they raised $3 million to start Voyager Communications, which became Valiant Comics. And, uh, and initially they were doing things like uh, Super Mario Brothers, Nintendo. They were doing basically taking the idea, let's take what's popular in pop culture and do comic books for children based on that. And they had some level of success with it. But ultimately, the plan was always to do what Jim did best, which was, was superhero entertainment. And then eventually, he unfortunately did depart the company. And then once he left, um, is that something you want to talk about? Or, oh, I was just going to say, do you, do you know the circumstances that led to him leaving? Did he, was it willing? Uh, Jim had a number of partners in, involved in the company, and they, there were agendas on all sides. And, and unfortunately, there was conflicting stories as to, to what really happened. But... What I can speak about is the fact that when I, uh, I I came in on June 2nd of 1992, which was my anniversary, and Jim was gone, and the, his belongings were being packed up and taken out, and his assistant was leaving, and and uh, his friend who was our color, one of our lead colorists, our art director, was also leaving, and um, it was a very, it, to me it was very much a surprise, uh, and uh, we ended up. Uh, uh, I, I was determined as production manager to make sure that we didn't miss shipping books because to me I felt that would be a very weak signal to the, to the marketplace. And so I took it upon myself to, uh, uh, to work with the colorists and to actually I ended up inking quite a few backgrounds and things and we pulled a couple of all-nighters and we got the books out and we, sh and we didn't miss a beat. And uh, so that was important. And then on the heels of that is when I was hired to, to write the books. I, I actually had a conversation with Jim the night that he was let go and said, you know, what do you think? They, they want me to write, the, uh, um, you know, but, but I, I don't want you to feel that, that in any way I'm, I'm jumping in and taking advantage of, of your misfortune. And he said, you're a talented guy. I want you to have success. You were going to write if I was there. Go with God. Good luck. And that was kind of the extent of it. So. Uh, do you still keep in contact with Jim at all? No, unfortunately, the, the I think those sentiments changed over the years. So, but, uh. Yeah, we need to we need to we need to move on to chapter two. This was on sale cover date August 1992. On sale date May 19th 1992. This one was not free. The cover price was 225. <laughs> the title Footprints on the Sands of Time. This has the first in a series of covers by Frank Miller. I think I'm just going to jump to the jump to the I don't know, the the reveal, the punch, the whatever. All the covers on both runs, I guess, the the first half and the second half are done by Frank Miller and Walt Simonson and they all form a singular image. When all said and done, you can you can lay the eight 
comics, you know, side by side, and it forms a singular image of all the heroic characters in the series. And of course, this starts off with Gilad Anipata, the Eternal Warrior. The writer is Jim Shooter. Art is by John Dixon, with a few pages by Barry Windsor Smith. Inking is by Bob Layton, letterer Jade Mode, colorists Paul Audio and Nob Rowe. In Anatolia, before recorded history, Gilid Anipata was the pride of his tribe. After an unsuccessful raid against Mesopotamia, it results in the slaughter of his people. Save his younger brother, Aram, Gilid goes on to walk with a geomancer who warns him of the coming of the end of the world. Learning both he and his brother are immortal, and their actions can help guide the coming future, Gilad intends to fight cruelty and injustice in the world. 5,000 years later, in 1992, Gilad meets with Jillian Alcott at the Sheraton Inn in the Tulsa International Airport. She equips him with weaponry and a change of outfit to go on an operation on the behest of her father, Neville Alcott of British Intelligence. Gilad then receives a pager call from Jeff McHenry, the Geomancer. And when he returns his call, Jillian receives intel that enemy agents are on their way to the hotel to kill them both. As the assailants break into the hotel room, Gillid is teleported away against his wishes, but manages to toss a micro rifle to Jillian before he is whisked away. And that is kind of the short and sweet version of this. I know it's a rather lengthy story and has a lot more detail, but that's that's kind of the long and short of what happens in chapter two. Yeah. What I like about this, this this type of format would actually be very common for the what they call the VH1, the Valiant Heroes One era of Eternal Warrior, where we had some uh, uh, something part of the issue taking place in the past and part of it taking place in the present with Galad's long experience either informing or reminding him of of what he is doing in the present. The very beginning of this, where he is 11 years old and fighting the warrior from the other tribe, and he's talking to his other tribesmen saying, watch me, watch me, this right. is what we do. And and he kills the guy. He, he breaks his, he very graphically breaks his leg, and then he turns his face into hamburger. He has a gauntlet made out of a leopard's paw. And he turns the guy's face into into mush, into so much uh, grue, and and everyone is cheering him, and that that's Galad, right? I mean that, yeah. that you know it, it's it's he's he's the war, he's the warrior. He's always going to fight, but the part I love most about that flashback is it's on I think the fourth page here. Let's see one two three four, yeah. So where Galad's father is talking to him after the battle has been won and the uh, all the uh, every they're 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 taking the the, the the spoils of, of war. He says, Ho oh, Galad, how many summers are you? And Galad says, Ten and one, father. Do I get a hunter's share of the plunder this time? Can I have a girl? Huh? I love that. Cause then his dad says, uh, go ask your mother. <laughs> I, I you know, it's funny because I, I think there's this tendency to not only not only look back at things in disgust but be apologetic about them and and i think what i love about all this like you know if, if i'm finding my joy in it is that 
I don't care if somebody looks back at this and points fingers and judges it or whatever. Like, I, I find it interesting to me because the way I take this is this is the past, and you could argue that we're so much more evolved or so much more civilized or whatever compared to this ancient society. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I think we just sort of sugarcoat things a lot more and yeah. the same shit happens right now. Right. You know? And and so so to to me it's 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 very interesting that that they have, you know, those moments and, and even later when they're they're attacking Mesopotamia. It's like it's weird. You you could easily go to the point of, oh Gilad's such a nasty so and so. They're attacking, you know, some city. Like they deserve what they get. Meh, meh, meh. But if you listen to what they say before they they start the attack, I mean, Aram is kind of against it because he's like, "Look, man, I I got all these wives. I just I don't really feel like fighting. Like, can't we just like you know live off the land and like can't we just hang out?" And Gilad's like, "Look, dude, there was like fourteen of us. Now there's like you know." A hundred of us. Like, yeah. you think we're not going to all starve to death if we don't go do this, like, right now? And then it's kind of like, oh, okay, all right, Gilly. Like, we'll go fucking ransack this place or whatever, you know? And it's like, I mean, that was the option. Either they die of starvation or they die in this fucking fight. Like, yeah. either way, they were going to all fucking die, yeah. you know? So it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, to me, I'm kind of like, look, like, some of it, you just got to be you know, see, see the reality in it, you know, where yeah. it's like, you know, everyone is basically out to survive, right? That's essentially what, what being human is, right? You're trying to do your best to make your way in the world and survive. And in this case, that's what these guys are trying to do. And, you know, I, 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 I would not only be hesitant to uh, throw any judgment on them, but I also kind of appreciate you know the the honesty in which it happens because yeah once they do commit to the raid then then not only do they fail with that raid but then the army comes after them and basically slaughters it slaughters everyone except yeah. for Aram and and himself right and right. i mean yeah. to to some to some degree you know that's that's their life lesson too but i mean there's there's some really real moments in that like the moment where Aram just keeps punching the one guy's head and he's kind of like He's dead, man. Yeah. And he's like, well, I just want to make sure. And he keeps sure. fucking punching him, you know? And it's right. like, there's there's a lot of, like, this this book, I think, to me, exemplifies, I guess, what you called the VH1 Valiant era in that yeah. I'm not, I'm not super excited by the style, the artistic style of John Dixon, but the storytelling oh, of yeah. not only the art and just the story itself is so engaging. Like th this, this art doesn't have to wow me because I'm, I'm, I'm still, it, the story is so good. I'm engrossed in the journeys of these characters and who they are, you know, and, and, and where they're going and, and how they evolve. And it doesn't, I guess what I'm saying is it doesn't, it, this is a case where, not only am I appreciative of art in general and very forgiving, you know, even if I don't care for a style, right? But th th just because this style doesn't excite me or wow me, like, doesn't mean I can't appreciate like how good this story is. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a very broad, very sweeping story, and it's the introduction. I mean, we had met Aram in his modern guise as Armstrong. 
and we had met the Eternal Warrior a few months back in Solar. But this is the introduction to Gilead and Aram, and they are two cornerstones of every version of the Valiant Universe, yeah. as well they should be. And they're, the contrast between them, between these two brothers, the things they have in common, the things that are different between them, are perfectly laid out in this story. And the, the sequence where, where Aram blocks up the water to create a pool and you know the kid and you talk about the storytelling in the yard with the the kids jumping in and and then the you know the all that it's it's just wonderfully expressive and the whole all the scenes in the camp where you know we see all the uh the the women and the children and but it 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 does a great job i think of not only introducing us to both those characters but then the journey that galad has to go on right and he goes from this you know you know, essentially a, a guy that lives only for battle. You know, when I said we talk about when he's 11, he's he's killing this guy as uh, as as to show the his the fellow hunters in his tribe that they can have the leopard spirit in their gut, their willingness and their fighting spirit until we get through all the tragedy that he goes through. And then he's wandering the earth and we start to see him become a little bit more wise. And then we get to the modern day. And this being 1992, he's got kind of that 90s peaceful warrior thing, kind mm. of like he's like he's like Steven Seagal sort of thing. You know, you imagine he probably because he wears the leather coat and he probably talks in a in a hushed whisper, kind of like this, you know. So <laughs> I feel like what what was that one show, Renegade, where the guy yeah. had the long hair and all That's that Alexa, stuff? That was uh, Lorenzo Lamas, wasn't it? On, yeah, on yeah. Renegade? Yeah. You know, like that. But but that's that's kind of what you're talking about, like that era of of like strong silent type running around on a motorcycle, yeah. like having adventures, going to place to place, like that kind of thing. I'm going to take you to the bank, the blood bank, you know, that kind of thing. So you ever read an old comic and you see an ad for a Steven Seagal movie and you're like, man, I should go back and watch these. And then you're like, mm, should I, I? I, I, I feel <laughs> like uh, under siege was the, the main ad in the back of all the comics. under siege. Yeah. Under siege is the one you saw Mark. There was a uh, Mark for death. I remember seeing on the back of some Marvel comics too. I just remember that with the that was like white and red on the back, but anyway, but yeah, I I, I mean to me that this is a great first issue because it tells you everything you need to know about Galad here. Even if you take even if you change the ending of this, where let's take out the the the, the epilogue where the epilogue repeats the the information from Unity Zero, mm -hmm. it's the exact scenes from Unity Zero. If you take this out and it ends with you know with with Galad. And um, um, oh, I'm blanking on oh, her name. Here. Jillian, Jillian. Jillian in the hotel room, and I love that they're at the, the 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 Tulsa International Airport Sheridan. It's like the glamorous side. It's like you imagine there was probably a comic book show <laughs> in the ballroom in that in that Sheridan the weekend before. But anyway, if it ends with them under siege by the gunmen, it's still a great first issue. Yeah, it just yeah. also happens to tie into Unity, so it can't end that way. But I mean, just. I mean, just a fantastic issue. It literally explains everything you need to know in one 22-page comic, and you're ready to go. You're off to the races with this character now. You and I, I mean, I think I think it illustrates my point too, because he's he's got the the biker guys that are trying to you know rough him up for uh, money to use the the payphone, right? And yeah. and gets into a fight with them. And I I like I like that line he has where he says, "I took it from a barbarian." <laughs> no. Just a few minutes ago, yes, <laughs> there's still some around. Yeah. You know, like, but but I I I like that 
because I was trying to do the anyway. But no, but I mean, I, I, I like that because basically, you know, again, I think people have these illusions like that, that the world is somehow civilized. And I'm like, right. it, 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 it's it's very, very easy for that illusion of civilization to dissipate quickly right. and this is this is another example of it where he's like look man there's still barbarians man there's still there's still people doing cruel and unjust things in the world you know i've i yeah i i've i've become more wise over the millennia you know what i mean but it's like people yeah. are people right and history is history right it's it's that kind of mm-hmm. cyclical thing where it repeats itself so you know and right. and and what's cool is then you're you're following this character that you know, at the very least, he can take care of himself. So he he beats up all these guys before he sees Jillian. You know, right? Yeah, and I do like when he sees Jillian after you know we saw, like I said, the uh, Mother God wearing her Ann Baxter outfit. We do get a full full on profile of naked Galat in the shower. You know, a little something for the ladies out there type of situation. Something for the mothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can tell you, we were watch. Um, I, I not uh, as as we're recording this very recently. I recorded an episode of my brother's show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes. We talked about I was a teenage Frankenstein. Mm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that movie, uh, Derek. But uh, there's a scene where the teenage, uh, the titular teenage Frankenstein, he's wearing like a a skin tight like T-shirt, and has a barbell that he's doing like curls and pr- and presses with. And he's just doing it. And he's got these, and his arms are gigantic and his pecs are gigantic. It's like, yes, this is, this is in this scene. This is in the movie for all the dates that got dragged to this movie, basically, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, Johnny, if only you had arms like the teenage Frankenstein, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh man. But no, I, I, I thought this was fantastic. I, I mean, I've turned out eternal warrior, one of my favorite valiant characters, even from the old days and the modern stuff. The 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 series Wrath of the Eternal Warrior by uh, oh yeah by uh, uh, Rob Venditti is one of the just best like short run series I've read in a long long time just fantastic stuff and this this one really kicks this off great and I love that you know we're we're right here in Unity and but at the same time we've also learned a great deal about about Galad and we're about to know a lot about Galad going forward. And we've also got his series kicked off, ready to go now. Does a yeah, lot in its in its one in, in in you know twenty two pages. I remember when you recommended Wrath of the Eternal Warrior. I ended up getting it and then reading through it, and I ripped through it really quickly, and I thought it was great. And then I I found dollar trades of it for for our good buddy Professor Allen. So I sent yes. those off to him too. So that was a good. Uh, it was a good read, and it was also it was also uh, a cool to me. I was like score, like it was a cool find or whatever. Chase Bank is not going to lend money for a startup, and and uh, uh, venture people don't like startups either. But we finally found somebody who was willing to put up a a million and uh, one million one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Mm. That was all they would put up. So we started valuing on a shoestring. And uh, did pretty good eventually. Uh, Masarski was a lawyer. Uh, he also started dating the venture capital lady who funded us. All of a sudden, he's her partner, not my partner. They had me outvoted on the board. So Masarski decides we're not going to do 
Jim's superheroes because I had licensed the gold key characters. Yeah, the gold key characters because before that it was Nintendo and WWF licensed characters. Because Masarski was the entertainment lawyer for Nintendo and he didn't care about the comics. He didn't have any faith. So he made a deal with himself. He was on both sides of the table. Okay. And he got a nice fat fee for doing that from us. And he never had any faith that this was going to go anywhere. Yeah. You know, he was trying to get as much money out as he could. This is money. All of a sudden, I'm doing Nintendo comics. And I would have quit, except if I quit, then the people I'd hired, who were friends of mine, they couldn't get a job because I was blacklisted. If they worked for me, they are blacklisted. Yeah. So J.D. Jackson, Don Perlin, Debbie Fix, a few others, you know, they'd be out on the street, no job, and couldn't get one. So I thought, let me just make this work, make a bunch of money, and then I'll be able to raise money to buy these turkeys out. Mm-hmm. And because uh, all they want is money. So Nintendo failed, and then guess who else Masarski represented? World Wrestling. Mm. So I'm doing wrestling comics, which, you know, and we gave our best to each of those. I was trying to make some money so I could raise money to buy them out. But those were not likely to succeed. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, the bottom line is that uh, we went through our small capitalization, and now we're over our limit, which means we're technically vulnerable to them call, calling a default. And so they were, to some extent, micromanaging. But at least I got to do with my superheroes. And since they didn't know anything about comics, I got pretty much left alone. Yeah, with the gold key ones. Yeah, with the gold key and then the ones we created, I created. Uh, Harbinger, right? You created that. I created all of them. Yeah. I mean, I had more to do with, uh, I mean, I had a lot more input on, like, say, Shadow Man, because David Lapham was interested in doing that. Yeah. He, he wanted to have a lot of input. And I think J.J. Jackson also contributed there. I mean, we were creating uh, Rye. Uh, Don Perlin actually did some of the character designs and stuff. I love all your stuff from that period, actually. And in fact, I remember just recently, I started looking at Harbinger again, and I couldn't stop reading it, especially your issues. I like the way you do it, because I like how you make it kind of real, like there's a consequence to the power. I like how you you reinforce that point in different different ways. Thanks. Thank you. uh, Yeah, I poured my heart into that stuff. I mean, because in a way, it was all all of our last chance, do or die. And um, then also, like, Steve Ditko also did some stuff over at Valiant. Barry Windsor-Smith, um, you, you mentioned Don Perlin. Is Steve Ditko, was he a friend of yours? I ran into Steve sometime after I became editor-in-chief. I ran into Steve at uh, Neil Adams Studio and introduced myself. And uh, we were talking. And he, he said, no, I hate him. I said, you, anytime you want work, or anytime, you're always welcome. The door's always open. Oh, in 1980 or so? Yeah, yeah. That's when he did what? Cap- you did Captain Universe and things like that? I'm not sure what the first thing he did, but but what happened was uh, he said no. And I, every time I saw him after that, I'd say, Steve, this new sheriff in town, we pay a lot better, rights, benefits, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, ROM. He did ROM, if, yeah. If you ever need, I said, if you ever need work, if you ever need anything, I said, call me. You're a founding father. Yeah. So one day he turns up at Marvel. And the receptionist didn't know who he was. She says, this is Steve Ditko here. You want to talk to him? I said, yes, I want to talk to Steve Ditko. So I talked to him. And they were just talking about the weather. I mean, nothing major. He didn't talk. He didn't bring up work. I didn't either. So he, after a while, he said, well, I got better get going. I'll see you. So he goes. And I told the receptionist, that's Steve Ditko. And you better be nice to him. Mm. So the next time he comes up, about a week later, he comes up again. And, oh, right, come right in, Mr. Ditko. And, you know, she's real nice to him and stuff. And then she gets on the phone and she calls every editor in the place and says, Steve Ditko's in the office. And so 
I'm sitting there, we're talking about nothing. And in comes this herd of people to meet Steve Ditko. Yeah. Steve, oh man, really nice to meet you, you know? And just just showering adulation on him. And um, uh, and then they finally Steve says, well, I gotta go. And they're all asking me, is he gonna work for us? And I, I said, I, we didn't even talk about it. You know, I'm, I'm not pushing it. And uh, next time he came in, uh, treated like royalty, he comes in and he says, if you have anything interesting, I'll do it. And so I think we gave him a Captain America was his first. Oh, okay. Might have been. I don't know. And I know he did Machine Man and some something else. Machine Man, he did uh, uh, Rom. He did. Rom. Uh, I know he did some Captain Universe for sure. Yeah, I some stuff. We we kept him busy. Yeah. And then after I left there, they kind of the work kind of dried up. They stopped giving him stuff. He did like like uh, Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a couple of one shots. And then they cut him loose. He's a founding father, you fool. You don't cut him loose. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, he shows up at Valiant. He's looking for work. He needed work. And, I, and he only wanted to do heroes who are all good and villains who are all bad. He didn't like conflicted characters. Right. And so we were doing at that time wrestling books. I said, faces and heels. I said, hey, Steve, could you do wrestling books? Sure. Okay, so he did some really nice wrestling books for us. And then I talked him into doing Magnus. I said, Magnus is all good. You know, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, yeah. yeah. So, so he did work for me. After they threw me out of Valiant, then they threw him out. I see. He came, did they, you know, I was like, what's wrong with you? Because uh, he was doing some nice work. I had Ralph Reese inking him. It really looked good. And and then... Um, and you leaving Valiant, you said that Masarski and then the cash donor, the lady, the venture capitalist lady, they, were, they voted you out. Um, was there something that triggered them wanting you gone? And also, was there some deal they made with Bob Layton to then take your place? Something like that. Basically, what happened was it took me, once we started doing the superheroes, it took me, uh, let's call it nine, 10 months to turn the corner. We did okay with Magnus and Solar at first. Harbinger started out not too great and went down a little bit. They wanted to cancel it. I dug my heels in. It's just like with Daredevil. I said, this Lapham kid is good. This mm-hmm. is going to turn around. And it did. It became our bestseller. Um, and uh, uh, so anyway, by the time we get to like next February, I guess, um, we started making money. Started really solidly making money. And and then we planned the unit. I planned the Unity event. And um, th- that's really what put us over the over the top. Uh, but, but what I didn't realize is that, is that once we started making all this money, Sarsky and his now wife started shopping the company behind my back, okay? And uh, it was especially like when Unity hit and we, we got the orders, of course, you get the orders way before you ship. So we knew we were making millions of dollars a month, over $2 million a month, pre-tax profit. Yeah. So they got Allen and company to represent the, the sale. And um, because his wife's brother worked at Allen and company, everything very incestuous. And so uh, Allen and company shopped it to Paramount hmm. and Paramount made a bona fide offer for $250 million. Wow. Quarter billion dollars for a company that it took me less than a year to build. Right. And that cost 2 million. And yeah, it was you know, the startup was was just a little over a million dollars. We got we got a uh, uh, we got a uh, 
we went through that and then some besides because the wrestling and the, and the Nintendo lost money. But, right. but uh, I mean, basically, money's rolling in over the gun whales. And they got a deal with Paramount for $250 million. I'll tell you why I know this. Um, they tried to do what's called a cram down. They tried to kind of force me, threaten my friends, you know, stuff like that, a, a cram down. But the deal was terrible. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't show me the, I said, what's the deal? Show me the deal. You know, maybe I'll consider it because they needed me. I, I own too much stock for them to just go around. Me. Um, so finally, they, they showed me the deal. And they deliberately did it on a weekend where I was going to the Diamond Show. So they thought maybe I wouldn't have time to read it. You know, they, they didn't know who they were playing with. I stayed up all night and read the thing. What a terrible contract. Contract, employment contract, 10 years, two-year non-compete, specifying every job I could ever possibly do. Um, the, the contract, the employment contract, specified no title, specified no job, specified no salary, and had two provisions in it. One was I had to report to the new CEO who was going to be uh, Masarsky's wife's brother. And if I failed to report the new CEO, if I failed to obey the new CEO, they could claw back all my stock. Mm. I'm, you're going to think I'm going to sign this. And the other provision was if I failed to engender good morale, they could claw back all my stock. So I can wow. piss off the editor one day, they take all my stock. Mm. So it's either die now or die later. It's either, you know, like uh, not refuse to sign and stuff. So I refuse to sign. And they, that's when they did the plan. Well, Bob can run the bullpen. We'll get Barry as a figurehead, you know, and, uh, and, you know, we'll make it go and get rid of him and then we'll be able to sell it. Paramount pulled out after I was gone. And the guy, I knew a guy at Allen Company too. His name was Enrique Sr., number two man. And uh, uh, I, I had business with him at some point later. And he said, do you know what happened at Valiant? And I said, no. He said, I ran that sale. He said, I was the one running that deal. He said, he said, it was a quarter billion dollars. He said, Paramount pulled out because, quote, the creative guy was gone. Oh, really? So there you go. So they, it's, it's the goose and the golden egg there. Forbes uh, magazine was found this, uh, somehow found out about this, and they found it so outrageous. They actually did an article on it called How Not to Start a Company or What Do You Do When Your Partner Starts Sleeping with the Banker. Oh, really? That's funny. So now when you were then voted out, did you have some severance or money or did you, did they buy out your stocks from you? No, what happened was my contract, they got rid of me in June. My contract ran through October. So I was paid through the end of my contract. They couldn't escape that. Um, they wanted the stock back. They sued me uh, claiming um, that I owed them $50,000 because that was my personal guarantee if we ever went into default. And they spent $350,000 suing me to get 50,000. Why? Because if they could get a court to certify that the company was in default, my stock was worthless. They didn't have to, they wouldn't cost them anything. You know, they pay me worthless money to get my worthless stock. Um, that failed because they had forged documents. I had the, I had the real documents, which I took home and kept safe. And so when the real documents were presented in court, they, Judge ruled in my favor. It cost me seventy thousand dollars to defend against losing fifty thousand dollars. Oh gosh! Yeah. So so then uh, the next thing that happened is they forced arbitration because there was a clause in the contract that they could force arbitration if they fired me. 
they forced arbitration and the arbiter was a guy who had nothing, no entertainment experience, a really old man. I think he'd only done like shoe factories and stuff before. He really had no idea what he was talking about. And so uh, he, um, his decision was, well, uh, there was uh, not the offer from Paramount, but there was uh, Allen and company when they chose to represent the deal, they bought some stock. Now this is Masarsky's wife selling stock to her brother. Discount rate, let's face it, okay? And so he said, well, that's the value of the stock. And so you'll get, you know, that times however many shares you have. So it came out to less money than it cost me to pay my lawyers. Mm. I actually lost money on it. Um, and, and then, you know, then uh, they were shed of me. And my, my partner, Winston, uh, objected when Masarsky started dating uh, Melanie Oaken, the, the venture lady. Uh, my, my other partner, Winston, objected, and they fired him. They fired him. But he would still own some shares, so he would still get reports and stuff, and then he would tell me what was going on. So between him and Enrique Sr., I pretty much know everything. But that was, yeah, it was ugly. And so we started to find. And then Leighton, did he also then kind of suddenly go cold on you the way DeFalco did? Oh, yeah. I mean, he basically stabbed uh, us in the back. And, and, uh, and me and uh, J.J. Jackson and Debbie Fix all fired because anybody they thought was too close to me, they better get rid of him. And, uh, and no, he was... I didn't like him anymore. And, and, uh, and, you know, I think he seriously, you know, I mean, if you're going to stab somebody, somebody in the back, you're not going to then try to buddy up with him. I guess. What, what about Barry Windsor Smith? Did he also go cold on you during that? Sort of Barry, um, uh, both Bob and Barry, Barry had burned his bridges at both Marvel and DC Bob, because of some personal activities he did, DC, he was unwelcome at DC. They, he was banned from DC forever because of marital things. And, and as a result of that, DC just didn't want him anymore. Really? Personal issues, things he'd done that they didn't like. Um, and then when his contract, that Mar he wasn't real popular at Marvel either. And when his contract came to the end at Marvel, uh, they said, we're not renewing it and we have no work for you. So he showed up on my doorstep begging for work at the beginning of the valiant you mean yeah well it wasn't at the beginning it was for six or eight months into it six eight months into it i needed an anchor i said okay i'll hire you as an anchor but you have to work on staff mm. well okay he took that deal and so he was inking and i had don perlin who hated marvel and had to get out of there and i said don you're you're near retirement age stay there you know he's i hate this place i want to be with you okay so he comes to work with me and that was great I thought Don, being you know older adult type person, he would run the bullpen and Bob would ink, and they kind of changed places. Mm. Don spent spent most of the time at the drawing board, occasionally helping the young artists. Bob spent a lot of time running the bullpen. Yeah, managerial. And that was how I worked fine. You know, I didn't care as long as it got done. So anyway, we had them. We had Barry. We had Bob. Barry was just doing art, you know, for us. He lived in Woodstock. Uh, when they were getting rid of me, they thought they better get a big name to be the president of the company, you know, for appearances sake. So they asked Barry to be the president of the company. I didn't know that. I didn't know Barry Windsor Smith was the president of Valiant at, at that point. For a little while. For a little while. In, in 1992. Uh, uh, 
So, so the thing is, um, to get Bob and, and also the marketing guy, John Hartz, and Barry to agree to this thing, they, they paid each of them several million dollars. Oh, wow, crazy. Bob four, um, the marketing guy uh, three, and they were going to get Barry four. Barry screwed up because Bob just took it. Uh, John Hartz just took it. Barry kept negotiating. He negotiated and negotiated and negotiated past the point they didn't need him anymore. <laughs> and so, um, and the reason I know about that is because I come home from wherever I was one night and there's this long message on my answering machine. As long as you kept talking, it would keep recording from Barry about I was wrong. I should have asked you. I should have talked to you. These people are evil. They screwed me. Yes, they'll still find some reason to be mad at me. Every, you know, it, that's common. Yeah, and, but he apologized. Oh yeah, yeah, he he did, and that was that was fine. But um, you also penciled some stories under the name Paul Credic, right? Yep. I just want to confirm that. And then two, Joe Casada, he he got his start in comics at Valiant while you were there. I believe so. I think we gave him his first comics job. He was a colorist. Colorist. Drew one page for us once, mm -hmm. like a feature page kind of thing for Captain N. Oh, oh, Captain N. Yeah. Yeah. And then he got, you know, I guess he was showing samples around stuff. And he got an offer from Marvel and he said, well, I got to go. I said, well, of course you do. You know? And so he did. And, you know, he ended up doing pretty good. Chapter three is Archer and Armstrong. And the title is Up Against the Wall, Mother. <laughs> the on sale date is May 12th, 1992. This cover price is $2.50, so the prices keep going up. Writer Jim Shooter, penciler Barry Windsor Smith, inker Bob Layton, and I guess they also get plotter credit. Letterer George Roberts Jr., and colorist Maurice Fontenot. Oh, what? Font Real quick. Fontenot? Fontenot? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Fontenot? I do want to say, just real quick, on the last issue, you gave credit to Knob Row. Okay. And just for those who may not be familiar with that term, you sometimes see Knob Row credited. Knob Row was the name that Bob Layton gave to the, oh, the art, okay. like the, basically the studio, the entire okay. group of people they had available okay. as artists. And the reason why Knob Row, why he called it that, he said that he loved working with all these young artists. He said because he could take them like a knob and turn them to get what he wanted out of them, what he needed out of them. And so that's why he enjoyed working with all these young artists that were eager to please and eager to do good work because they, they were a great resource for a small company like Valiant. Mm. You know, so I that, remember they, they didn't have a ton of people that they kept on staff, but they, they did use a lot of those younger folks. Yeah, I remember there was some interview with Jim Shooter where I forget what his um... – I don't know, pen name was, but there were, there were a couple Valiant books where they just, they didn't have uh, money to pay an artist. So then uh, I think uh, Jim Shooter drew like a couple issues or whatever. But I think the, the thought was he didn't want, you know, somebody thinking, you know, they couldn't get any artists at Valiant or whatever. So I forget right. what the pen name was, but it, there was some pen name that he used mm -hmm. for certain issues when he ended up doing that. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. So like, a great story to about this artist real quick at, at Valiant. I forget what issue it is, but in the early, early days of Valiant, Steve Ditko. Jesus, why couldn't I think of that? Steve <laughs> Ditko did some work for Valiant in the early yeah. days. And... Oh, who was it? It was it was the wife of one of the other staffers 
that she was she kind of ran like ran the the editorial office right and she said and the story goes that anytime that Ditko would come in she would you know kind of turn on like the 60s style charm you know and try and you know because he was a, obviously an older gentleman and obviously a legend and the story goes that one time he came in and she goes oh can i get you a cup of coffee please uh, mr Ditko?" and he just kind of sat down and grumbled production before consumption <laughs> and then he penciled his entire page and finished the pages he goes i would please i would like that cough of cup of coffee now please. <laughs> That's fucking awesome, dude. Uh, I love Steve Ditko. Oh, <laughs> he's a madman, but man, he was an artist, wasn't he? So, uh, <laughs> so here we go, up against the wall, mother. We follow the adventures of Archer and Armstrong in the Lost Land from Unity Day One to Day Sixteen. This issue picks up from the moment Gilad recruits Archer and Armstrong, and when Erica Pierce's forces surround our protagonists. Arum smashes a rob with a flamethrower, and as himself, Archer, and his brother take cover in the forest, Archer and Arum are quickly separated from Gilad, and the duo find themselves captured by one of Mother God's lieutenants, Section Prelate Reg, who spares them from execution for the moment as he is a devotee of the Archies, not the band, but a cult from 4001 whose members studied Archer's philosophies. Aram manages to escape captivity by getting hit and covered in pterosaur droppings. Meanwhile, Archer is interrogated by Reg, who hopes to learn nuggets of wisdom from his idol before executing him. Aram uncovers the hidden pleasure palace, quote unquote, somewhere in the pits below the complex called the Speakeasy. There, Aram meets up with the disturbed man the locals call the Slug otherwise known as Prince Albert, the son of Mother God. Albert stops Archer's execution and executes Section Prelate Reg in his place. Albert hates Mother God for all her disturbing abuse and makes plans for Archer to slay Mother God using his skill as an expert marksman to fire a unique bolt through the temple of her eye. And that is the hopefully short and sweet synopsis for chapter three. Yeah, this this, is, this one's a lot of fun. And I, it, I like that it leads on from both Archer and Armstrong Zero and Unity Zero. But you don't, it, 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 it's like, you, it tells you again, it tells you what you need to know about these two guys. And you just can assume that they got themselves into some trouble. But I like that right from the start, it, it is Archer and Armstrong. It's identifiable as kind of a comedy book amongst all the seriousness, even the cover. So the cover, instead of it being like an action pose, it's got Armstrong has picked up some dude's Porsche. And to show off to these two floozies, who we, we, we can speculate on you know, who these floozies are. Well, uh, Archer is grabbing him and pointing behind him and say, hey, something bad is happening behind us. <laughs> and Armstrong doesn't seem to have any any wherewithal about that. Yeah, great mix of comedy and action, still leaning on that that comedy. It's different than pretty much everything Valiant published back then. And that's always been the theme of Archer and Armstrong. They've always had, even when they're serious, there's always a strong undercurrent of comedy, that buddy comedy, and it works so wonderful. And again, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Barry Windsor Smith and Bob Layton on the art 
I mean, that first yeah. page where we have Archer, Armstrong, and Galad, it's like, yep, that's 90s Valiant to me right there. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. with the flat cap and the pink pants and the trench coat and the, all of it, you know, I love it. The, the art in this, I mean, the, the, as opposed to, I guess, John Dixon, you know, Barry Windsor Smith, obviously, like, is exciting, right? Like, it's it's, it's beautiful art as yeah. well as, you know, just continuing the the exceptional storytelling, right? And and th- that that's something I think I, I find it interesting because because I know you describe them as a comedy duo, and it's like there's there's shades of like they're like a superhero Laurel and Hardy kind of you know mm-hmm. like there's yeah. there's that you know fat guy skinny guy you know the whole you know that that I I can see what you're saying like there's that whole comedic routine between the two characters and, and you it, know a it, little a little bit of the odd couple you know yeah. they don't they don't get along one's the messy slob guy one's the you know i guess super clean hari krishna looking guy you know what i mean like there's, right. there's there's that thing that that distinguishes them one's you know potentially pious the other one is 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 clearly not right yeah. like there, there, there there's there's all that kind of thing it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to the hookers and and lift up this car you know right. i mean dude they're Frank Miller hookers. I mean, clearly they are. I'm going to talk to the hookers and lift this car over my head. And he's kind of like uh, Mr. Armstrong, like uh, <laughs> the universe is ending behind us. Like maybe we should do something about it. You know, like that's that's perfectly exemplifies their character dynamic just on the cover, much less all the interior issues. Um, I I just have a bunch of nerd notes for this, really. I mean, I think, you know, it's like it's like. I, I, I was kind of thinking of it as the speakeasy speak, but I mean, I guess technically it's it's Magnus Robot Fighter Northam Goth speak, really, right? Like that's that's kind of where a lot of these these kind of you know future lingo things come from, right? It, yeah, it's it's another right. example of future lingo, right? Whether you're talking about you know I don't know uh, Batman Beyond or whatever, but I mean it's funny though because I kind of think of it like being heavily like you know, Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns influenced, you know, and then and then, you know, talking about Jim Shooter not letting go of themes or ideas, you know, it's like I I feel like that's something that got carried over into Defiance Warriors of Plasm a little bit, you know, like just having its own, you know, they all have their own kind of, you know, speak for stuff, you know, whether they say we're going to, you know, she's going to flash crisp this place you know they're gonna hang us up by our squeezers you know the yeah. the, the, the hookers are called bims you know bims. like the you know uh, mother god's gonna toast us all you want some kissy kiss you know you want a love pump you know you want to uh what do they call it you want to um do some you know breaky break or breaking yeah, bims I, you must, know like yeah like, must like, like fun including paw dipping and flat tail Right, right. There's all that kind of, you know, love rub, you know, like all all that kind of like speak, right? Like that, that to me, uh, you know, more so than than kind of the, you know, I guess, you know, Batman Beyond type future speak, like to me, it more reflects, you know, kind of like that whole mutant slang, you know, like that, that, that whole idea that there's this completely unique kind of vocabulary and and slang that you know they've kind of created to world build in this context and since you know the majority of people that i mean we'll find this out later but the majority of people that mother god took with her were from that north am future i mean it 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 basically kind of makes sense it almost 
it's almost like all the people she has really working for her in the rainbow tower in the upper sections of that you know city for lack of a better term you know those those are all the kind of north amish people you know that that are a little more you know eloquent and and don't you know have that goth type speak but anybody who's in the speakeasy levels like the scammers the scammers are more you know, akin to Goffs in in Magnus Robot Fighter and everything. So there's there's that aspect. This, of course, has the first hints of the whole mother child incest pedophilia yeah. kind of droppage and everything. Like this is the first time you you kind of notice that. Uh, and of course, the first time, as you you pointed out, Albert's questionable taste in attire. Uh, it's you know the the thing with Albert is that we we see him like this and then we see him when he's a little kid yeah. and you see again hurt people hurt people right so yeah erica yeah. was hurt and abused as a child and so now she is in her own way doing the exact same thing to albert except that erica became you know imbalanced and dangerous and had the abilities of a low-level god and could reshape reality albert is just some schlub and so he takes it out on people that are weaker than him. And if you if you read this and you don't want to see him get his face caved in, then I don't know what's wrong with you, because he is a he is. I mean, it's literally I haven't even have an underline. Albert is a piece of shit. And and he only becomes more of a piece of shit the longer the story goes. And I'm not going to spoil it. But what happens to Albert eventually is so carthritic that it, it it almost makes you stand up and cheer and he and it's like you know but he here where we just the, just the beginning of the fact that he abuses these these women the first of the women that are there to serve him which is again even in the 90s was was kind of gross that are fawning all over him and then he's basically you know they're, they're saying you know hey you know we'll 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 do what you want but let's not do that weird kinky shit right and his attitude is like, no, nope, we're doing it anyway. You know, it's 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 just a complete disconnect from any type of morality or ethics. And right. that well, you really I mean, start his, to hate this guy. His thing is the, you know, kinky shit or nothing. Right. Like right. that's that that's that's exactly what he says in the slang. You, you know, what's weird about this is and I, I, I feel like this is something that I I guess I'm seeing maybe for the first time just because i have more context for it now but the the panel that that very panel of that you know kinky shit or nothing like yeah. he's pill popping and right. like there are other things in barry windsor smith's this depiction of uh like solar alpha and omega that make me think of this too but it's very much that that panel very much reminds me of akira you know it's like it's like if it's it's like if Bobby Hill was dressed up like Tetsuo with a yeah. wig. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's what that's like. It's like it's like you know he he pops pills and of course he's not taking them by the mouthful. He's not you know some kind of you know low level god type character. But his 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 fashion sense is kind of questionable, like Tetsuo too, right? He's got the little cape and the little weird stupid shirt, you know, and and all that kind of stuff, you know. So right. there's there's that, and it's like. That that's something that's interesting too, because you know they they th th this is one of those examples where again, I find the honesty in it refreshing because it's a unique take on a 
character. He's he's a fully formed three dimensional character. Like you keep saying, hurt people, hurt people, right. and so you you understand his fears and motivations. Not not that that justifies any actions that he takes, but you you see you see the origins of it. And and you see what he continues to do, and and it's one of those things where it's not this kind of, I don't know, the, the, I don't know. It seems like a lot of modern stuff. You know, they're they're always trying to turn a villain into a hero and right. and that whole thing. And th- this is not that, but with without his presence in this story, it basically you don't win World War Two to use the beginning analogy, right? Like like you you know you you said he's what did you say he's a shitbag he's a scumbag it's a like piece of shit yeah. piece of shit right and 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 what I find fascinating about it is you don't win World War Two without that little scumbag piece of shit you right. know what I mean and it's like yeah. that to to me like that's something that's like so kind of you know I I think especially when you're reading something like this you know at more of a young age that's something that's like fascinating right because you're like oh. You know what I mean? Like, like in other words, it, it, it it's like that f- funny thing of like when you're when you're doing like the uh, the choose your own adventure in the Star Trek Mirror Universe. Like, do I kill them now? Do I kill them later? Because if I kill them right now, then I'm gonna be fucked later. But if I let them live for a little while, then it might work to my advantage. Do you know what I mean? And it's like right. there's the, the, there, there's that kind of weird dynamic that's going on, and it's even more sort of perverse and 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 slimy and and then the whole nine yards right but there there is that whole you know i don't know mental manipulation and chess game that goes on between all that you know it's like it's like everybody knows he's a piece of shit but they have to treat him good right because he's the son of the most powerful person they know you know what i mean like like and it's like it's like they can come down there and have their fun and keep it on the down low but the price to pay is, you know, the slug has to be treated like a king while to, to, to let that keep happening. And and the other thing I, I always found fascinating about that whole exchange was like, you know, it's like Armstrong that 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 sets up his character, too, because it's like even in the middle of a war in the lost land with Bionosaurs and, and robs from the 41st century, it's like leave it to fucking Armstrong to sniff out the joint where he can get booze right. and, and 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 you know hookers and 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 just all that kind of slummy you know stuff right it's like he's the guy that's like dude where where can i find a good time you know like yeah. in the middle of a war and he finds it right like he's he's got the he's like a bloodhound for that kind of stuff you know and it's it's trouble but to him it's like it's it part of it was like a fun time right like he's going to go have fun in the middle of this chaos or whatever right and right. he's trying to you know just i don't know uh w- w- what's the right w- what do you call it yeah he's just, he's just tri- He's debaucherous, right? Yeah, but he, he he's 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 willing to indulge at any opportunity, yes. right? Like yeah. that's that's he's indulgent, you know, and it's right. like it's like leave it to him to find that that space to to do that in. Whereas like it's not like it's you know, there's certain characters in this probably couldn't find the speakeasy in a million years, but that's yeah, perfect that's for for Armstrong. I think my last note on this, and if you have anything else, we can talk about it. But then I, I also really like that panel where Albert just goes oops and blows away 
the the prelate because that gun kind of reminds me of the neural pacifier from the man who has everything. Yeah, like this is that huge weapon, and it totally like it makes the guy bluey juice all over. Yes, Archer and everything, and he's just kind of like, oops, you know, like <laughs> like you could just you could just hear it, you know, like where he's just like a douchebag, you know. Yeah. So, and what's funny is that for the remainder of the of the book. Uh, after that, Archer has the the guy's juices all over him, like on his face and all over his clothes. He is wearing the prelate that because he is standing behind him when when Albert shoots him. So if you look on the towards the end of that, that he has gore all over him for the remainder oh, yeah. of the story. But what I like about this is that is the format because they show up. It's Unity Day One. They immediately get separated from the group, and then they've got their own story going on. But while we have Archer and Armstrong's story, every now and again, we get a panel where Unity's still going on. Oh, yeah. Like, there's like, here's an epic battle that they're not part of. You know, here's another epic battle that, once again, they are not a part of because that's not Archer and Armstrong, right? They're going to they're gonna end up doing their own thing, most likely, in a story like this. But time marches on. So we're really getting an idea that, okay, well, so, you know, we don't, looking back on it, we know this is the case, but it's like, Okay, maybe these aren't going to be told in in linear fashion. Maybe these, you know, what what are they doing in this crossover? It's it's a little bit different than I think what people may have been expecting. Yeah, no, that's true because 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 you do have those moments, and and sometimes those moments are repeated. Like I feel like later later we'll see that one panel where Rise like putting his energy sword into like a giant Rav and it's yeah. exploding its insides, and I you know it feels like they they revisit that like oh by the way. Like you're saying, this th- this is also occurring, you know, in the first 16 days or what have you, right? There's 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 other things that are that are going on in the background, you know. So you get to see people just, you know, punching the crap out of things or or you know, continuing the fight while while they're kind of in this specific scenario and everything, which is, you know, it, it's kind of back to that whole edict. It's like, oh, you, you get to see the Battle of the Bulge, but maybe maybe these other guys, like you said, got separated from the unit, and and then, you know, you're watching, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think, what was the, the Nolan movie that just came out or whatever? Um, but, yeah, you're, you're, you're watching something, like, completely separate, you know, independent sure. of that, you know? But a good good comic, all, all, and again, Continuing the uh, the the trend of good good standalone stories as part of this larger story here. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is something I feel justified in. I mean, I I know there's some topics that are you know heady and or um you know that that you may want to uh, talk about with with some care, right? But I I feel like to me this is me finding my joy because it's it's superheroes, it's a crossover event, but it's something that I have fun reading, but some of the subject matter is not necessarily fun, but it, it treats it as seriously as it can within the context of its time and the medium. Right. Like, so to me, I, I, I guess I've been on this, this rant for a while now, but you know, you know, whether there are some humorous moments in Archer and Armstrong, it doesn't, I think, take the material you know not seriously you know like so i never i never get the vibe that they don't they you know they don't see the the magnitude of what is going on in the lost land or you know in in this crossover event so i'm always appreciative of of that kind of context i'd rather have that than have it be too silly or too 
too, you know, I don't know, just it, just something that people are reading for yucks, you know. Mm -hmm. Over at Valiant, I did Magnus, I did Ryan the Future Force, and eventually I also did Eternal Warrior. So what was the, the atmosphere like working with Valiant versus Marvel and DC? Well, uh, well, it was a very different. It was, it was, it was a very different house, okay. and they were also, you know, like sort of this upstart company, sort of as Marvel was when it was first started. It was a, it was an upstart company. There was a very sort of collegial feel there at the time, and when, uh, when they called me up and asked me if I would come in and be willing to do some work there, um, Steve Masarski, who was the uh, publisher, uh, offered me a different uh, royalty deal. Okay. Whereas, uh, and he modeled it after some of the record deals that he had. It would start with, uh, um, if I sold so many books, I'd get a penny. Um, sure. Above that point, two cents. Above that point, um, five. And, sure. And finally got to where it was like 250,000 copies. You'll get a dime for each book. And we okay. all laugh because nothing sells 250,000. Sure. And then the comic book explosion came in, and sure. uh, there was one month where Magnus sold over 900,000, and the following month, Rye came in and sold just under 900,000, and I got a big, fat royalty check for that quarter, unlike anything I've seen before or since. So we'll go on to chapter four, which is Magnus Robot Fighter, number 15. The title is The Torch is Past. The cover date, August 1992. The on-sale date, May 19th, 1992. Again, this is a cover price of $225. So if, if Luke got it for a dollar, that's like, you know, Say real quick the yeah. 225 and 250 thing. I think in the second month of stories in the back matter, they actually do address that, and that has to do with what they call either the standard format or the deluxe format. It's the it's the paper, mm. the paper stock, and whether they print on the the flat style paper or the glossy style paper is what's supposed to determine whether a book is 225 or 250. But okay. then then they do that, and then there's some times where there are deluxe books that still cost 225 because of various issues with the printer or whatever. But that that's the general reason for the very variance in the prices. Which I would like to point out, for those that may have not been buying comics in 1992, Valiant was far and away the most uh, expensive of the may of the the well-known publishers at that time. Most DC books were either $1.25 or $1.50. Most Marvel books ranged between $1.25 and $1.75 for some like some really yeah, like fancy their, books. Their, their deluxe books were like yeah. $1.75. And then most image books were $1.95. I remember that thing like, wow, okay, that's expensive. And then then Valiant, like I said, it's either $2.25 or $2.50 were their two standard price points. So just again just be, you know, just just for, you know, again, you may have listeners context, that were not yeah. reading at that at that point. Yeah, yeah, context. It's not like, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, it, it's interesting because that's, it, it's funny, this is 1992 and, and 225, 250 is not so far away from 299 holding the line, which was what, like 2013, I forget when DC yeah, was running around. that. 
that you, stupid campaign. So well, you know what the problem? Not not the problem I had with that campaign. I didn't have a problem with that campaign because they did in fact keep their books at two ninety nine longer yeah, than any yeah. other major publisher. Yeah. I have a problem with neckbeard fanboys. Oh, I thought you said you were holding nine at two ninety nine. It's like that was a decade ago, jackass. <laughs> I remember when I got into comics and they only cost 40 cents. What is the problem? Why can't, why are these books so expensive now? It's like, okay. It's like, please, just please go away. For the Lord, <laughs> sa Lord save us from aging neckbearded fanboy Melvin uh, slap nuts. You know who you are. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay, Melvin slap nuts. Uh, the <laughs> plotter for <laughs> Magnus 15 was... Jim Shooter, uh, scripter is credited as Roger Stern, and the artist was Ernie Cologne. On April 2nd, 3988, the Geomancer, Annie Kawainui, chooses Rockland Rocky Tate as her successor. She gives him a special axe and points out the San Gabriel Haven in the Californian archipelago, where the locals worship a woman named Erica Pierce. Thanks to the knowledge passed down by a geomancer of the late 20th century, Jeff McHenry, they know they have until 4001 to prepare to stop the plans of the quote-unquote sun demon Pierce. Eventually, Anna passes, but Rocky's primary objective is to locate Gilad Anipata, the eternal warrior, who had been missing for the last 300 years. After many walkabouts, Rocky finally locates the whereabouts of Gilad on August 4th, 4001. Gilad had been psychoprobed into believing his identity was that of Gilly Pactor, a fish handler. When Rocky returns the special axe to Gilad, this breaks his conditioning and his true memories resurface. By this point, the San Gabriel Haven has been transported to the Lost Land by Erica Pierce, and the Geomancer and Eternal Warrior of 4001 find Toru Nakadai, the 42nd Rai, and his son, Takashi Nakadai, recent exiles from the orbital nation of Japan. Meanwhile, Magnus travels to San Gabriel to investigate San Gabriel Haven's disappearance and discovers that the Think Rob, Talpa, has escaped from his prison at the center of the Earth. Having taken a group of humans hostage, Magnus engages Talpa in battle, but cannot penetrate his unbreakable new metal. Talpa stands overhead, ready to deliver a killing blow to Magnus Robot Fighter. Ernie Cologne's art in this one is kind of the, the headline to me. It's very different from the other the other books in this in this series, in the Unity books. You know, it, it just has a totally different look to it. It doesn't look like it's inked. It looks like it's just colored right over the pencils, you know? I think if I if I understand correctly, he was trying something different. And I think it's like mostly painted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was almost like, almost like, like a watercolor so, type. Yeah, one. yeah. I don't I, I mean, I think you're you're on the money with like that. It looks like it's just colored because, I mean, most times when they used to color comics back then, they were, you know, they they were painting over you know the color guides right and in, in this case I think he might have just been painting up front right like like as part of the whole process or whatever so yeah um I mean it, it it's weird because this this is probably the most 
dense of the chapters I think we've received because it it ba ba basically what it's trying to do I think is you take that moment where all the heroes gather and you know Jeff comes back with Solar's hand and Gilad of 1992 and goes hey Solar I brought help and Solar's like guess what some help joined me too you know from right. 4001 and this basically is like giving you like the blow by blow nitty gritty details and also kind of I, I, you know it, it's it's trying to establish the reasoning of why there even had to be two Ericas I think in some cases because you know you might think like if you were reading the ongoing solar like that they were building that Erica I guess what you were calling like the first Erica but the Erica right. you know post black hole in this new universe that solar has made right like like that erica you'd think she's getting grumpier and grumpier you know as as that series the the present day series continues right it's like she's she's got this weird energy heat dissipation going and she's pissed off at solar about that and then eventually it's like she's pregnant with the little you know baby thing that goes crazy or whatever and solar kind of has to let that baby dissipate or whatever so she's pissed off about that you know and she's she's pissed off about her husband slapping her around and and all this other stuff so you, you you'd think like i mean if you if you were following like a you know i guess a paint by the numbers thing you'd think at some point you know she's going to become some big bad that solar has to like slap around for an issue and then that'd be done. But they were leading to this whole unity thing. And it's like that version of Erica, that that's the one we we're talking about gets quickly killed, you know, and yeah. it's like mother God sees that and goes, Oh man, you poor, pathetic, ugly thing. Like I hate myself, but I hate you even more than I hate myself. And my entire plan is to wipe away time. So I don't hate myself and the first step in doing that is wiping you away. Do you know right. what I mean? And that's why she she basically executes her and then starts going on about her plan. But when she does that, it's like they, they kind of set up. Then she, you know, is hiding through time and jumps to, you know, I don't know what it what was it like thirty nine ninety eight or whatever thirty nine ninety seven. So it's like she's yeah she's she's there and and it gives you the the understanding of like she's been working on this for a really long time do you know what i mean she's been using right. it's it's interesting too because you say that like albert's not he's a schlub but i mean to a certain degree part of the abuse that albert faces or endures or has thrust upon him like whatever phrase you want to use right like part of it is it, it, the reason why like it works better than like maybe Alan Moore's Twilight of the Gods is it's it's similar to what was in that pitch for Billy Batson right like like Billy Batson doesn't want to be a little kid his entire life and then they have that weird twist where you find out the I don't know the the midget or whoever was hung up and asphyxiated in a room full of hookers or whatever was Captain Marvel or whatever it was like Billy turned into this like twisted little trollish guy who wanted to i don't know get pleasure or some such and you know what whatever this this you know alan moore pitch was right and i mean to some degree that's part of the abuse that he faced because she used her you know what i keep calling the beyonder michael korvac powers like not only to preserve herself and and possibly as we discussed you know sub 
subliminal uh, subconsciously increase her beauty and, and all that other stuff. Right. But she's, she's been alive for a long time. And not only has Albert been alive for a long time, I think they say he's like a hundred years old or something like that, yeah, but, yeah. but she kept him perpetually as like what an eight year old boy for, I don't know what, like, you know, 90 of those years or whatever, but like chronologically right, yeah. he was like, you know, almost a hundred, you know? And it's like, and then finally he convinces her like, Oh, Hey, can you let me age a little normally? And, and that kind of thing. So it's like, it's like, there, there's a lot of, probably confused feelings and twisted feelings and, and all that kind of stuff that that's caught up in this. And you see like, you know, I, I guess that, that that's the, the stuff about this. That's the most unity, right? Like where she, you know, th there's that panel where she straight up kisses him on the mouth and you're just kind of like, yeah, well, that's, that's, you, that's you, you know, weird. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, 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 I, I don't think, you know, there, there's, there's like hints of it in the speakeasy, you know, cause people are talking and it's rumors, but at that point it's still kind of talk. Right. But right. here you're physically, you know, you, you, you see it in, in, in practice. Right. And it's like one of those kind of, you know, whoa moments, like where yeah. you're like, this is, you know, like, like, you know, basically it's like, you're seeing something twisted in real time. Right. <laughs> and so that, that kind of gives you, you know, I guess perspective on the the villainy that's going on, you know, and and that that somebody is kind of, you know, not, you know, they, you know, clearly like you said, uh, you know, I guess you keep saying hurt people hurt people, but it's also yeah. like there's a, you know, they, they are both, you know, mentally ill, right? Like oh, yeah, and they for they sure. they re and they revisit that illness onto other people too, right? right. Like it, it gets passed along and everything like that. And then this this is kind of funny because I don't know how true that is what you said for Magnus, right? Because it seems like you have to go through a lot with with setting up Rocky and you have to go through a lot with setting up the 4001 Eternal Warrior and a lot with aligning that with the 42nd Rye and 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 it's kind of like in between all of that. Oh yeah, and by the way, like Magnus is still going through some shit in his own book. And and it's like what's interesting to me is this is kind of like reading Avengers Forever, like mm -hmm. when Captain America was like it was the version of Captain America that had just lost his faith in the country because, you know, I guess Nixon shot himself in the face or whatever that, you know, you know, the the the, the ap yeah. apocryphal, you know, whatever. Right. Like it's like it's like he found out that uh, a head of state was part of the, you know, secret society and, and all that stuff. Right. And so so you've got that kind of disenfranchised Captain America. And I mean, this, I, I think that was the whole point of the Magnus revival, which is, I think why a lot of guys that were, you know, I mean, I, and I don't think they're neck bearded guys or anything, but you know, there, there, there was that contingent of people that are like, Oh, you're continuing Magnus robot fighter from the gold key issues. Cool. And then they checked it out. And then, you know, the, the twist on that was, well, you know, some robots have free will. Like by the end of it, Magnus was defending robots, and you know, in, in some cases, I mean, I could see it, right? Like, you know, it's like, you know, I, I'm yeah. not, I was not invested in the Gold Key character or anything like that, so I, I can't legitimately say I was, you know, angry about it or whatever. But I mean, I, you know, I've been through enough uh, event-shattering 
stupid revamps of characters that I love that turned them into completely unrecognizable characters. So, I mean, I can understand the perspective of somebody who's like, wait, his name is Magnus Robot Fighter, not Magnus Robot Savior. You know what right. I mean? I could I could yeah. understand that. And you can make fun of that. Right. But 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 I mean, I can I can understand that where he's at a crossroads and they're they're changing the characters, you know, like Legia is not just a damsel in distress. Like now she's a, a senator and she played a big role in, you know, the the uh, the free will robots, uh, you know, independent nation. And, and, and the, you know, they, they're trying to make those kind of uh, arguably one-dimensional golden age silver ages characters have have three dimension you know and 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 evolve them and change them and that kind of thing right and so you've got magnus in the middle of that crossroads but then there there is that point where you know i guess his new girlfriend is is willow tall tree and and she kind of convinces him well you know you you were a hero at some point, like you can still go help these people. And he's kind of like, yeah, I can. Like, so, I mean, it's interesting because you you can have the character be at a, at a deciding point in his life. But then, you know, a lot of times in those crossover events, it's kind of like people lament. It's like nobody wanted, you know, I don't know, Nightwing is Batman in zero hour. They wanted, Bruce Wayne is Batman in Zero yeah. Hour. You know what I mean? So it's like you kind of at, at some point you have to have Magnus kind of be like, uh, uh, you know, the Magnus who is gotta kind of be himself a little bit. Kind of yeah, kind of yeah. kind of the competent, not not uh, be a self doubting Thomas Magnus, but right. be be the Magnus that like punches the shit out of robots. And and that's one thing that I I, I you know I don't know what you think about this, but that I find interesting is there are no free will robots in Unity. Like they had to make it very clear and simple. Like, like when Rob show up, people are fucking punching the shit out of them and they fucking explode. And that's it. Like, cause, cause they were like, they were like the, the robot foot soldiers in TMNT. They were free game. People busted the shit out of them. And that was it. There was never any moral thing where it's like, Oh wait, some of these robots have free will. We better, uh, you know, uh, do a Vulcan nerve pinch on these guys instead. Right. You know, like there, there was no, there's no bullshit like that because that was reserved for, you know, Magnus's own title, and they could deal with that in that title. But right. for the purposes of this, you know, it was yeah. just dinosaurs and yeah. you know, but yeah, and just just Paul Robs and Mill Robs. I mean, it doesn't. It also wouldn't. I mean, from a narrative standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Why would Erica have free wills? Right? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that has, wouldn't that wouldn't help, yeah. right? The only reason she has Robs at all is to be her army, right? I mean, that, and they say that at one point later on that they they lost twenty thousand robots. Like, yeah, no big deal, you know. So, right, right. You know the 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 bit with Albert where he's watching the Jungle Girl holovid here, and we see the little the robot B two bringing him the tray of snacks. I love B two. B two looks like he stepped out of a of a gold key Magnus comic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he really does. And he gets the tray knocked in his face. It's like that robot did nothing but bring you donuts and cupcakes. And uh, it, for the look on his face and kind of his his whole uh, on Albert's face and his whole like physique, he makes me think of like Martin Prince from The Simpsons. Hey, Martin, what are you doing? Excavating for Arrowhead. 
friends. Dude, it's Saturday. What kind of a freak waste is... May I join you? Care to make it a trio, Bart? You can brush and I can blow. Well, I agree. You blow. Then it's a plan. A lot of people blow, but no one blows like you. High praise indeed. When you look up blow in the dictionary... Marty's not gonna get it. Like, my geode must be acknowledged. You know, that kind of thing, but... Uh... <laughs> This this is a it's like I said it's a very odd issue it's very it's very dense like you said there's not a lot of there is some robot fighting we do get some robot fighting right at the end but this one is the it's the most it's most like just a regular issue of Magnus to the we point have. that it doesn't even like they talk about Unity but it doesn't end at Unity Day One it ends yeah, in four thousand one yeah. still because yeah. that because it has to have a a, a cliffhanger here. But yeah. I mean, it's still a good. It's still a pretty good issue of of Magnus, and it does it does carry a. You know, we say it. You know, it carries a lot of water, right? Because it's got to tell all the setup and all that, and get everybody ready to go for the four thousand one stuff. Because the four thousand one stuff, you know, Magnus and Rive were always kind of like a two hander, right? You know, they because they were the two books in that setting, and that's kind of the same way here in Unity. The two of them get kind of teamed up, and they talk to each other a lot, and they they seem to you know have a lot of scenes together, and that makes sense. But to me, so far of the first four, this one is the least interesting just because this is just like an issue of Magnus Robot Fighter. It doesn't necessarily feel like chapter four of Unity, even though I understand its place in that and it has to deal with Rocky and all that. But even Rocky's not going to play a part. You know, he, he's yeah, going to beg off, basically. It, it's it's interesting because they, they do spend a lot of time setting him up only to have him kind of, I mean, ultimately he's going to guide them to the lost land. But once he's done that, right, he's fulfilled his, his purpose, you know, like, yeah. so, so I, I, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, to me, I think my, my takeaway is since I'm not going to get a chance to talk about it too much, Leech's under boob is like right up there with Goblin Queen. Um, oh my gosh. Yes. You know, so that's, uh, there, there's, that's, there's some like double-sided tape or something. Uh, yeah. At yeah. work there. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's pretty awesome. The the whole I, I I think if you were a regular reader of Magnus, the psychoprobing has a lot more weight than it does if you're just kind of you know coming into the crossover and trying to check it out. I mean, you get the idea. Like, okay, they they brainwashed him to think he 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 took care of fish, but like that psychoprobing stuff just plays such a big role in in that reinterpretation of Magnus where they're, I mean, essentially it's like, you know, what, what they're trying to do to um, Alex and Clockwork Orange, right? Like they, they, they right. take all these violent offenders and, and make them all docile little kind of lobotomized, you know, you know, like, kind of, well, I'm, I'm a good member of society or whatever, you know, like that whole kind of thing. And, and, and so it's interesting that, you know, of course, of course they would take, Gilad and do that to him because he's actually yeah. you know a warrior you know what I mean like so so it's like I, I I don't think that's the least bit surprising that they would do that to him but I think I think that has a lot more context had you been reading you know Magnus from the the get go right I agree with that the other thing I do want to mention the cover by Frank Miller everybody's got fabulous boots because it's Frank Miller. You know, I think a, a Magnus series by Frank Miller, you were talking about some of the, mm. you know, older uh, Gold yeah. Key fans were not happy with how the Valiant Magnus would. I imagine that if Frank Miller was doing Magnus, it would be exactly what those guys wanted to read. Mm. You know, 
just just chopping robots and you know tongue kissing Leisure and just you know every every month you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like maybe he'd he'd get too much into the weeds with the the golf stuff too like uh oh the uh, lingo would be outlandish for sure lots no, of no lots question. of lots of fluji flargan whatever's you know like that these, kind of all stuff. these cloud cloppers and you know yes yes <laughs> let's jump forward a little bit because i'm a big fan of valiant comics and i so wanted to I. oh good oh, yeah, i hope so i mean i want to ask how did that come about that yourself and Jim Shooter sort of teamed up to create this new company. Is that how it worked? or? Well, it was, it was a little more complicated than that. But uh, I, I was asked to join because uh, at, at Marvel, I was always Jim's idea man. I was the guy he went to for concepts. Where they were ha people were having problems with, you know, an idea with a plot or something. They would come to me and, and, and stuff would just spring out of my head. And so, you know, when they were forming the company, when they got the venture capital together, it was him and Steve Mazarski sure. and another partner, Winston Folks. Then when they were, once they got the business side of it arranged, then it was about drawing in the creatives. So I saw it as a chance to actually own what I created. So, uh, you know, it was like, uh, that was pretty much the impetus. That's why I left Iron Man at the height of its popularity because, you know, I saw it was a chance for me to grow, not just as an artist, but as an entrepreneur. And I mean, it's, it worked out. I mean, you guys had Barry Windsor Smith. You had, uh, I mean, eventually well, John I brought Austin. Barry over. Uh, Barry, Barry was my best friend at the time. Okay, okay. And uh, he didn't trust Jim, so he would only work. If you go back and look, there's, all the Barry books were edited by me. The one condition was he'd come to work there as long as I edited his books. Okay. You know? And then how long did you stay, stick with Valiant? I don't remember. I, oh, no, I stayed till Acclaim came in and okay. took over the company. I stayed for another two years after that, but it was a very rocky road after that. And Claim was a terrible company and managed horribly. So after two years, I bought my way out of my contract and left. And what are your feelings about the current Valiant comics? Love them. Love them. Okay. I love the guys. I love Dinesh and Fred and Warren and the whole bunch over there. Uh, Robert, all of them, uh, I think they're doing a great job because they are forward thinking. Sure. They are not going back and trying to recapture the past. And besides, retailers have a, still have a bad taste in their mouth from all those things they speculated on. But they're moving forward with the original concepts that I created and, and doing something totally different with them for this generation. And they're, they're, I applaud what they're doing. I think it's great. Okay, we are on chapter five which is exo man of war issue number seven the on sale date was may 19th 1992 the cover price was 225 the title is a call to arms the writer was bob layton penciler mike leakey i think that's how you say that unless it's mike Leak. i think it's mike leak i believe mike leak okay mike leak inker tom writer letterer ken lopez colorist jorge gonzalez Eric Dacia, also known as Exo Man of War, promises his quote-unquote servant, Ken, that if he continues to guide him in the ways of the modern world, he will someday remove the arm connected to his quote-unquote good skin armor that warns him of any treachery. After ending a strike at his company by converting one of the executives' yearly salary to gold and splitting the gold among the unionized striking workforce, Jeff 
McHenry and the Harbinger Renegades teleport into his office, and the Geomancer asks Eric to join them in the upcoming conflict in the Lost Land. As there will be fighting, Eric agrees and leaves Ken to watch over his corporate empire. As in Unity issue number zero, the group is attacked by Mother God's forces almost immediately upon their arrival in the Lost Land, while Eric engages a number of Bionosaur pterodactyls, slaying many of them and their Rob Riders. Eventually, an overwhelming force team up against him, firing and hurting his sentient alien armor, Goodskin, sending him plummeting into a sub-basement prison within Mother God's Citadel. There... He discovers a group of scammers who are exchanging human slaves as food to a trio of T-Rex Bionosaurs in exchange for weaponry. Eric finds feeding slaves to the T-Rexes like cattle distasteful and kills the scammers along with the three T-Rexes. Having freed the slaves, he leads them to safety with plans to turn them into his army. However, he thinks to himself that turning that group into warriors will not be such an easy task and turns back towards the Citadel, thinking he will instead make the Scammers into his new army. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when, when, when you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail, right? Yeah. And that's Exo Manowar, isn't it? Eric is a Visigoth from, what, the 6th century? And he's a barbarian, and so he looks at things like a barbarian would look at them. I, I think this is a, a wonderful issue of Exo Manowar in that it gives a recap of the general setup without, again, without feeling like data dump. But it then is, but then leans into the strengths of the books. It, I mean, it's it's fabulously violent. I mean, yes, there's yes. dinosaurs eating people. There's there's all sorts of conflict in this. You know, I mean, Exo is cutting dinosaurs in half with his lasers. He, he rips a guy in half off panel, you know? Uh, I, I, mean, I just... well, one, I, I love Exo Manowar. Like oh, yeah. the, that, that's probably like, like I said, I had a complete set of the 66 issues and the zero issue and all that stuff. And, and so I, I, I would harbor a guess to say that that's my, my favorite Valiant character just by, you know, facts, you know, like yeah. I, by how many issues I collected and all that other stuff. But you talk about finding your joy like that he might be a hammer and and the world might be a nail but there's something that's it's honest work man carpentry yeah. like honest it's days honest, pay for honest honest days work, work for honest days pay. and 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 there's something about him that is just so fucking pure like i love what you talk about he splits the t-rex in half yeah. i love it when he's like a wounded animal becomes deadlier an enemy in its pain let it not be said that Eric isn't humane as he like right. blows him away, killing it. Right. And I'm just like, that's just dude. Exo man of war is so fucking boss. Like, I love it. I love it. And, and though, you know, of course it's, you know, I, we've probably said this on the show before, but you know, it's, it's Conan the barbarian in Iron Man's armor. I mean, that's right. That's yeah. that's the pitch, right? That's the, the the that Hollywood elevator pitch that you you give someone, and and like even the opening scene where he smashes the the rolly chair in the office, like I mean, all that stuff is just it's so outstanding. Like you know, and and you know, I think if anyone revels in being in unity, 
you know, be, being in the lost land and combating robots and bionosaurs and all this stuff. I mean, it's it's Eric, right? Like I'm like right. he yeah. he you know, and 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 there the, again, the the honest thing is like you see this and it's like they're feeding people to fucking dinosaurs, you know? And it's like that that's what you think when you see it. And then when when he sees it, he's kind of like, yeah, that's that's fucked up, you know. Like, and then then he stops it, right? And it's like, it's like that. I don't know. Like, there, there's just something about it, like you said, where it's just, it's, 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 it's simple, but, but it's so. I, I don't know if it's like cathartic, but it's like, it just, it feels right, you know. Like, like the, like the, the, the whole setup and everything that happens. Like, I mean, that, that, to me, was always my, my favorite go-to character. And uh, I, I think this is something where, like, I enjoy the art and 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 there's something about, I guess, Mike Leak, where I, I feel like to me, that's I, I mean, there have been plenty of great artists, you know, Barry Windsor Smith did the initial issue and, and, you know, later on, like Bart Sears and Andy Smith do some good runs on EXO and everything like that. But I, but I always feel like Mike Leak is the one where I look at it and I'm like, definitive exo artist or something you know what i mean like it just it's just right. that that yeah. to me feels like like exo you know and then there's something I, I i can't really quantify it but there's something about how they managed to do the armor and how they managed to do his faceplate with the coloring or or whatnot and it's just it's it's always kind of on point with me you know and i don't i don't know how much of that is you know due to uh you know, Bob Layton or, you know, like that, you know, there, there's just, there's probably a lot of combining factors with that, but reading Exo Man of War is never disappointing to me. And no. and this is, this is no exception. I mean, the, the, like you said, the setup that quickly establishes kind of the, 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 the normal dynamic in that comic is done fairly quickly in a few pages, but it's done well. And then you're immediately, you know, thrust into battle. And this is one of those things where it's like, now, now it's not just, a single panel. You know what I mean? Now you get to spend a little yeah. more time on that day in day one and see what, you know, what Eric has to do and, you know, you know, what, you know, what they have to go through and everything, you know? And it's uh, like, for me, like the, you know, it's, it's like, I, I think there's even a line about it in the book where they say they compare him to, to Conan, right? Like, yes. I, I don't know if it's his lady friend or whoever, you know, but they, they pretty much hang a lampshade on it. So they're not, they're not trying to like hide it or anything like that. But, you know, I, I guess my, my note on it is, you know, for EXO, it's like his fortitude is, is pure, you know, like he cuts through all the bullshit and he, he's got this EXO Manowar suit the suit of power to, to back yeah. up, you know, everything that he, he needs to do, you know? So it's like, and then I think they, they I don't know, they kind of go back and forth with this a little bit, but like in this issue, this, this is like the first time I, I see the Bionosaurs like speaking kind of like the lizard with the extended, you know, S's and all that kind of stuff. But it's weird right. because I think later they kind of go back on that saying like, well, they can't really communicate very much, but I guess they're only they're only saying a few words here and there. But I, I don't know no, if that's not you know, too much. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I, I kind of found that interesting because it's like they do have 
all these brain things attached to their head. You know what I mean? Like, and I think, I think that was something that was probably, it's been a while since I read it, but I'm pretty sure like some of that was carried over into Turok dinosaur hunter where, you know what I mean? Like, so, so it's like, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that that's one of those things where it's like, that's something that, that was interesting to me while, while being horrific. Right. Like, it's like, it's like, Oh, the dinosaurs can like talk to these guys and then, and then they start eating some of them. You know, I'm just kind of like, it's like, I'm, I'm surprised they're not like, like taste good <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, okay. No, it's a good, it's a, it's a good issue. And I said, it's a good issue. to a man of war. And I love that immediately upon going into, into the lost world, into unity, Eric is immediately on his own and doing his own thing. And has forgotten that there's a mission because there's a more interesting fight and, and his ambition of, you know, Oh, I'm going to build an army. You know, it's like, it's immediately his own thing. He doesn't, he, his interest in helping was obviously secondary to his interest in fighting. And this well, fight that he has now is way more interesting. And so that's what he's going to do. But there's, there's something to that. That's like, it, it's not like he's trying to be, but like, he's a realist. Like, like there's no telling if he's ever going to get home. You know what I mean? Like, there's no right. telling. Like, I mean, he's been through a bunch of this stuff enough where it's like, who knows what's going to happen next? So he's like, well, I might as well, you know, settle down, make an army, you know, get some, get some women, maybe make some kids, you know, like take over yep. some, some lands, you know, like, I mean, he's doing what he knows how to do and trying to, I guess, what, make the, make the lemonade out of the lemons, you know, exactly. like that thing, yeah. you know, so. I don't know. There, there's there's something to that. So yeah, sure, it's a good one. Favorite Vang comic book? My favorite Vang comic book is Shadow Man. Uh, it's being done by Bob Hall. It's the one book. In fact, that's funny. It's the one book that Bob Leighton and I both, neither one of us, have to edit it. So what we do is is Don Perlin edits it. And so it's the one book that Bob and I refuse to look at anything ahead of time. We don't look at any of the pages. You know, we sort of personally go over the plot with Bob, you know, so we know the general direction that it's taking. But we, we purposely don't look at the art. We purposely don't look at the coloring. We don't look at anything so that the day it's printed, it can come into the studios and we can sit down with it as, a, as like a comic fan. And we can sit down and read it and enjoy it like we enjoy comic books, you know. So it's, you know, it's, a, it's our favorite book. Chapter 6, Shadow Man, issue number 4, title Sunburn. On sale date, May 26, 1992, cover price $2.50. Writer Jim Shooter, penciler David Lapham, inker Tom Ryder, letterer George Roberts Jr., colorist Jorge Gonzalez. After Jack Boniface witnesses the local constabulary let a wife beater off with a warning, he dons his mask as Shadow Man to put some fear into the man's inner demons. The following day, Jack is taken aback to learn his housekeeper, Nettie, has revealed his evening activities as Shadow Man to one Paul Endor, her spiritual advisor and former pupil of Buck McHenry, the previous geomancer. However, Jack agrees to meet Paul, and they end up going out to the bayou to a giant cypress tree that is a mystical doorway to the Lost Land. Upon first entering the large opening, he finds nothing and tells the pair to get a scuba diver. But as the sun sets, they urge him to try once more as Shadow Man. With no fear, Shadow Man dives into the water, filling up the opening, which enables him to emerge into the Lost Land on the other side. Unfazed, Jack emerges in the daylight while being placed directly in the middle of the attack on Mother God's Citadel with Bionosaurs and a super-powered 
quote-unquote red man. Jack tries to think of what Shadow Man would do and ends up trying to save one of the quote-unquote dinosaur jockeys from being crushed by falling rubble. Not getting any answers out of the injured pilot, another female pterodactyl pilot, Elia Ann Smith, draws her pistol on Jack. However, she is distracted by Solar's approach, and Jack disarms her. Convinced that the only way to get answers is to follow the Red Man, Jack manages to convince Elia to take him to the Rainbow Tower via Pterodactyl. Jack leaps into the tower and slays one of the carnivorous bionosaurs looking to make him food. Solar displays his awesome power, annihilating Mother God's forces that block his approach. Mother God faces Solar alone, and when Jack sees the Red Man about to kill Pierce, he tackles Solar from behind and begins to pummel him with his fists, all while the white-hot heat from Solar's aura begins to shear his flesh. Although Jack has fallen to the floor a semi-charred husk, this gives Mother God the opportunity to trap Solar's energy within her field generators. She then orders her army to counterattack Solar's allies and destroy them. We jump to Unity Day 2, where Mother God commends Elia for trusting her instinct to bring the young man to the Citadel, and says that act has not only saved her life, but all of Unity. As her boon, Elia asks to visit Jack in the Med Center Massive Reconstruction Unit. And that is Shadow Man. Yeah, and first off, fantastic cover. Yeah, of, uh, Shadow Man grimacing, smashing through a skylight. You can imagine a scene like this in a Shadow Man comic. Probably dated by the time uh, I release this, or maybe right around the right time. But uh, this covers up for auction, and it's way out of my price range. <laughs> yeah, you and me too, man. So, yeah, I really like this one. Shadow Man was always one I kind of liked because he was a more... He was a grand, kind of a ground level hero, kind of a yeah. supernatural hero. Yeah. You know, Jack always seemed to get himself into trouble, and he does that here, you know. And I like that of all the characters, he kind of finds his own way there and strikes his own his own path and doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Mm-hmm. He, he's still kind of, even now, getting himself in trouble. He's not recruited. He's not, you know sought out by a geomancer in one era or another he he really has not he doesn't have the background that everybody else does going in here but you know uh he, he's gonna go in and do it i i also like this one it's got that kind of very edgy 90s opening with you know the uh the guy getting off or slapping his wife around and so uh jack puts his uh face on the on the burner of the stove and threatens to burn him if he touches his wife again which i thought was was really cool and uh, again thematically fits in with the story way too well you know yeah so and the the whole bit with him and solar it's kind of like a play on what happens in a marvel comic when two heroes meet they have to fight first right Mm. but here the fight is over before they get to the team up portion you know, so they have to have the heroes argue, misunderstanding and fighting. But then Mother God is like, well, I'll put him in a little box and that'll be the end of that. And that's what it is. So I did like that. And I, and, it, and, it, and it also does kind of address the idea, kind of like, you know, you would be a uh, shooter and uh, Leighton gave the World War II analogy. Well, there are two sides to that conflict, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, here, you know, his the uh, the dinosaur jockey, you know, she she is 
in service to Mother God, she doesn't you know, believe Mother God to be evil. She believes her cause to be just. And so Elia, you know, she's doing she's doing what she thinks is right. And Jack thinks that, you know, it's like, well, if, if she's a good person, she must be on the right side. Right. You know, yeah, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't know the context any better. Yeah. I mean, this, this is almost like the uh, all quiet on the Western Front portion of unity. Right. It's it's told from like like we were talking about, like a, a completely different vantage point. That's right. Yeah. I mean, this this is interesting in that I think it does get completely caught up in in the event right like i mean i know there's a few pages in the beginning and you're introduced to Nettie and that whole thing but i mean mostly once he goes underwater they're off to the races right and the the thing i found interesting about that which you know i don't i don't have too much uh information about you know not, nothing i could suss out through research but to me i find it interesting that like essentially it's it's written mostly by Jim Shooter, and then they talk about story is by David Lapham. But it's like the the early issues of Shadow Man and the concept of Shadow Man, which is is sort of touched upon in this, but not not entirely. I, I feel like came from Steve Englehart, right? So I, I part of me wonders if th- this this book was one of those things where, you know, you know how sometimes creators are like, I don't want to, I, you know, I don't want to participate in your stinky duty headed crossover. And may, maybe they acquiesced in this case. Cause he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really Engelhart doesn't really play a role in these shadow man issues. And then the, the thing that I also think is interesting about it is that they kind of touch on it, but not really is like the, you don't really know he's a jazz musician and then you, you kind of don't know that his fighting, I mean, you know, they, they, they sort of talk about it, you know, in some of the fights he gets in later, but you, you don't have that dynamic as explicitly spelt out where it's like, he's, you know, Englehart's big on, you know, Oh, he's free flowing. He's like jazz, you know, he improvises, you know, and he, he's an improvisational fighter and you know, that kind of thing. Right. And I mean, I, I suppose if you had that set up and then you read this issue, you're kind of like, Oh, well he's, he's doing, every, you know, he's, he's improvising the whole time. Right. Oh, this red guy looks bad. Let me jump at him. You know, the, the you know, this, the, this, the, you know, Oh, I need to get somewhere. Okay. Well let's ride the pterodactyl. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll go along with whatever you throw me, but I'm I'm going to try to do what I, like you said, what I think is right. Yeah. And he, and they, yeah. they get into that more in the, in the second issue, I think, than, yeah. than the, the yeah. first one. Yeah. But he does kind of just kind of go by the seat of his pants through this entire, this entire story, you know? And it's even when like he, he goes from, you know, fighting the dinosaurs to fighting solar to, you know, it's like, he's just going and going and going. And it's, you know, he, he never, he never really kind of stops to think things through because that's what he's, don't, don't fear the light. What would, what he says it over to don't fear the light. What would shadow man do? You know, he would do this and he wouldn't have any fear. And so he doesn't, and he's, he's trying to just keep pushing himself forward. And then he's, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the gall to act shocked when he gets in trouble. You know, so he's got that at least where he's like expecting trouble almost because he's not planning ahead at all. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's very interesting just to see like the the supernatural connection to what is a science fiction story, essentially. Like, I know we have the geomancers and all that, the mystical aspect. But here, this is a straight up supernatural thing where, you know, the, the tree is a gateway 
to the the lost land, the lost world, the lost land, right? And in the lost land now, it's 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 the unity and it. Everything is uh, all mixed up in science fiction. So I did like that. There was a little bit of so- a supernatural mixed into all the science fiction stuff here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and Shadow Man's always kind of been on that, you know, on that edge, right? Where you know, even even the nature of his abilities, right? It's like he's not as tough during the day he doesn't heal as fast during the day he doesn't his whole mo doesn't work as well the improvisational stuff doesn't free flow as well in the day that's why he's constantly like what what would shadow man do like and shadow man doesn't really come out until it's it's nighttime you know and there's something you know there's no I you know they they never try to you know it's like oh there he has a, a metagene and the metagene gets activated by the darkness right. or the moonlight or you know there's never anything like that this, this, like you said it's a very uh, supernatural kind of you know you know the, the, I mean to to use the vernacular right there it's it's kind of like this you know Nettie's you know all about voodoo and and that whole you know what I mean like there there's you know they're they're talking to to you know essentially spiritual advisors and stuff like that they're you know it's like they're they they don't have uh uh, like you said a lot of scientific explanations and they you know oddly they they manage to make their own way there doing their own thing or at least he does right like and 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 that's you know and and then and then you have the the aspect to me that i find interesting i guess is from from my perspective like i guess these are a lot of my second favorite things it's like if if barry windsor smith is the artist that i'm you know say number one most excited about in terms of unity i mean david lapham at this time was i guess an up-and-comer but yes david lapham is is probably my second favorite artist in this entire crossover Mm -hmm. and shadow man is probably my second favorite character after EXO. So it's like, and, and, and this was something that I think was, was really interesting to me because I think, you know, before I read these collected editions, you know, and I, I think you said you started with like an issue of shadow man that was long after this, you know, it's like his look had decidedly changed, you know, his hair was a little more wild. He had the, the leather pants and, and biker jacket. And then the shadow man emblem was more like a, I don't know, a, 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 a tour t-shirt than a, you know, a, right. you know, a, a, a superhero outfit right, and stuff a like costume. that. Yeah. And a costume, yeah. you know? And, and, and so it's like that. And, and I think that was interesting too. It's almost like, you know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of like Ben Sisko, you know, like where like, yeah, he wasn't really comfortable in his own, uh, pants or whatever, so to speak, when he first showed up on Deep Space Nine, like they tried to have him have like you know a, 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 a full head of hair and not a goatee and all this other stuff. But then the minute he went back to that like Spencer for hire, you know, hawk look, that's kind of when I feel like Cisco like fully became comfortable in his own skin and his own character and just could kind of let loose and everything. And I feel like, you know, this is kind of like Jack Boniface still in that early season Cisco mode. And he has to go through some of these trials and tribulations until he's sort of ready to, to let loose, I guess. So that, I mean, that was kind of my take on it. Like, do you have a preference between the versions? Like, since you started with one over the other, do you like both? Like, what are your... I, yeah, 
I mean, I, I like them both. I mean, honestly, the thing with Shadow Man is that, you know, when when he when Jack starts, he doesn't really know what's going on. You know, so he's on kind of a journey of discovery, same as the reader in those early issues, you know. And by the time we get to kind of the later ones, the ones that I was reading when I was younger, he's still not, you know, there's still new stuff being introduced for him, but he's starting to get more comfortable with it. And and it and he's he's again you, the idea of, you know, it, it's it's just like jazz that he's able to now he's starting to think the right way and get his head in the right space to to do this. It, it's just different types of stories, right? And they get more supernatural, whereas a lot of these early ones, he's he's a supernatural thing, and there's he has like you know Master Dark is around and stuff, but he's also fighting a lot of punks on the street type of thing too. So yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I like both versions of Shadow Man, and I like what they've done in the modern valiant universe i will say kind of i mean the the earlier uh portions of the modern valiant the the current valiant is kind of very um unfocused uh because they kind of just put books out it seems like willy-nilly but when they when they first relaunched shadow man and then they did the you know uh, he was possessed by aloha and he was the magpie and all that that was really cool stuff and it really leaned on the horror aspect which i liked a lot too so there, there's there's some great some great stuff with Shadow Man and the different incarnations of him, and I think because he has that broad sort of background where it's like oh well he's he's a a, a loa he's a, a voodoo loa that you can take it in a lot of different directions and all of them work pretty well. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's cool in this like seeing him like I guess kill what uh, some some kind of I don't know Utah Raptor or whatever. Yeah, that's looks like a, to be. a raptor of some kind. He you know? he at one point has a great line. He says, "This looks like Jurassic Park mixed with Star Wars." Yeah, yeah, and, Which, and, and uh, it, it does you the elevator pitch from from Shadow Man's mouth, right? Like, right. Yeah. You know, I love that too because. Which but we don't realize when people again old or younger uh, listeners may not realize in 1992 Star Wars was a past tense. Yeah, yeah. There was no prequels on the horizon. There was uh, Dark Horse was doing some comics. Uh, we weren't even at well, and, Shadows and, of the Empire. We weren't even there yet, were we? And I, I don't know, no, because uh, all that stuff didn't happen until after the Star Wars movies were re-released as special, or or, or was leading up to them. Being yeah, that was that was ninety-seven. That was ninety-seven. So, yeah, was so, so I, I think yeah. Shadows didn't come out until like what ninety-six or something. You know something what I mean? Like that, yeah. And 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 if you think about it, actually, I think I'm right about this because uh, I I have some notes about this later on in the the uh, Exo Manowar uh, second chapter. But Jurassic Park wasn't. I mean, it was a novel, but right. the, the, the the Steven Spielberg movie I don't think it's was 93. out. You know, it, when when this was released, so it's also right. kind of pulling on you know something where it's like yeah if you were an avid voracious reader of novels and read michael Crichton's book then you would know what the reference is otherwise you you might just kind of think it's a clever pun or something you know what i mean like yeah. i don't i don't know how you take that but i mean it's it's definitely a reference for something that was not a blockbuster motion picture at that point you know right so. yeah i mean the thing is the thing is that jurassic park i said yeah it, it comes out in either may or june of 1993 so it's like a year away yeah. so i but i will say i do remember the hype for jurassic park when it, when it started shooting and all that so it was a known thing yeah, yeah but it wasn't yeah. out yet so we have you know yeah. nobody knew what it was i mean we didn't really know what you know, ILM was going to actually create for us. And we certainly didn't know that suddenly we were all going to become fans of a Velociraptor. Right, you know? right, right, right. 
And I mean, I think, uh, you know, this to me might be a good opportunity to get into some of what I was thinking when it comes to uh, Jim Shooter's themes and tropes or whatever. But like this does have the, you know, kind of epic battle between Solar and Mother God, you know, this this, I guess, first uh, engagement that they have on Unity. And, you know, and again, kind of kind of like what you're saying, there is that whole Gossamer setup, which David Lapham, like that one panel where she's just sitting there watching Solar bust through her her forces and everything like that's that's probably one of the best pages or panels of her in that, you know, and it's like you can make out oh, like, yeah. you know, I mean, that... like you said, she's naked, right? Like and you can make out all the yeah. the forms and shapes and everything like that. It's like, oh, look, like, I mean, you know, if you're if you were like what I'm trying to think 1992, uh, I was let me see here. Three ten. I was fifteen, so probably yeah. perfect, right? Like, you know, right? Like, yeah, so, I was thinking the same thing. At at twelve yeah. years old, I'd have been all over that panel for sure. Right, right. You know, you're like, oh wow. Um, and but then you know the like the fight itself too. It's like th- that's that's one of those things where it's like there are these two you know almost omnipotent beings clashing, and of course you know th- th- there's that aspect of Shadow Man. Like like not only is he improvisational and 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 like jazz but there's there's a certain aspect where you know he's a crazy motherfucker you know what i mean like where he is like you're gonna jump on solar like it's it's it'd be like you know like i whatever you can think of like you're gonna jump on michael korvac you're gonna you're gonna try to wrestle you know the beyonder to the ground like what do you or i guess to use vernacular that that, you know i don't know the kiddies that are not listening to this would actually understand it's like what you're gonna you're gonna try to uh tackle thanos you know like like a football tackle like what like i mean it's like uh, like some of that is like that's crazy um but you know this this battle is is pretty epic and like there's that kind of you know to to me like you know there michael korvac is like a preliminary to solar and erica pierce or like even even you know disco beyonder you know what i mean it's like that that, that like there's some things about disco beyonder where it's like people make fun of it but he had a he had a sense of naivete and i think the difference between like beyonder you know exploring godlike powers with beyonder is oh well there was that sense of naivete whereas i think with this it, it it's a little more like michael korvac but like they they're, they're both kind of you know there's a there's a self-centeredness or a selfishness you know if you if you read you know the, the the you know it's it, and it's like it's it's kind of funny cuz i i think no matter how I don't know. No, no matter how good they make Solar out to be, and and there's things about him where you you like see, you know, even though he can do things that would cause great harm to people, he tries not to do those things. And I I think that's the difference, right? Because it's all they they kind of play with the idea that a lot of it is subconscious, right? Like you, you think a thing, right. And think about it. Like how many times a day do you get annoyed with somebody or angry with somebody? But Mm -hmm. then it's like, you may decide, you know, to think better of it. Right. And 
not act on those feelings. And that's what makes you, I guess, you know, patient or responsible or, you know, part of, you know, this this illusion of civilization I keep making fun of. But like all those things, right, like uh, have their impact. But it's interesting because if all you have to do is think it and it happens, you know, like there, there's that aspect. It's like, oh, I, I want to look a little more fit. I want to look a little more trim. I don't want to have a receding hairline. It's not like he said it and it magically poofed into place. It was just something that was probably in the back of his mind and it slowly took shape. And, and, and that's, you know, basically what happens here. Like there's, there's these, you know, characters with essentially, you know, these omnipotent godlike abilities. And, and, and I guess, he tends to like to explore that, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it seems to be that consistent trope, whether it's, you know, Beyonder and Battle World or, you know, Korvac or Solar or Erica Pierce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's that examination of, you know, what would you do if, you know, and yeah, obviously yeah. that is a source of fascination for Jim Shooter because he, like you said, he keeps coming back to it. And it, and it, what's interesting, it always is a little bit different too. You know, yeah, yeah, it's it's never it's never he's not it's not like a broken record where he's repeating himself. He 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 it's a theme that comes up again and again, but he explores it in different ways and shapes and forms. Like I said, the Beyonder in some degree is kind of naive, whereas I don't I don't really think Phil Seleski is naive. You know, there, there's some aspect of it where, you know, when he's being honest with himself, he's like, oh, I wanted this nuclear reaction to happen. You know what right. I mean? I wanted to be like my childhood hero like i i i sort of forced it in willed it into being it's like it almost makes you wonder like what was the chicken and what was the egg like did he have the godlike powers before he ever had them somehow you know what i mean mm-hmm. like the, I, there's all that kind of weird yeah. text to it where it's like did you you know were, were you controlling the world before you had the powers to control the world somehow you know and then you know the the idea that he gets a second chance and to try and you know clean up his mistakes but then you know, Erica Pierce obviously hates herself so much that she not only does she want to, you know, she, she doesn't want to clean up anything. She just wants to throw everything off the kitchen table and start anew, basically. Right. Like, that's, right. Yeah. Did I not mention to you early in this that I intended to do everything? <laughs> I did. You did. And yeah, editor and 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 uh, editor in chief and all that was again. And this goes back to Dick Giordano. Okay, Dickie, I had known since I was a, a young teenager. I, I put on the very first, con- I grew up in Indiana, put on the very first convention in Indiana in 1975, and one of my first guests there was Dick Giordano. So, and I worshiped Dickie like a god. Yeah, he was like I mean, amazing. But Dickie was not only amazing penciler and inker and, and, and editor, uh, he, he was a businessman. A very sharp businessman. I mean, he and Neo ran Continuity Studios for a long time there, and they did tons of ad work as well as some incredible comics. And Dickie always inculcated into me that the guy that can do everything is the guy that keeps working. And he goes, if you're going to be in this business, you need to learn every aspect of the business. When I when I worked at Marvel, I used to go up to the 11th floor, which was unheard of. That's where accounting was and legal. And I used to, to talk to the gals up there, and I'd find out how – the P&Ls work. I mean, with the profit mar- and loss margins, you know, uh, everything is on comics. You know, like who prints them? You know, it's like it's like what 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 kind of money does the company make? I started learning, teaching myself all this. So I wanted to know everything there was. 
So that when the time came that I had a chance to actually participate in what I created, um, I, I jumped on it. And, you know, Valiant wound up being the third largest publisher in the United States. So uh, that was a, a great moment for me. You know, it's like Valiant was an amazing place to be, you know. Um, and you tell because it's been, what, 25 years? And most of us still keep in touch with each other. You know, it's like, it's, it, was, it was a great time. Uh, on top of that, the characters themselves are still, uh, you know, because you were able to create dynamic characters that the audience is uh, connected with, they're still being published today. Yeah, and they're on their way to becoming movies at Sony, too. You know, it's like, I won't get any money for that either, okay? I don't get anything for the Iron Man. I don't get, I won't get, that's okay. I sold when I sold the company. I got plenty of money. Okay, so Dinesh, feel free, have a good time, make great pictures. Just I get my credit. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it's like I'm. It's exciting. Iron Man and and Valiant are the two legacies I think I've left behind in comics that, that endure. And uh, you know, I'm 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 very proud of that. Chapter seven is Rise Six. Title is A World Brought Down. On sale date May twelfth, nineteen ninety two. Cover price two twenty five. Writer David Michelini. Penciler Joe Saint Pierre. Inker Catherine Bollinger. Letterer Jade Mode. Colorist Mark Cesar. Rocky, the Geomancer, and Gilad Anipada, the Eternal Warrior from 4001, meet up with Rai at the South Am crash site of his spaceship. The Eternal Warrior, now completely convinced in taking up Rocky's cause, throws a dagger that belonged to the 29th Rai to convince the current one to join their fellowship. Rai suggests employing the aid of Magnus Robot Fighter, and after some debate, the trio fly in Rocky's Sky Skipper to North Am to enlist him. They come upon Magnus in the midst of his battle with Talpa and slam the Sky Skipper into Talpa, burying him below the fighting arena. At first, Magnus is unwilling to leave without stopping Talpa and his killing spree, but Rai urges him to weigh the lives of the locals against the fate of the entire universe. Magnus agrees to go with them, and they leave Rai's baby son, Takashi, in the care of another of Magnus's old flames, Felina. Although Rocky does not join them in their journey, Rai, Magnus, and the Eternal Warrior from 4001 enter a cave that is supposed to lead them to the Lost Land. The trio find the passage into the Lost Land is blocked by a giant machine apparatus. Despite Gilad and Magnus being unable to breach the obstructing machinery, Rai is able to destroy it with his energy sword. Before anyone knew what was happening, they were on the battlefield of the Lost Land fighting to stop the advent of Unity. From her citadel, Erica Pierce, aka Mother God, senses that of the three warriors from 4001, Rai is the one that poses the most immediate threat to herself in Unity. To remove Rai from the equation, a holographic Erica Pierce reaches out to him in the middle of combat to offer him a chance to save his homeland. She explains she is projecting an energy matrix wavelength into his timeline that increases gravitational fields. The resulting effect is that the orbital nation of Japan is being pushed towards the Earth. Mother God provides a device that can transport Rai back to Japan so he may negate the grav field upon his arrival. She also melts the entrance to the cave so that once Rai returns to Japan, he can never return to the Lost Land. 
Rai is torn between the desire to save the people of his homeland and the knowledge that billions of lives must be prioritized over millions if they are to stop unity. Rai shatters the device and can only watch in horror as the orbital nation of Japan descends, crashing into the Indian Ocean. Rai then swears that the death that Erica Pierce has sown today will be nothing compared to what you'll see tomorrow. Yeah, very, uh, very serious sort of comic for oh, yeah, Rai, yeah. as we expect to know. Very serious adventures in a very serious timeline. That we have. Are you mocking me? No, I'm not mine. Robin, you know, from uh, ever see Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go? Uh, yes, yes, I have. I have. And let's get. I'm sure they're getting very serious adventures against all sorts of serious villains. But, uh, I mean, you can probably tell I I skipped over all the Rai subplots in this, which there there were a few. Like there's a, a few, but, but there's yeah. yeah, but there's a lot of stuff in this with uh, in 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 the Lost Land. So that this one is a bit more unity focused yeah, yeah. Than, I mean, than the Magnus book was. It's kind of similar to the Magnus, and that it has a lot of stuff in the future and a lot of setup. Uh, it's it's a good it's it's cool. I mean, I like the I like the Bionosaur that Erica kind of transmits herself through. I think that was pretty mm -hmm, cool. Mm -hmm. You know, but the the thing that kind of I don't know is a little bit of a drawback for this is that it's so Joe Saint Pierre and Sal Valuto doing the art. The art it's nice, but it is a little stiff, especially when you've got a character who I would imagine is very fluid and moves very lively, like yeah. Rai. It yeah. does, in some parts, come off as a little stiff, which is, which is unfortunate. But you know, that's that's okay. It 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 comes with the territory sometimes, and it's um it's better than I could ever do. That's for damn sure. But uh, it is it is very it's it it's very dramatic and very serious. And it's like we we later find out the reason why Erica is doing a lot of this is because she's concerned about Rai, so she's trying to take him off the board and this is this is one of those times where it's like erica kind of makes a misstep right because it doesn't take him off the board if anything it makes it puts him more involved by yeah. doing this yeah well and, and it's interesting because because i think his own words come back to haunt him too because you know the, the whole exchange with magnus you know i mean it, it's like magnus's dilemma or predicament or moral quandary is the same as Rise, but Rise is just on, it's just magnified by like a thousand. You know what I mean? Where it's like, right. it's like Magnus is like, wait, I gotta help all these people and because Talpa's, you know, gonna kill them all. And it's kind of like, look, I don't know if we'll be able to come back here or not, but, you know, these people aren't, you know, a hill of beans compared to the people that are gonna die if we don't stop Mother God. And he convinces Magnus, but I mean, if it, Rai, you know, I guess, you know, being Japanese, you know, they, they play into it that his honor means a great deal to him. And and it, it's something like that. It's like it's like you you 
you say something, but do you actually, you know, saying something is one thing, but actually following through on your philosophy or what you're, you know, basically what you're telling Magnus to do is to put those feelings aside. And it's like, he has to do it. And you can see like, it's killing him, right? Like he doesn't want to do that. He wants to take the device and save his people and save his nation. But he knows that what he said to Magnus earlier is, is the truth. Right. And that's why you're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's very serious, but you know, it is right. Like, it's like, yeah. you can see it's like, it's agony for him. And he's screaming as he, he smashes the device and makes his decision. And then, like you said, you know, it, it was kind of, uh, kind of, uh, it did the opposite of what, what mother God's intent was. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, right. it, like to me, it's like, this is, this is kind of like the opposite of what I felt about Shadow Man, whereas I was like, oh, where's Steve Englehart? You know, like he's he's one of the guiding forces of this. And it seemed like he, you know, like I said, I don't have any evidence of this, but it seemed like he didn't want to be involved in Unity because his name's not attached to those issues. Right. But mm -hmm. but this David Michelini, his name is attached and he'd been writing Rye. You know what I mean? And and, and it's right. like he weaves in his own subplots to move his own story forward. But, you know, he's got the, the Exo Commando armor and then the, the would-be Emperor Seiko and, and all this kind of stuff. You've got Kazuko and uh, Makiko are plotting against the president and they want to be the emperor and all that other stuff. And then, you know, and then when you go back to the unity parts with Rai, it's like, to, to me, it's like, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, people were, you know, comics, it's all kind of cannibalistic and incestuous or whatever you want to call it. But it's like, to me, Rye is the, he's not only the the Hal Jordan of Unity, but he's the Barry Allen as well, right? Spoilers. But like, that that that's what I think of when I, when I read these chapters, right? Like, because, you know, they, it's like, they 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 kind of put all this burden on a character who you know to begin with right he didn't really want any of the burden but yeah. he, he keeps taking on you know more and more and more and it's like it, oh and, and in some cases i mean it almost echoes like um you know like starlin's warlock to a degree like you know i i welcome death you know what i mean like right. it's like it's like after going through all that bullshit right and you know and the, and and so like that i think was cool and then I think the the events of this issue too do establish that you know Magnus and Gilad like they they need to be team players with one another too right because there there's some aspect where they you know they're they're kind of getting together for the first time and they're not I mean they're on the same page but they they there there are things where they have disagreements and I think after this it's it's that you know another misstep maybe by Erica is not not only did Rye become you know, heavily invested in it, but also I think, you know, they, they kind of learn, you know, that they, they need to get their head in the game and be team players, you know? So, I mean, I think all around, right. That was, you, you know, she thought she was going to take Rye out of the game, but instead I think she just, you know, m made him angry, right? <laughs> like that's basically was the result of that. And then, and then the other characters are, you know, obviously horrified by that. And they're all on, you know, rise side as far as that goes. So, I mean, I said, it's, it's a, it's, it's a good issue. And 
and but I I you know and and I like that again we get we get background but it's not again not a data dump it's enough to get us all up to speed and with who everybody is the the whole the falling of Japan out of the sky is very dramatically done without any dialogue yeah you know and it really you re- it really sells the impact and then leading into the last page where it's like yeah this is uh you 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 done messed up Erica you know so he done, he done fucked with the wrong ride <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then we had a, a miracle from God, I guess. It was uh, David Lapham, who, who was uh, a young guy, maybe 19, lived down in Toms River, New Jersey, and he would send us samples all the time. And, you know, I, I always responded to samples, and Don Perlin was good about it, too. He would write him little notes, you know, work on this, work on that. And every week we get a new batch of samples, and every week he did what we told him. You know, he got better and better. And so finally, I made him jump through so many hoops. I, I thought, I, I got to hire this guy. You know, <laughs> I can't, I can't not hire him. You know, and so I, he wasn't that good yet. And I said, uh, Look, you're gonna have to come to the office every day so we can look over your shoulder while you do this. Two and a half hour commute from Tom's River to New York, each way, every day. Yes. Wow. He said okay, and sure enough, he showed up. And um, that first day was the worst day of his life, I think, because. Of course, you're working freelance, so you only get paid for what you successfully complete. And that day, neither Don nor I or anyone else had any time to work with him. So here he is, sitting there at the drawing board, trying to work from this script. And the only thing he heard from me all day is I'd be walking by and I'd say, oh, that's all wrong. You know, uh, start <laughs> over, start over. And, uh, so, you know, I'd, 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 you know I, the same with Don. Perlin was flying around there, and he just didn't have time. And so he'd say, oh, no, 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 you got to do this, you know. But he just got no input. So at the end of the day, he had completed nothing. He had earned zero. Oh, man. And he kind of went out of there looking really sad. And, and I thought, well, that's it. We'll never see him again. The next day, he shows up. And I thought, well, that kid just showed me something. So I'm, we're not going to let com- him down. He's committed. We're not going to let him down this time. <laughs> so I found time. I made time. And, and the, uh, the first couple panels... I, I laid them out for him, and I explained why. I said, this is what we're doing, and this is why we do it. And then after, I don't know, a page or so uh, of stuff that I laid out, he, uh, he said, let me try. He's like, he's listening to me, and he's like learning, and he said, he's let me try. I said, all right, fine. So he tried laying them out, and then he would bring them over and show it to me. And I said, yeah, that's good, you know, okay. <laughs> or move this here or something like that. So anyway, by the end of that day, he had done like a page and a half, okay? And I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, uh, whatever, several hundred dollars of work. So uh, I said, well, congratulations, you have made, you know, $225 today. You can make a living doing this. And uh, he walked out very pleased that day. And even after he didn't need to come into the office anymore, no one needed to be looking over his shoulder, he still came in because it was fun. And so that that's saying something. Let's go on to chapter eight, which is coincidentally Harbinger eight. The on sale date is May twelfth, nineteen ninety two. The cover price is two fifty. The title is Heart Failures, and the writer is Jim Shooter. Penciler and plotter credit go to David Lapham, Inks Gonzalo Mayo. There's a couple letterers, George Roberts Jr., Jade Mode, a couple colorists, and as Luke was kind enough to edify us on probably a multitude of colorists but there's uh, Maria Bakari and then of course Nabro which is I guess synonymous with the Valiant coloring staff 
While having dinner in the home of Dr. Lawrence Hayward and his wife, Monique, in Georgia, Chris, Flamingo, and Monique have a private conversation while washing dishes. When Chris reveals she's thinking about getting an abortion, Flamingo reveals she knows that the father is actually their now deceased friend, Torque, and not Chris's boyfriend, Peter Stanchek. Just then, Jeff teleports into the home and takes the Harbinger kids to the Lost Land on Unity Day One. After Solar engages Mother God, Peter Stanchek can no longer sense his presence and believes him dead. By day two of Unity, the kids have escaped the skirmish, and when Chris attempts to confess her affair and pregnancy to Peter, he misunderstands and believes the child to be his own. Not wanting to hurt him, Flamingo and Chris do not contradict this belief. By day 91 of Unity, the kids have been hiding out in a futuristic bunker, mainly looking after a pregnant Chris. Magnus later asks for the aid of the kids, and they agree this time so long as they can help from a distance and not endanger the baby. Later that night, Flamingo tries to seduce Peter, who refuses her advances. However, Chris's dreams project her thoughts so loudly that Peter learns the truth that the father of the baby is Torque and not him. Learning the truth, sends Peter into a rage and begins to attack the Rainbow Tower while angry crying. Mother God herself comes to confront Stanchek and Sting slash Peter Stanchek nearly kills her, but since the blow was not fatal, her return attack leaves Stanchek knocked out. Later at the bunker, Peter has recovered from the fight and he and Chris embrace despite the rift between the couple. Yeah, so it is appropriate, I guess, that the the teen book, a good teen hero book, it of course focuses almost completely on the relationships between the teenagers in the book. Yeah, yeah. You know that that is what you expect, right? That that is that is very much what Harbinger was about, and they kind of lean into that here. I do like that. Again, the immediately upon arriving there, the Renegades have their own agenda. The only one who really seems all that interested in fighting is Zephyr. And this being the 90s, they constantly call her Zeppelin and make fun of her weight. This is why the modern character is almost exclusively referred to as Faith, and they don't make fun of her weight. But I do like that, again, they're they're kind of brought there, they've got a crazy situation, and they immediately just disregard the fact that they're supposed to be fighting this war. You know? And just say, nope, I'm P- Peter is like, nope, I got to take care of Chris now, you know? So it's, a, it's this is really a different type of story than we got from the previous chapters, even like the Magnus and Rye ones, which were a little bit different in their own right. This one is very, very different in that it's all focused on the interpersonal relationships between the various characters, you know? So I thought it did a good job of staying true to what Harbinger was really about. Yeah, I think that's true. I I this may be controversial, but because I, I think most people find Harbinger to be one of the best valiant books of the pre unity books. There's a lot of love for those books. And I, I, I think it's not uh, unjustly deserved or anything like that. But y- y- the, the comparison I always find people make, and I think it's what exemplifies my likes and dislikes about Harbinger is a lot of people compare it to X-Men. And yeah. to me, you know, when they do that, I think what I see is not the positives of X-Men. You know, I see, you know, the impenetrability and 
the superficial, I guess. The, that That's the best way I can put it. It's like Flamingo has a southern drawl, so she must be like Rogue. You know what I mean? Like something like mm-hmm. that that's superficial or whatever. You know, Torque's a big brawny bruiser guy, and he, he, he's not really in this story per se, but the impact of his death in previous issues overshadows the entire time that they are in the lost land, you know, and Torque, you know, I don't know, could be like, uh, you know, a Colossus and Thunderbird, you know, merged together or something, you know what I mean? Like that. And it's like, or, or even Wolverine for, for whatever reason, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and then finding out, you know, it's like they have this whole, you know, love triangle with uh, Peter and Chris and Torque and, you know, finding out they were betrayed or what have you, you know? And, and to me, I think it's no surprise, you know, being a, a Cyclops fanboy like I am, I think my favorite kid is is Sting, right? It's it's right. it's Peter Stanchek, right? And and like I think that you know I, I I don't know you know to me I think Harbinger was one of those titles where I didn't religiously follow it, but I I've read it since and understand and appreciate you know I I, I think you know for people that were into team books like that was I mean that was the team book, right? Like that was, that yep. was the X book, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Right. And so, so if you were into that kind of thing, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a Laurel and Hardy, you know, Archer and Armstrong duo, you know, odd couple, it wasn't a tango and cash or whatever they were, you know, going for. Right. And, and then the majority of the other books are all solo heroes. Right. And, and so this is the one team book. So if you're into things like X-Men and team books, right, then you probably would have naturally, gravitated towards Harbinger and they, they even play that up a little bit with faith, right? That, you know, Oh, she keeps saying, you know, whereas, you know, Jack Boniface is like, Oh, this is star Wars meets Jurassic park. You know, faith is like, Oh, this is like Jack Kirby drew this or something, you know, like that, that's her, her touchstone. Right. Cause she, you know, she knows about, you know, the comic stuff that was not geek chic back in 1992, right? Like, that's why, I mean, if if that's, you know, it's one thing to kind of say, oh, you know, okay, most female forms in comics were, you know, super hot Adonis forms. And then you can say, well, most of the guys' forms were super hot Adonis forms. And it's either they were trying to do a good thing by having faith, be you know a form that wasn't this atypical adonis or it could be a bad thing because they were making fun of her and calling her a hot air balloon or whatever like what whatever uh side of that you come down on uh, ultimately to me i i guess it doesn't matter because if it's a negative portrayal think of it in the broader scheme of things it's an indictment of you know like if you're going to take it negatively it's not only an indictment of like, I don't know, uh, overweight women, but she's a comic fan. So yeah. it's, it's, it's that, you know, you know, to me, I revel in that stuff. Like I like Superboy prime, you know what I mean? But if, if, mm-hmm. if you're butthurt over Superboy prime, realize Superboy prime's an indictment of you. And if you're right. butthurt over Zephyr, it's like, well, she's an indictment of comic book fans right because what that's saying is you know if you're going to play to the stereotype right like she knows who jack kirby is she likes jack kirby and oh and by the way she's overweight you know what i mean like and and so so i i guess it's however you come down with that you know type thing but again uh, you know it continues some really great art from david lapham and and i guess you know this is something that doesn't really have any impact on um i guess unity but 
I I think I also one of the reasons why I like uh, Peter Stanchek so much is I I have a really soft spot for the the visitor title that comes like way 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 later down the road and you know it's like I basically Peter Stanchek is like the uh, secret mystery in all all of that book like twice over you know and uh, sometimes I'm, I mean it's been a long time since I read it but like I frequently complain about mysteries that I mean I always get engrossed right I'm always like oh who is the visitor who is the harbinger you know who are those guys right. you know and then and then you know to me you know finding out that it was Peter Stanchek who was a character one that I was familiar with and two like you know oh that makes perfect sense like you know and he's fighting himself and oh and you know like so so like for whatever reason like I got off on that and I thought it was a fun book and had nice art and that is like to me I I guess I have a soft spot just in general for that whole progression you know even if it was something that was way far removed from you know maybe the the people who dug the team book aspect and the relationship aspect of of the original pre-unity harbinger issues might not have dug the visitor that much but i i right. so you know that's that and just for me that's that's one of those things where you know i i i look on that character with sort of fond memories and mm-hmm. you know that like there's there's that cool you know to me it's a cool bit like it's like like you said he doesn't really get invested in the uh the war effort as it were until you know and and it's, it's kind of like a a young person thing right or uh i don't know uh 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 yeah somebody who 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 doesn't have the wisdom of their years you know type thing it's like oh i'm perfectly fine to sit out this war until it impacts me personally you know what i mean and and then and then once it hits him personally then it's like okay now i'm taking no fucking prisoners and i'm gonna fuck some shit up you know and it's still to me it's a fun scene either way but it's like and 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 again you know I suppose, you know, you, you can you can throw labels and throw stones at certain people and, and, and certain characters in this book. But ultimately, it's like I can, you know, if you were his age and you found out that kind of thing at his age, I mean, would you have really reacted any differently? You know what I mean? Like you're, right. you're highly emotional. You're a hormonal teenager, you know, and, and you've got all this power. So like, of course, yeah, yeah. You'd be pissed and you'd start, you know, flailing shit around if you had uh, super mind zonk powers like like uh, Peter Stanchek has. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, and, and really that, you know, that that's the thing, again, is that it's it's very interesting revisiting these early Valiant books now that we have the context of, of the, the the relaunch that the, the uh, you know the 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 val the, the valiant entertainment versions of the characters and you talk about Peter and it's like Peter not being interested in anything until he has a personal stake in it that's exactly the way he was written in the modern series you know because he was you know he, he basically was like a bohemian right living in in like a drug den until he got involved with Harbinger Foundation or not the, yeah and then suddenly he cares about all this stuff right yeah, because yeah. he gets he gets uh, radicalized by chris essentially and and faith her story's pretty much exactly the same it's just now in the in, in the ensuing years acceptance of a you know a, a a teen girl who loves you know comic books and science fiction and fantasy that's more normal that's mostly yeah, that's yeah. more the target audience She's, you know. she's 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 a bit more geek chic than she ever could have been in 1992, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And and they're allowed to make her, even though she is still she's still you know a larger character. They make her you know very cute and very sexy and all that, and she still is portrayed you know, in a glamorous way. She's not portrayed as uh, looking, you know, she's not portrayed buffoonishly. Nobody calls her Zeppelin, you know. The only reason why she has, she has a code name because she's like, well, I got to have a code name, you know, I'm a superhero, right? But everybody just calls her Faith anyway, you right, know? Right. So, but um, I, I I really dug this one. And I and again, it's it's it goes to, it speaks to the team book at the teen team book and that the characters are all well-defined and under and easy to to see all the different relationships there's you know the the idea again of you know what what's the deal with chris and torque and chris and peter and flamingo is coming on to peter and peter you know is you know obviously he's turned on by flamingo because flamingo's a, uh, a total, you know, major babyage man because it's the 90s, <laughs> but he's also loyal at this point still to Chris. And it's like, you know, it's all these different combinations. And I, it's really, it's really well done. And, but then again, whenever Stanchek cuts loose, that is a big deal. And it should be. Oh, yeah. Right? When, yeah. when he, when, when Sting, because I love that they still use the code names. That is, that is definitely a, a 90s version of Harbinger using the code names. I mean, I remember the hype. Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of well, about a year and a half from now, leading up to Harbinger 25, which was like the supposedly the final showdown between Stanchek and Toyo Harada, and it was a big deal because these were the two you know, two most powerful oh, psionics yeah. on yeah. the planet and all that, and it's like, yeah, you know, again, he he's still young, he's still kind of a punk in his own way, but when 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 Sting is and Sting's got his mind set on something. He, you don't want to mess with him. And I think this book does a good job, where he's actually able to, almost, you know, for a little bit, yeah, go toe to toe with her. Mother God. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, he hurts her. He, he, he definitely gives her pause. And you know, it, it's funny how, like, it, it, you know, Mother God will say, "Oh, if these people rise, the most deadly." And then it's like, "Oh, Exo Manowar may be a threat to me." And then it's like, yeah. "Oh, and Sting just hurt me." And Oh yeah, and you know it's like it's like wow, there's a lot of people that can hurt you, you know. <laughs> like you better, yeah, better watch out, you know. Maybe maybe you should you know think before you. you know. right, right. But yeah, good one. One of my favorites, and this is like the perfect match, everyone, just in terms of talent and story, was the Solar Origin. Yeah. And um, the Unity book. Right. You're writing it. Barry Winter Smith drawing it, Bob Layton inking it, and that to me is like a piece de resistance. It was the greatest story I'd ever read. Uh, oh, thanks a lot. In terms of That's content nice. and artwork, it was just the beautiful marriage of the written word and the illustrated. But that's what we were going for. We were trying to like do, do visual, verbal stories, and and uh, and care about them and make them make them work and keep the continuity tight because nobody else was doing that. We were the only ones doing what I called lockstep continuity. Very tight. Every yes. book had, uh, every every time you change scenes, there was a time and date stamp. And if something blew up in, in Solar, Man of the Atom, the kids in Harbinger read about it in the paper the next day. You know? And also, uh, for the first time in comic, regular mainstream comics that I'm aware of, we did what, what I call Gasoline Alley uh, uh, progression. I don't know if you remember the newspaper strip Gasoline Alley. I've heard, yeah. Okay. Gasoline Alley, every time a year passed, in, in, real, in reality, a year passed for the characters, characters in Gasoline Alley. And I said, that's what we're going to do. No one else is doing it. No, I don't think anyone else has ever done it. So that's our plan. And we were doing that. And that's why we were able to put time and dates on everything. 
and uh, uh, try to keep it all, uh, you know, locked together. Uh, so, so I, I mean, I used every unique thing I could think of to, to try to make us different and, you know, and good. And um, uh, so, uh, and, you know, people liked it. Chapter 9 is Solar Man of the Atom, issue number 12. The on-sale date is May 26, 1992, cover price 225, title, and then there was one. Writer Jim Shooter, penciler Don Perlin, inker Stan Drake, letterers Jose R. Albello, Jade Mode, colorists Mike Cavallaro and Maurice Fontenot. Prior to the events of Unity Zero, where Jeff and Solar find the dead Erica Pierce, we review how the Erica from the previous temporal dimension killed her past self and went into hiding with her son Albert. Using her powers to extend their lifespan, they remain in hiding, preparing for Unity for the next thousand years. Although Albert is in the body of a teenager, chronologically he has reached a hundred years of age, and Erica reveals how Solar's black hole changed all time and existence. She also reveals that she killed his real mother. When Albert retreats into drugs and sleazy women, Erica justifies her incestuous advances by telling Albert she's not actually his real mother. We revisit when the San Gabriel Haven and their citizens are transported into the Lost Land by the year 3999. Then we are caught up to Unity Day 1, where we see Albert watch the battle between Solar and Mother God from the sidelines. Just as before, Shadow Man intervenes and Mother God traps Solar within the Cincher Wormhole. That's more of a factual accountment of the issue, but again, it's, yeah. it's rather dense. The secret origin of Erica Pierce, essentially, is what this is. Yeah, yeah. And it makes for a good halfway point in the series, I think, because this is kind of the pivot where the story starts to change a little bit, you know? Because we, we now, we, we, we've seen everybody kind of go to town and try to, to do what they're going to do and shut her down, and they've all failed in their own way. And now we, you know, now we have Erica's origin, and now the, now we're going to get into the back, the, the the second act of the of Unity. There's some parts in this that are just super creepy. Oh with, yeah, with Erica and Albert, and you know where we see the the early parts with Al with Albert as a little kid, and you know the first the original Erica having you know turned her husband into a charred burning corpse. Oh yeah. And then, you know, the second Erica coming and, you know, dismissing rather brutally herself and then taking Albert. The art in that early section is is fantastic from Pearl. And I love the panel on page three of Erica zipping up Albert's jacket when mm -hmm. Albert's wearing his pajamas and carrying uh, uh, PJ, who is his tiger um, or TJ, excuse me. TJ and, will, yeah. will play a vital role in the conclusion of Unity. We talked yeah. about how sometimes you need a, 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 a scumbag to uh, uh, win World War II. Sometimes yep. you need TJ to win World War II. Right. I'm guessing TJ must mean Tiger Jr. is what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's a little stuffed tiger. And then, you know, with it, but we even get pathos for... For Albert, which is amazing that we get pathos for Albert, but then we also see him as a scumbag. And that's why I think th this is layered and and he's a three dimensional character. I mean, there, 
you know, it, it, it's like that thing of, you know, like, do you, I don't know, do, do you kill Hitler in the cradle or what, you know, all these kind yeah. of philosophical, nonsensical kind of, uh, you know, pontifications or whatever. But this, in terms of storytelling, right, like you can you can see Albert as a kid and go, oh, man, that's fucked up, man. He had to watch his mother get killed and his father turn into a charred husk. And then this other woman shows up and he's super confused. It looks just like his mother. And he figures, OK, I'll, I guess I got no choice. I got to go along with this lady. And then this lady takes care of him and 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 defends him against bullies and you know all this other shit but then you know it, it, you know the 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 whole beginning of the i don't know the abuse cycle is kind of like what what i was talking about it's like why you know why am i still you know uh you know 8 years old or whatever you know like like let me grow up and then even then i mean it's like so what what good does that do him you know then he's he's running around in uh you know, pleasure dens and imbibing. I mean, the, the the reason why he's doing that, right? I mean, if you're going to be three-dimensional about it and explain such a character, right? He's, he hates himself. Yeah. And he wants to die. But he doesn't have the guts to do it himself. So he, he's constantly taking drugs, hoping he's going to OD. He's, he's constantly screwing hookers, hoping he's going to catch something and die. I mean, he's doing everything possible short of like literally slitting his own wrists to to do that but then you know th then then you have like the i don't know what you want to call it the ultimate like uh, holy crap moment you know where yeah. it's like that you know it's just like you know basically you know she's mad at him for going out and doing that and then and then you know he talks about how he's lonely and he he wants to you know have a girl and this and that and the other thing and then and then she does this like I don't know she flips a switch or whatever she does man but she she decides like okay well uh, you you hit me to my core like I'm lonely too and 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 then you know she uh you know starts undressing him and stuff and says she's not really his mother you know and it's like it's right. like it, it it's it's like it, it's weird like do you do you think like they probably never would have tackled something like that in 1992 or maybe I don't know if they would or wouldn't. But do you think they would have were she not an alternate version of you know what I mean? Like like yeah. where it's like like what if it was just you read solar one through ten and and by the end of it, you know, pretend that first black hole wiped out everything and, and the big bad was just the one Erica. Right. Then, then it's like, and 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 say she just kills the husband, and then goes off to like, you know, the forty first century, and that's it. You know what I mean? And then right. and then you do this, and you're like, well, that's even, you know what I mean? Like that's even more kind of like disturbing than this, even though this is still super right. disturbing, right? Like so, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. I mean, I cannot imagine if this that that they would go this route if it if. This is the one that's, you know, that biologically gave birth to him in this universe, because this is so wrong and weird as it is now, you know, that doing it, doing it the other way is just that that's that's crossing the Rubicon, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, it, it is so that page, that whole page is just, oh, man. And it's like th this, this is right here. 
you know, the kind of stuff that Valiant was doing that was edgy without being like over the top, you know, like they, they, we saw this earlier with like the Eternal Warrior that they were, it was violent without being like, you know, you know, ridiculously so that it, it, it portrayed violence in a way that was, you know, that showed the consequences of it without glorifying it here again, this is, this, this is a, a very you know, mature piece of storytelling that's not being presented for prurient, I can never say that word, prurient reasons. It's being portrayed as the awful thing that it is. You yeah, know, nobody's yeah. doing this like, oh yeah, Albert's getting it on with Eric. It's like, no, no one, no, I hope, God, I hope no one is saying that. Well, you know, you know there, there's that there's that weird dichotomy, right? Because you, you see the way they design Mother God's outfit, right? And 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 how she looks in the context of say the Unity Zero and Barry Windsor Smith and all that other stuff. But it's it's interesting to me that in, in this the the Perlin art, it's always um, th- this is all pre those events in Unity. So she hasn't quite graduated to the the gossamer look yet. So right. so I, I think there's some subtle artistic explicit like directive to like be like okay well in this scene she can't you know she she can't look like a hottie in this scene do you know what i mean like it's it's right. like you you got to focus on like albert kind of going what the fuck like what yeah. you know what i mean like he's got that look on his face like what like you know and 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 the whole like weirdness of it and 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 it's in shadows and you you know there's a sense of ominous about it and you know, like you said, it's a it's a vicious cycle where she's she's revisiting the same abuse and pain that she's suffered at the hands of her husband and her father, and she's not you know she's not breaking that cycle. She's just continuing it, right? Like so, and and that that kind of thing is like kind of like whoa, you know, like like yeah. we're we're you, you, I guess what you you know you're kind of emphasizing like you hope nobody thinks of it in that way and i always i I guess what i kind of tended to think was it's like how should i explain this i still find pierce hot but to me in my mind like this scene is not that at all you don't think of that at all but when i do look at pierce and go oh yeah she's an attractive woman in certain scenes and certain outfits and whatever also in the back of my head i'm like fuck well she's not my fucking mom like you know what i mean like 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 that's not my head trip you know but but you get why you get why that like destroys albert for life you know what i mean like like it 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 makes like all that stuff they they hint at it and hint at it and hint at it and and you know and it becomes more and more obvious i mean it's like it's like one thing you can kind of ignore like you know, and it, it, it's weird. It's like that pattern of abuse and, and what you said, how that Shadow Man opening, like, subtly, metatextually reinforces that, right? Like, right. the yeah. you know, that notion of it. And it's like, it's like if you follow the train of events as they're disclosed to you, you know, it's like you start off with, oh, well, rumor and hearsay, right, in the speakeasy. So you don't know for sure. And then, and then the next time you see him, it's like she plants a big kiss on his mouth, and you're like, "Well, that's kind of fucking weird." But 
yeah. okay like like well it's it, it doesn't it, it's like you're like that's fucking weird but it doesn't horrify you and then you get to this and you're just like holy fucking christ like no wonder this kid's so yeah. fucked up <laughs> and he wants to take drugs and pop pills and everything like that and not and and it doesn't make it right that he's like beating the shit out of other women and breaking their bones and all that shit and sending them to the hospital but you're just like but at the same time you're like well you know it's like holy fuck you know like this is this is just a all-around fucked up yeah. situation right and and it's like it's like one of those things right. where you're like, yeah Man. You, don't, you can't it doesn't it doesn't ex, it doesn't excuse his behavior but it may explain it you know that's yeah. that's yeah. that's the way you, it goes you, you know? the, the the whole you know what is it you, you you're trying to find uh the 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 criminal's mo right like it's like that it's like you what what is do you have motive you know and it's like oh fucking a he's got motive you know, I mean, he's got he's right. got loads of motive, you know, like yeah. so that's that's one of those things where you're just like, whoa. Yeah. And then you can see even that he's still he's not all there in the head because he's still talking to TJ. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's well, you know, who the fuck else is he going to talk to? He's got like, nobody he's else like, to talk to. Yeah. He's, he's like fucking um, uh, Tom Hanks talking to the fucking volleyball. Right. Yeah. He's like, TJ, my life is fucked. And TJ's yeah. like, where? You know, like, yes. <laughs> Hey, you mentioned you mentioned Castaway. Shout out to my friend Bob. He's been doing the voice acting for uh, Wilson in the uh, Netflix animated version of Castaway. <laughs> uh, so uh, go check that out. It, uh, it's streaming sometime eventually. Never, but uh, <laughs> um, I do also want to put over the end of this story, where she traps him in the 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 uh, the wormhole deal, but then she goes in. And I like this because they talk about that, you know, you, you, she says, you once warned me to be careful outside the bounds of reality because here everything is energy. It moves freely and there's nothing to protect you from your thoughts. You know, this again, written in 1992, which believe it or not, there's must be some mistake because my math is saying that was 30 years ago and I refuse to accept that. But let's put, Let's put that into the modern context. There's nothing to protect you from your thoughts. And then all of Solar's doubts, anxieties, insecurities, guilt, that's what beats him. It, yeah, I mean, he, you don't get a own, much more yeah. on-the-nose argument for the importance of mental health than right there, don't you? That we're much more aware of now than we would have been in 1992. Right. But that's exactly it, right? His own thoughts, his own negative emotions and memories and guilt is what defeats this incredibly powerful hero because he can't handle his own thoughts. Derek, did I lose, did I lose you? No, 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 I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I was trying to fight the urge to going to a rant about how we know more about it, but it's all a giant fucking money-making scheme. Well, yes, of course it is. <laughs> it's like it, we, know more the... about, we know more about it now, and we're more advanced and evolved, and that's why we're going to charge solar a bunch of money, and if solar doesn't have it, we're going to take it from the fucking government or somebody else and subsidize it and just keep churning yeah. the stupid fucking machine or whatever. But yeah, anyway... I mean... Yeah, it, I mean, it, go, it goes both ways, right? I mean, we, yeah. you, 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 we, we say we want to be aware of mental health and uh, and all that, but then we applaud athletes that say, well, I'm going to drop out because I'm not mentally well enough. It's like, wait, what? 
that's not how that works. Just you're, you're yeah. an athlete. You're supposed to be mentally tough. But yeah. again, that's. But again, it you know. But no, I I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like that's that's yeah. something that you know it solar is not defeated necessarily by Pierce. Like he's he'd like Pierce is to herself really. I mean, they they are their own worst enemies, right? Like that right. You, you you know, and 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 it kind of comes back to something I think pretty simple, right? Like you you can't you can't be loved until you love yourself. Right. And all these people, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. hate themselves. Right. Or, or they're looking for validation or approval or whatever from, from the outside and they can't give it to themselves. It's like, how do you expect to, to get any of that? If you can't give it to yourself, I mean, you, 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 you should be your best friend, right? Like you yeah. should, you should be the person on top of, uh, you know, you, um, not not in the sense of like you should do what Armstrong does or what Albert does. Like I'm not saying you need to indulge every little vice and weird little thought you have in your head, but I mean, th th there's something to be said for, for you know, loving yourself, you know. And it's like it's like I I mean that that comes up later in in you know solar's portrayal i think and how he overcomes right but but right. you know this is at this point in time it's like i think you know i don't know the, the only thing i can do as a guy is like share right and it's like one of those things where you're like look man like like all, all i can tell people when they get into that kind of headspace you know it's like basically to me this is solar being in the cincher wormhole is like the uh the uh, 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 Howard Hefner, you know, Leo DiCaprio putting in the milk scene, you know, like everybody's everybody's trapped themselves in that cage of their own creation at some point or another. And I like I always tell people I had my putting in the milk moments where I all I right. wanted to do was stay inside and not do anything and just be a, you know, drooling idiot or whatever. Right. And that's that's what solar's right. doing right and he's he, he's dealing with a lot of guilt because i mean if you if you look at the context of that alpha and omega story i mean it's just like holy crap i mean th th there are those things to me that are very akira influenced you know it's like gail like you know bursts open into a bunch of pieces and streams away like he i mean she you know and and then and then it you know the 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 you know, the famous, what, the largest comic panel ever created, where it's like, you know, of the 10 issues, it makes like one gigantic, like rectangular panel of the entire universe being, you know, assumed in this black hole. And if you if you had that right. on your head, right, like then, I mean, obviously, there's a lot to atone for. And, and, and that's, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because the whole premise was like, oh, but he gets to repeat, you know, he has a, a one-time Groundhog Day deal and gets to repeat the events of that and correct his mistakes, which is what the ongoing series was about. But when he's in that wormhole and in that area of time where only your thoughts are with you, he just keeps reliving the mistake and not his corrections of the you know what i mean not not like right y y it's like it's like that's that's the thing right that's the 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 trouble is is like okay look everybody's human everybody makes mistakes right but if you don't learn from the mistakes right that's that's the problem if you stay stuck in that repeated loop of like i made a mistake 
I'm a bad person. I made a mistake. I'm a bad. And you stay stuck in that loop. Then, yeah, then then that's I mean, you know, like you said, you know, then then your mental health is not very well. And and, you know, you you. I mean, nobody can live that way. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's why that's why people become self-destructive. And if you want to stop the chain of that. Like that, that, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I guess it comes later on, but I mean, you know, that you, you have to break free of that. Like, like solar ends up eventually doing, you know, like, and you right. can't stay stuck there. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're basically those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Right. It's an adage, but it's true. And it applies to, to, uh, you know, to individuals, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a heck of a, and again, that's the pivot point because, you know, we, I mean, we saw uh, in shadow man, we saw, you know, Solar get defeated and we've heard Solar get defeated a few times, but now we're seeing not only is he defeated, I mean, he's really defeated, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be any coming back from this right now, right? The midway point of the series. So it's, you know, to me, it's, uh, it's it's a it's a great way to to do this midway point before we're about to start the second the second uh, issues for all the titles. It's uh, I don't know I I think it just really comes together well and does a good job of this, especially considering that this is essentially Erica's issue, even though it's an issue of Solar. This is Erica's issue, and so Erica ends up on top, right? So I think that's pretty I think that's pretty cool and a great way to get to this uh, the midway point of the of the story. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm entirely sure that all hope is lost. Being at the midway point of the story is completely and mathematically by design. Yeah, right. Good stuff. So, um, you were part of you were the part of the Valiant movement too, right? When that was coming out, I founded it. I'm the founder. I was the I wrote every issue up through Unity. I was uh, or rewrote it in a few cases when I had somebody else try at it. Uh, I was the editor-in-chief and president and CEO and, you know, raised the money and started the company and got the licenses. Uh, the camera guy is a huge fan of the Valiant Universe. You're well, right. I mean, I, 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 for, you know, I mean, I did the best I could with it. I, I, my partner, my evil partner, started sleeping with the banker. And then they had me outvoted on the board, and that's why we ended up doing re- our Nintendo comics and wrestling comics, because he also, as a lawyer, represented them, and he made a deal with himself across the table, which made him a lot of money, and did, uh, then now I'm doing wrestling books, you know, which we did the best we could. Some of those are, are turned out pretty good, but that was, that was not likely to succeed. And then when I finally got to do what I set out to do, the regular Valiant stuff, took us a few months, and then, it's Michael Golden making faces at us. <laughs> it took us a few few months, but we got it going, and then that became a tremendous success. Yeah. Now, have you? On, there's a new Valiant. Have you read any of that, or have you been asked to come back to do anything with that? Well, originally, two young men, uh, um, Dinesh and Jason, uh, somehow bought the characters out of bankruptcy of the bankruptcy of a, a, a claim entertainment. And uh, so they had these characters, but they didn't kind of know what to do with them. And then they decided maybe they wanted to publish and they probably needed some help with that. So they hired me, kept me secret, because I don't know why, but they, they, they didn't want anybody to know I worked there. 
Uh, I think because they thought if it didn't work out, they didn't want to be embarrassed, you know. They also hired Bill Jemis, who used to be at Marvel. Yeah, the Ultimates and all that. That he, They hired him to come in as a consultant. And, uh, um, you know, so a, few, a few other people. Uh, and, and so we, they, we were preparing to publish. And it just, the thing is, they didn't have any background or experience in publishing. And it was, it was kind of frustrating for me. And so I finally said, you know, um, I don't know. You guys, you go on. You know, I'm... I'm I'm leaving. I ended up working for Dark Horse after that. But so I did work for the Valiant guys for seven months. But since then, uh, 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 new money has come in, new management. And one of the young men is gone, and the other one I don't know what he does. But uh, I understand that the books are pretty good. I haven't read them yet. Oh, you haven't? No. I understand they're good, and I also understand that this guy who's ex Marvel, he used to be a big shot at Marvel. I can't remember his name right now. Um, uh, but he's he's been good about like getting movie projects going and things. He's he's a real executive. You know he knows what he's doing. So so I, I have the uh, best wishes. I hope they do well. Man, you're such a nice guy. Chapter ten, Eternal Warrior number two. Publisher of course is Valiant. The cover date was September 1992. The on sale date June 23rd 1992. Cover price 225. The editor is credited as Bob Layton. Title where troubles melt like lemon drops. Of course, this begins an all-new batch of covers. We've now finally come, you know, now that we're in the second half of Unity, we are now in the Walter Simonson batch of joined covers that make also a, a really cool collected image, and we've got the Eternal Warrior cover for that. The writer was Jim Shooter, artist John Dixon, inker Kevin Van Hook, letterer Jade Mode, colorist Mark Cesar, colorist Carol Van Hook, colorist David Kleistek. Hours after the initial battle of Unity Day 1, Gilad hides out in some ruins with Jeff. In the ruins, they find the Gilad of 4001 waiting for them. By day 157 of Unity, Jeff manages to sneak into the Rainbow Tower with an old record of Erica's that teleported with him to the Lost Land. The record, quote-unquote, whispers to Jeff about the abuse Erica receives from her father as a little girl. The two Gilads follow Jeff but ride a pterosaur into the complex instead. Gilad has a conversation with his future self, who claims not to remember much of what the future holds. Meanwhile, Jeff is brought before Mother God as a prisoner, and with the knowledge whispered to him by the old record, confronts Erica with the knowledge the only reason she is trying to erase all of existence is to erase the memory of her father molesting her. The two Gilads bust in, but they are too late to stop Mother God from blasting Jeff out of existence. The two Gilads barely escape, and with Jeff dead, the Gilad from 4001 has completely lost his will to fight. He was lying about his memories of Unity, and confesses to his younger self that events have been proceeding very differently than he remembers. They are decidedly worse. Gilad makes an offer to his future self that he will change the one thing he regrets most if he will continue the fight with him. The Gilad from 4001 mentions that he finally understands why his younger brother Aram has such a problem with him. And that hopefully is, you know, skipping over all the kind of instant replays that we get in this saga, that is kind of the, the long and short of 
Eternal Warrior, issue number two and chapter 10 of Unity. Yeah, I, I like this one. I like seeing the two Galads fighting side by side. Oh, I yeah. That was, yeah. that was a great use of the fact of uh, when you have a character that exists in multiple time periods in a time travel story. The other thing I thought was interesting is that this is the first one of the second wave. And so far of the 10 issues, this is the one that takes place the farthest along. Mm. Because Harbinger had been Unity Day 91, whereas this one is uh, Unity, what is it, 157, I think? Yeah, I mean, this, so, is, this is getting right up towards the, the wire, right? Yeah. Right. So th this, so it's been going on for, for months now, you know? It's been almost six months that they've been fighting here in, in Unity. And it really gives you, again, a, a good sense of the scale uh, of all of the, the entire storyline. The thing that is, that is, it's great. Some of the things that are consistent in this, you know, Albert, scumbag, you know, uh, Erica, really suspicious costuming choices on occasion, really likes that sheer look, you know, she really leans into that one in this one in the back half of this one. She is, yeah, she is rocking that, that sheer two piece deal that she's wearing. And there, there's some, uh, there's some straight nipplage in a couple of, a couple of scenes here. It's not even implied. It's just there, you know, as my brother would say, that's not subtext. That's just text. That's just text. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess in response to some of the things you mentioned, I mean, I think I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before when we were talking to the guys about the Valiant. But being an old school DC fan, I mean, seeing the two Gilads to me always reminds me of, you know, Earth One and Earth Two Superman being side by side. Or I suppose if, you know, mm -hmm. if, if what you're a fan of is you know, I don't know, Justice League Unlimited or something like that, you know, seeing, seeing, you know, the Justice League Batman side by side with old man Wayne from Batman Beyond or something, you know, it's that, it's that, you know, cool visual of, of the sort of younger and older cells fighting side by side. And that's usually like a cool image, especially like when they bust in to help out and all that stuff. As far as Mother God goes, you know, I, I don't know, like, th this is this is my note on that sequence where Jeff comes in and confronts her and, and they talk about the, the Wizard of Odd record and all that stuff. Like, it kind of reminds me of the sequence in V, the final battle. Do you remember the scene where, like, the priest comes in and he's captured and he talks to Diana and he gives her the Bible? And it's like, that, that, that the, the way that scene roundabout finishes is like, she sort of considers his words and all this stuff. But then by the end of it, you know, she actually, you know, pulls out her visitor blaster and shoots him and the Bible and leaves it burning because she says, you basically showed me I still have a, you know, I still have weakness and yeah. I can't afford to have weakness, you know. And so I'm 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 physically destroying, you know, purging that weakness from from me. And, and I felt like this was mother God's version of that. It's like somebody kind of confronting her with the actual reality, not kind of what she's built up in her mind as this, this noble purpose, you know, her hubris or whatever that, that she's, she's correcting this, this flaw that solar made when, and in reality, the, you know, when you get down to the core of it, she's, she's correcting her own vulnerabilities and, and, and she can't stand to have that, you know, brought to light right so mm -hmm. she's she's trying to eradicate that and everything 
Yeah, and this chapter with Jeff confronting her directly, I think it we we've said it a few times through this this uh, through our coverage here of, of Unity. You know, hurt people hurt people. So you know, she was a a victim, and now that she has all this power, she's lashing out, and this really kind of lays it bare with with Jeff. You know, it's it, it's you know he he says it in a way that I think was about the best way you get away with it at this time in a comic. You know, you couldn't, it, it's not like some black label stuff where you come right out and say it, mm, but it's mm. plain enough that if you were old enough to be reading this, you would have understood that. And her immediate response is to, you know, when she says that, well, you know, that, that Albert doesn't like what you do any more than you like your daddy's games. She immediately lashes out. Yeah. That's, that's her yeah. only re reaction. You know, and and that's that, but that's Erica, right? That we've seen her react that way over and over again when confronted with her own history. All she has is rage, well, and it, it, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of fascinating in a, in a way, you know. It, it is because because you you know I I think that's the trope that that Jim Shooter likes to play with these these so-called omnipotent beings, but but finding out all the flaws, you know, it's like it's like just because you have omnipotent power doesn't change who you are. You know, there's that saying like, no matter where you go, there you are. So you may, right. I mean, you may, you may become, you know, Korvac, you may become the Beyonder, you may become Solar or Erica Pierce, but you still bring your baggage with you. And the minute he, he points out her baggage, like, you know, and, 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 and the fact that she doesn't, you know, he talks about, Oh, these little games you play with each other. It's like, she should know that Albert's been spying on her and she does know that Albert's spying on her, but like she somehow thinks because she is who she is and the powers that she has, like it's, it's, it's just, it's a cute thing. It's a game thing. Maybe it's, it's some kind of weird perverted aphrodisiac or something. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's right. like, but it's not, she doesn't just because he tries to have her killed. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't face the blunt of her wrath and, and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't acknowledge that part of it. But when it's kind of like what you were saying, when the subtext becomes text and it's it's spat in her face, then that's that's when she becomes violent and angry and lashes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when she does lash out this whole bit where she seems to vaporize Jeff. Because the two Galads believe Jeff is dead. Oh yeah, yeah. We're you know previews of coming attractions. We're going to see that that was sort of not the case, but I don't know. I don't know that this is ever really greatly explained to me, to be completely honest. Because my note it's, here is that Jeff's sacrifice. You know, he 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 is dead from what we're reading here. It's it's weird because you you have to like okay if this is day one fifty seven from my recollection. You know, the next time we see Jeff again, I think it's in Magnus. And and now I'm I'm flipping to the page and I'm trying to see like what day. Yeah, it's it's also day because it goes from day two to day one fifty seven, and it's at the beginning, I think, where he he listens to the baby. And he sneaks out, and then they cut to battle sequences. So we can assume that 
this whole, you know, when Magnus gets into a scuffle, we can assume that, that, you know, that's when Jeff is confronting Mother God and when the two Gilads go in to help him. But then the next sequence we see with Magnus, it's like he leaps out and and Magnus says, Jeff, you're alive. You had everyone worried. And and so I'm not I don't know. It's 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 weird. Yeah. Like like you say that, you know, they, they don't I mean, it, it, is it just like they they were, you know, it, it was a it's a blinding light and they assumed he was vaporized. But maybe he whispered to the, you know, trap door in the back. But they never you know, like you say, they never really they, they never really explain that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's it's a good issue, even that, you know, that little bit of oddity. But it's a good issue. And I like that it ends. It has an ending. That's not a cliffhanger. Because, again, I'm going to just just kind of spoiler like we talked about earlier. You know, if you were just reading Eternal Warrior, you could have read these two issues and then get issue number three and you'd be OK. You wouldn't know the full story of Unity, but you would know Galad's deal. So issue three picks up with Galad. You'll remember in the first issue, he was at the uh, what he was in the hotel and him and his handler were about to get attacked by the gunman, and then he got pulled out by Jeff with Solar's hand. So issue number three begins with him going right back to where he was taken. Yeah. Yeah. He, so so yeah. So you could you so this this ending not on a cliffhanger, and then the next one starts with Unity over. So it's like okay, again, I could have just read this. You know, again, I won't know what happened in Unity, but I'd still be caught up on my character. If you know, if that if that that's if if Valiant's getting two dollars and twenty five cents of your money every month to buy Eternal Warrior and that's it, you'd still be okay. And that that I, I will never get over how well organized that is relative to not just the other crossovers at the time, but even crossovers now. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. don't don't work that way. Well, I mean, you know, th th there's that interesting thing of of you know th they probably don't want to work that way. You know, yes. like that. You know, they they, they, they I think. A lot of, you know, let's be honest, most crossovers are designed to get you to buy all the parts and generate sales. Whereas, I, I guess, if you wanted to have the the frugal viewpoint and say, hey, it, it, I, I kind of like what you said initially, too. Like, you could read, the, you know, Unity Zero, Eternal Warrior 1 and 2. And if you wanted to check out the conclusion of Unity, you could read the, the final issue of Unity and then keep, you know, and then go back to eternal warrior three and just keep going right like right and then it's like that doesn't seem like that's a huge ask right you buy one you know other you you had a free issue of unity zero you were gonna presumably buy eternal warrior one and two anyway and then what the big ask is you have to buy unity one to find out how unity ends and then but but even so right they they do give you kind of a a wrap up at the beginning of Eternal Warrior 3 as well. So it's not like even if you didn't go that extra mile, right, to 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 read the the final chapter of Unity, you still kind of know how things end up for for your lead character. Right. The the other thing I do want to mention, it, it it this is very amusing to me. So we're reading Unity and there's a house ad in this issue, The Bridge to the Future, Rye number 0. So you want to talk about like the two the two uh, books that if you were a Valiant reader, a late Valiant reader that you heard about endlessly, oh, Unity and Rye number zero, right? 
I mean, yeah. Rider Zero, that's the one that basically sets the entire timeline of the Valiant universe, you know. That's actually, it, it's funny because those those trades I was telling you about that are all collected in that slipcase of the four trades in the, the final fourth trade, they they have what is, you know, I guess the Rye Companion or whatever is what they call it yes. in there. But like that's, I mean, basically you can, you know, it, once you finish reading Unity, you can then, like you say, kind of look at the, I don't know, the roadmap or the Bible to where they you know saw the the universe heading oh yeah and they, they, they mean clearly you know shooter and uh, layton had a plan and right number zero is still to me one of the most remarkable superhero comics i've ever read just in its scope and what it's doing in its pages you know for a not for a story that's not a story in the traditional sense but it is such a such just such a creatively executed and, and still holds up really well. I read it a few years ago and uh, it's, it's just a, just a classic, but I just thought it was funny that in unity we're at rise zero. And it's like, again, those were as someone who came to Valiant later than this, those were like your, your, uh, your grail oh, pieces. Well, you right? know, you, you know, know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because now I'm looking at it and, and that issue actually does explain that. that I think that's why they include this in the trade. Because it does explain what happens to Jeff, because the first page is a splash of the two Gilads fighting with Pierce, and and they say you can't fight; he's too strong. And then and then she says, "You treacherous little worm!" And it, it's like she's about to blast him, but then it says, "Unbeknownst to Mother God, the Geomancer sensed a hidden mirrored panel, secretly engineered by her villainous son." Albert, see, he was good for some things, <laughs> and used it to escape her wrath. Albert hated Mother God and regularly spied on her activities with the aid of such conduits. Albert was also a very sick puppy, and then he falls into, like, a hole of all these, like, bones, which presumably are Albert's victims, right? And then right. and then, th and then I think they, they have a sequence where Exo Manowar busts through the wall, and Jeff can run around and, and, and all this other stuff and get info on, you know, Bloodshot and then catch up with, with Magnus and Solar and, and so on. So so yeah. I guess I guess we do have an answer for that, albeit it wasn't it wasn't strictly spelt out within the confines of Unity. Yeah, that's right. It's all connected. That's what it keeps coming back to. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a good issue of Eternal Warrior. I think it I think the uh it uh, has certainly started out well, you know, as a as a launch title, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Good. Yeah. Join the battle and fight with Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Ride mighty tribal dinosaurs, the ultimate battle beasts, against evil myonosaurs. It's savage, headbutting, T-Rex jaw-snapping, raptor-ripping, Turok action. Kicking big-time Bionosaur butt as the war rages on. Dinosaur Hunter. Action figures from Playmates. Archer and Armstrong, number two, is chapter 11. The cover date is September 1992. The on-sale date is June 9th, 1992. The cover price is a whopping $2.50. The title is Turok and Roll All Night. <laughs> The 
cover credits again, uh, a wonderful Walt Simonson cover for this one. The plotter penciler is credited as Barry Windsor Smith. The script is by Jim Shooter. Inker Bob Layton, letterer Jose R. Albello, colorist Maurice Fontenot. On day 16 of Unity, Archer and Armstrong, armed with an energy-absorbing arrow that Albert gave him, leap into an observation room to kill Mother God. Although Archer has his doubts, he eventually fires on his target. However, Mother God survives the assassination attempt, and Albert shows up with a squad of rob guards so as not to implicate himself in the attempt. Despite Albert wanting them dead, Mother God has the pair incarcerated. Later, a battle between Exomanowar and a large Tyrannosaurus Rex smash a hole in their jail cell, granting the pair freedom. On day 17 of Unity, Mother God sends Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, after the escapees. On day 18 of Unity, Archer is lamenting the loss of his crossbow, while Armstrong is covering himself with the armor of discarded Rob parts. Turok has located the pair and fires on Armstrong, and they engage in a brief firefight before Turok eventually gets the drop on them both. Turok has doubts of his own and asks why he should not obey the quote-unquote spirit mother's command to have Archer and Armstrong killed. Although Armstrong prods Archer to convince him otherwise, Archer ultimately declares that so long as Turok would fight Mother God's evil, the two would be content to die at his hands. Turok senses the spirit of the one who created the crossbow is worthy and returns it to its master, Archer. Turok leaves, declaring he will serve the spirit mother no longer. And that is Archer in Armstrong, issue number two. Yeah, introducing Turok. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of the, the big one here is that Turok would go on to be obviously a very important character for Valiant for quite a long time, for Valiant and Acclaim, uh, I would say, for quite a long time. So it's 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 funny because it does resolve the cliffhanger from the first one. And you know they, they can't succeed, right? Yes, yes. But it does, you know, and but it, it does a good job of it where, you know, uh even then Archer doesn't miss, right? Archer, he's that's how good he is. He doesn't miss. But we do get a, a nice bit of character play here with uh with Erica and Albert once again. And then uh, you know, the back half of it turns into this folk this showcase piece for Turok. And it's like you could see that already at this point they had plans before him, right? They'd already had uh, success using Solar and success using Magnus Robot Fighter. So they're continuing to introduce the gold key characters. Uh, as an aside, I'm always a little surprised that they never did Samson. You know, he was the, the other mm. gold key character. I guess they had enough. They had a strong guy with Armstrong. They didn't need another one. But even then, with a very serious Turok, and Turok is always very serious. And let's get... still get some comedy bits out of out of archer and armstrong and it, it does kind of still fit the the, the kind of lighthearted tone of the book even with the very you know serious uh, type of stuff that that turok is doing but i do like it i like this one quite a bit it's uh, got like i said a lot of great interplay but then but then the serious side but then you've also got barry windsor smith and bob layton on art and it's like yep that's valiant comics to me right there i'm on board with that you know i think i think it's interesting because i think a lot of the subject matter you can point to as serious. But I mean, I, I don't think you can argue that 
there is comedy in Exo Manowar smashing through the jail cell fighting a T-Rex, right? Like that's, or, yeah. you know, like that, 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 that's that thing. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's not, obviously you, 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 you want to take the fight seriously. Right. But, but there is that aspect of like, how are we going to get out of this? Smash, smash. Oh, okay. I guess we can, I guess we can leave now. You know, yeah. and there, there is that beat of, of comedy that's, that's played there, you know, in the midst of, you know, a lot of this stuff that is, you know, service or whatever, that, that kind of, that kind of vibe. I think, I think this is the point where I get to tell you my, my, my fun Jim Shooter WonderCon story. Uh-huh. So, so uh, I, I think I already established that I, I was a young fool and, and paid an exorbitant amount of money for Magnus 12, which was technically the first, I guess, appearance of Turok in the, the Valiant universe, right? And there was something else that I, it's like, I was a young kid, so I was a fanboy and I wanted to ask like dumb fanboy questions and stuff like that. And so I went to this Valiant panel and it was it was a pretty cool panel because I was a big fan at the time. I had read Unity. I think this was, I, I mean, Jim Shooter was still on the panel, so it, it couldn't have been, you know, it, it couldn't have been too far into like I don't I don't know that Turok had his own title at this point, but I knew Turok was hot enough that I had to pay, you know, a premium for Magnus Robot Fighter number 12. So I'm trying right. to figure out the timeline of this, but I mean, it must've been 1992, right? Like it, it couldn't yeah. have been any other time at least. Right. And so they had a bunch of people on the panel, but I specifically remember Jim Shooter was there. And I think, you know, un- unless I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm confusing it. Who knows? Maybe it was Bob Layton, but, but you know, like, like now that I'm, I'm, I'm like starting to question myself, but in my mind, it was Jim Shooter that was there. And 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 there was this panel at WonderCon and they were talking about all kinds of Valiant comics and all this other stuff. And I feel like it must have been Jim Shooter, because this is this is what I thought was interesting about it was the question I desperately wanted to ask was fanboy question. But it was also sort of related to my background because I'm I'm Native American. And so, like, I I wanted my 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 fanboy question was going to be like, well, what what tribe? you know, does Turok hail from exactly? Because, you know, he's a fantasy character. They never really, you know, say anything about it, at least in the comics I had read to this point. I think I was, like, looking at some later comics that Timothy Truman wrote of Turok, and they say Kippewa tribe. So I was like, oh, that's interesting, like, because I had never never looked into it very much, you know, after I had this experience, because, one, I didn't get to ask the question. So the reason why I didn't get to ask the question is, of course, these comics are selling like gangbusters. And I think my dad had just bought like some stock with Marvel or something like that. And so he basically wanted me to ask like, is, you know, will there be publicly traded stock, you know, for, for Valiant comics. Right. Right. And I'm kind of like, uh, dad, I want to ask about like, where does Turok tribe? Like, where does Turok come from? And my dad's like, no, 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 just, you know, just do me a favor, because he's not going to answer my question. But if you're a kid and you stand up in the front and raise your hand, like he, he's going to let you ask. And so and then I'm like, I'm just trying to be nice to my dad because, you know, he probably spent all this money to get me there and, and, and that kind of thing. And he drove me there and all that stuff. So I was like, OK, fine. So I stand there. I raise my hand. And instead of asking the question about Turok's tribe, I, I, I you know, I'm trying to I'm sitting there because I'm, you know, I don't know. What am I like? 11, 12? Like, I'm trying to remember what the hell the question is, because I don't really understand the question. Like, I'm like. 
Will right. there be publicly traded stock for Valiant? You know, like wh whatever the question was, right? And 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 he kind of looked and he saw my dad was kind of hovering behind me and basically he just said, no, there's not going to be any public traded stock for Valiant. And 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 that was kind of the end of it, right? And I guess listening to a lot of interviews now, it, it at that point they must have been trying to oust Shooter out of Valiant, and he only had so much of the private stock. And then, you know, like later they basically, the way he explains it, they made the stock worthless, thus they could buy him out and fire him and the, the whole nine yards and everything. So the, part of me wonders if part of that answer, you know, maybe there was some disdain or some kind of... Uh, um, you know, trauma to it, you know, where right. it's like he's in the middle of dealing with this, you know, uh, what, what this corporate takeover or, or, you know, somebody trying to like oust him out of the, the company that he tried to uh, found or whatever and stuff like that. But like that, that's my distinct memory of that. And, and, and also my memory of it was he was always he made this comment. And, and I guess if you're a fan of Batman, the animated series, you'll do a woohoo. And if you're a fan of X-Men, the animated series, you'll do a big boo. But basically, he he made the comparison. He's And I think it's interesting because I, I find the X-Men animated series is very serialized storytelling. I, I don't know how continuity strong or heavy it is, but it certainly was very serialized. But he, he basically said, we're trying to tell good stories at Valiant. And, and we want people like kind of like what you're saying, if, if you read one you know, book, you can follow that book. And even if it goes through a crossover, you can still get your full story. And he basically kind of said, look, we want to tell good stories like they do on Batman, the animated series, you know, they can be done in ones, they can do be two parters or whatever, but we just want to, you know, we want to tell these good, solidly written stories. And that's what Valiant was what it had become known for, not necessarily like image or anything else that, you know, was, you know, sort of their strong point was the hot artists and the the cool looking books and all that stuff. They had become known for their stories. And and then, you know, his comparison was, yeah, we don't we don't want to do that X-Men thing where they just, you know, it's just a bunch of bullshit. And, you know, they, they kind of go from week to week and you can barely keep up with any of it. And it gets all convoluted and confusing and nobody can keep track of it. Right. And 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 I I, that, I guess that's always stood out to me, and I mean I I think I've always probably agreed with it. You know what I mean? Like like I I I have my nostalgia. I have I have some fondness for the X Men animated series, but you you're never gonna get me to say that it was like you know super well written or anything like that. You know like right. like it, it, if anything it was you know, it, it was entertaining, but clumsy, right? Like, so, you know, and, and so I, I find that interesting because it was, it was just one of those things where, you know, he was, it, it, it seemed to espouse the, the philosophy. And that's, that's when you say, you know, when you read something with, uh, you know, Jim Shooter and Barry Windsor Smith and Bob Layton, that's, that's Valiant to you. I, I think to me, Valiant is Jim Shooter telling me we want to tell good stories like Batman, the animated series, not crap like X-Men, the animated series. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that to me is, is, is Valiant comics. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that even the, even the, the relaunch that seemed to be the, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, the motivation was just tell good stories. I remember, I think it was Clayton Crane 
the who's a modern he was a modern valiant artist oh yeah he did all the those he, cool rye covers right yeah um it is that that is clayton crane i don't now that i'm thinking about it i don't think that's who i'm talking who i was talking to oh um okay. but it might have been now i'm looking at his picture it's not, i'm trying to remember who it was now but it was one another modern valiant artist and he was at sc comic-con here in the upstate of south carolina and i and um oh damn it I, who was it? I can't remember what the, his name, but I was talking to him that I had just, uh, that, that this was a couple of years. This was a number of years ago. This is when the, the Valiant movie deal had first been announced. Oh, okay. And I said, you know, I'd love to see the, uh, you know, the, the whole bit with bloodshot going into Harada mode, which is from Harbinger Wars from the modern Valiant. When he gets near to Harada, and all his programming that Project Rising Spirit has put in him to find and kill Harada if he ever gets an opportunity, it just takes over his whole mind. And and he's like, yeah, that's cool. He goes, yeah, I I just like I just like doing comics. I don't really care about movies or stuff like that. You know, I I just, I just want to do the comics. That that was his response. Like he's like, I understand that, but it's like, but to me, I'd rather just do it as a comic. You know, and it's like that. That's and for every person I talk to at Valiant, because I talked to Dinesh several times. I got on their Twitter. MSC okay. Comic Con because I happen to be wearing my Valiant comic shirt, <laughs> so he put me on the Twitter. You know, so it's like that always seemed to be the the motivating factor. It's like let's let's whatever happens down the line, okay, we'll worry about that. But let let's just tell good stories. That that's the main thing. That's what's going to engender loyalty among readers is if you tell good stories and you treat people treat your readers with respect, right? So yeah, I'm right there with you. That that I I totally believe that story because it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I, I think I think there's truth to it, too, because otherwise we, we wouldn't be talking about these stories like 30 years later. Right. Like they 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 to me, I mean, it certainly, you know, had an impact on me and, and it was very memorable. And and I, you know, again, that's kind of why kind of why I wanted to bring you on so we could sort of both, you know, celebrate it together. Um, a good issue. Another yeah, good issue. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody was wondering uh, why a. Tittle title is a football player, and that's why uh, Armstrong makes the crack. And then, of course, like all of us that are, are young kids, Archer at the end is like, "Who is Y.A. Tittle?" And then I looked yeah. it up and went, "Oh, he's he's an old school football player, and that's why he makes the crack because with all that armor on him, he's saying he looks like, you know, he looks like a padded football player, basically." By the way, it was Louis Larosa. Oh, not Clayton Crane. Okay. It was the other okay. alliteratively named artist. Okay. What? What? I uh, see that that that's my weak spot. Like, what? What Valiant books has Louis Larosa worked on? Uh, he's worked on a lot of different stuff. He does done a ton of covers. Okay. I'm sure you would would recognize his uh, his covers. He's done a bunch of different stuff for him over the years. The one he's he's done. I I have a couple of. He's done. He worked on Bloodshot. He worked on a lot of Bloodshot. But he did he did some uh, he did Eternal Warrior covers. He did a bunch of different stuff. I mean he's he's also did he did some stuff for Punisher Max over at Marvel. He did oh, some Immortal okay. Iron Fist. Okay. Yeah. He's done some some stuff for Image from it looks like. So he's yeah he's been all over the place. Yeah. Good good guy. Uh, I haven't haven't uh, haven't spoken to him in a few years, but I do. I have. Uh, I said I've got a, a, a Eternal Warrior print by him, where it's just a close up of Galad's face, and he's got the slashes from like the tiger claw through his face. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, well, I, I knew Mike Richardson, who was the founder and principal of Dark Horse, for years, and 
uh, he had the rights to Predator and uh, Valiant, my company, we had the rights to uh, uh, Magnus, Solar, the Gold Key characters. Right. Mike was a huge fan of the Gold Key characters and he liked what I was doing with them. And I ran into him, I guess, at a convention, uh, probably went for coffee someplace and, and, and we started talking. And I think he was the one who proposed we do a crossover. I thought, well, that's a great idea, you know, why not? And uh, so um, uh, I, I was writing almost everything for Valiant in those days. If I didn't write it, I probably rewrote it uh, and or, or touched it up at least. Um, so, and I really wanted to do this right. And, yeah. and so I, I decided, uh, okay, I'll, uh, I'll write it because I know I'll do the research, I'll get it right, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, tr I'll uh, make it interesting. And uh, so I, I did a, a plot. Uh, for the for the two two issue series, and uh, right about that time, uh, I was uh, forced out of Valiant by evil partners who, uh, you know, were too long a story to tell. Too many hands in the cookie jar, apparently. Yeah, well, my partner married the banker. When uh, yeah, you tell right. that to somebody who's in the financial trades, and they say, "Say no more," we yeah. get it. Fine. Actually, uh, I think you mentioned to me yesterday that was in a Forbes magazine. Yeah, the Forbes magazine did an article about that called How Not to Start a Company or What right. Do You Do When Your Partner Starts Sleeping with a Banker. Ethics and Morality in Business. Which yeah, is yeah, Business Ethics. That's an yeah. oxymoron. But uh, at any rate, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, I did the, uh, the, the, the plots and I, uh, I, I'm not sure how much of the first story I did or if I did the whole thing, I mean the script, the dialogue. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much of that I did or whether the plot was just very detailed. Um, but at any rate, I, 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 was, I did, built the foundation. I think somebody else finished the story. Uh, and I, I haven't read it. Uh, you know, I, I just, really? No, I've never read it because it, it, like it, it, as, that, as I was working on that story, that's when the, that's ba the, that's when the bad guys yeah. were, were trying to get rid of me and, so, uh, and succeeded. So. Uh, you know, it's, that was a bad time. I've just never revisited it. I would have loved it, to have done that story, and uh, I hope whoever did it did a good job. All right. Chapter 12 is Magnus Robot Fighter issue number 16. The cover date is September 1992, on sale date June 9th, 1992. The cover price, 225 Editor is credited as Don Perlin. The title is Out of Time. Plotter, Jim Shooter. Scripter, Roger Stern. Penciler, Howard Simpson. Inker slash colorist, Ernie Cologne. Letterers, George Roberts Jr., Jade Mode, Jose R. Albello, Scott Friedlander. The early pages recap the events that led to Magnus coming to the Lost Land on Unity Day 1. On Unity Day 157, Jeff reveals to Chris that the child she is pregnant with is destined to grow up to become Magnus. When the group realizes that Jeff went off on his own to confront Mother God, Magnus and the others head after him. They leave Armstrong behind with Stanchek to play midwife to Chris as she gives birth. When they begin their attack, a support column collapses on Magnus. The Robs leave Magnus for dead, but Magnus digs himself out and manages to locate Jeff. Jeff explains to Magnus that Solar is still alive but trapped in one of Mother God's gizmos. Magnus confronts Mother God and manages to deliver a blow that actually hurts her, but then she calls a squadron of Robs to attack Magnus. 
With the knowledge that her newborn baby will grow up to be Magnus, Chris sends Sting to rescue Magnus. As Magnus slowly recovers, the group introduces him to the newborn that will one day grow up to be him. And that is Magnus Robot Fighter issue number 16. This one is kind of out there for the secret origin of Magnus Robot Fighter. You know? Yeah, I imagine I imagine all those diehard purists hated this, but I I guess I was like as I've espoused, I'm the, I was never a diehard purist, I guess. So yeah, I, I I I never to me I never had any problems. I I sort of took this all at at face value. The, the only thing about this that I'll say that I didn't like is I thought the lettering was kind of shitty, like. I I just there there was a lot of it and like it was either too small or like in some of those sequences during the pregnancy where it's like it's a white room with white balloons yeah and, you know like like it, it's just one of those things where it's like the art's really nice but trying to read the story it was either it, it was either it was hard to look at or they had these oversized balloons with really really tiny text and I don't know I don't know if it was supposed to be like Magnus is whispering or something like that. Like, like it's supposed to, but I'm like, even if they are, then I don't know, dude, make the balloons like twice as big and make the text readable or something. I don't know what, but it just, yeah. you know, some, some of that stuff kind of bugged me, but I mean, outside of that, the, the actual plot of it and the, the revelation of it, you know, I, I thought, you know, worked for me. And then I guess it's that same old trope of like, you know, boy, for somebody like Erica who says, oh, this guy's the only danger to me. Again, it, it seems like, you know, at least like five of these seven guys were almost dangers to her. So including Magnus, right? Like they, they all they all managed to, to, to at least hurt her at one point or another. Right. Yeah. I always with the I'll be honest with you, the bits in the the sanctuary there with with Chris uh, being, you know, giving in labor. I always assumed that was some type of a production error, oh, you know, that it was okay. like a printing error, okay. because why else do that? It looks so strange. Well, I mean, if, if, it, if it is, it's 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 passed along to this trade version as well. So, you, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know if that's just too, you know, I, I, maybe we're spoiled now with with the advent of modern technology that they can go back and correct these things fairly easily in in collected editions. But I mean, if they had an opportunity to correct it, they they certainly didn't in this in this collected edition that I'm looking at either. Yeah, that this I will say this: this is the Magnus I more remember, not like kind of the mopey Magnus we got in the last issue. Mm. This is you know man of action, you know out there, you know punching robots and fighting oh, yeah. and all yeah. that. That this is the Magnus I more remember from the series. The other thing I want to mention in this is that. The other there's two other characters that really kind of stand out here. One is Peter. I am so glad to see Peter finally like take a stand and like kind of pull his own weight because he hasn't really been doing that so far in this story. And I guess I mean the 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 uh, the the uh, analogy is there, right? He's about to become a father, even though it's it's not his, but he's going to become a father, and so now he's finally manning up, you know, mm. uh, I, I, at, at the risk of sounding like a toxic male. But <laughs> oh no! And I, just call it. It's in the context, right? But so, but Peter, you know, and and the thing is, is that he is such a, like I said, a powerful character in the Valiant universe. For him to come out and make a good showing here, 
was was really cool. And then Armstrong, Armstrong is a treasure in this entire issue. Yeah. He yeah. is he is fabulous in this. Just sitting there drinking his hooch, delivering a baby, you know. <laughs> that's the most Armstrong thing you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but that's the that's the I guess that's the uh again, some something that in the midst of things that are very very serious You know, like there, there's that kind of comical aspect of, you know, essentially this big fat wino who basically <laughs> has been through, you know, thousands of pregnancies. Right. So like he's, mm. he, 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 you know, not only is he relaxed, like this happens every day. I've been through hundreds of them uh, and they were all my own kids. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, but but, you know, now he's like, dude, all right, I, I I've got this. I you know, I, I know how it how it goes down. Like this is this is how it's going to work. And, you know, there, there's something to that where he, you know, he, he's able to, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it, you know, labor is intensive, right. But, but he, he basically has enough experience where he can, he can put people at ease that haven't gone through it before because he has so much life experience. Right. And you see where, where that, like you said, that, that, that's where he becomes a treasure, right? Like, because, He's able to help these kids. And and it's interesting, too, because, you you know, you I, I mean, I know I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily put those those characters together, you know, in my mind. Right. Like like the, I, I don't know that they necessarily always fit. But in this particular instance, you're like, oh, wow, like that, you know, the, the way they explain that, the you know, kind of like what we're saying, the putting the story first you're like oh well you know now now that you sit and think about it you're like that makes a hell of a lot of sense and and like you said there's a lot of sort of subtextual things going on with with sting kind of taking uh, in some ways a fatherly role without realizing it right like 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 you know taking certain responsibility to save magnus but but that also is you know, kind of, you know, Chris nudging him in that direction, right? Like, so, so that, that all kind of works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, about my, my main kind of drawback here, it's again, similar to the first Magnus issue is the art and, you know, the, uh, the, the, the art, it's, it's Ernie Cologne and it's, it's not bad. It just looks so out of place with everything else. You know, it, in the context of unity, it just looks odd. You know, and it and it doesn't it doesn't even really look like Magnus, like the the book. It didn't. The, this is not what the book normally looked like. Mm, mm. You know, so it's like it it just looks out of place. And and again, I don't know. I got no issue with Ernie Cologne, great artist. It's just in this with this shiny paper in this story. I don't know. It does. It doesn't work for me personally. I mean, that that's a. It's always a subjective thing with the art, and that's kind of where I fall with it. And to me, that that kind of it hurts both the Magnus issues because I just the art and the other ones is so I don't want to say consistent because people take that as a as a negative, but all the art kind of uh, you know works together, whereas this one's a little bit more off on its own. Yeah, I mean it definitely like I, I could see what you're saying. The artistic style stands out among the rest. You know, like I you know I I, I don't know like it, for me I think it's it's like I can point fingers too, but I mean to to me it's it's kind of like. There, there's things about John Dixon that aren't like super duper exciting to me, 
but again, I see the storytelling there. I see why it works within the context of the larger picture. And I can see what you're saying about this, where I, I might, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily excited about this art either, but like, I don't, you know, like I, I probably don't find as much problem with it as you do, but the, the fact that it's unique among its peers, like that to me is just factual. You know what I mean? Like, like I can't, yeah. you know, that that's nothing I'd argue with. Do you know what I mean? But whether it works right. for you or it doesn't like that, like you said, is, is subjective, right? And as I said, it's, it stands out. I'll grant it that it's just, you know, I said that the, you know, Barry Windsor Smith and Bob Layton looks like valiant. This, this looks like something else entirely. You know? It's interesting again, too, because, yeah. because you could say, that Barry Windsor Smith stands out from the pack too, but that it also is uniquely valiant. And, and I could also tell you that Barry Windsor Smith are Barry Windsor Smith's art excites me. So it, it's weird how like the, all those things can converge with, with Barry Windsor Smith and none of them are of a negative context, but looking at certain artists separately, right? Like some of those things, if they're, if they're said or missing, then then in some ways that's you know, uh, you know a, a criticism, right? Like so that's interesting, yeah. right? But hey, secret origin of Magnus, yeah, you know, yeah. birth of Chris's baby. All th things are coming to a head here in the second half, yeah. And again, exactly. ending without a cliffhanger. So yeah. that, that I mean, is I mean, that is going to be. I think that 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 is clearly the trend here. Where it's like, yeah, where you know, life as you know, life gets weirder, but it keeps going on type of situation. <laughs> and I, I guess, I guess it's one of those unique opportunities because presumably, if if this is super serious with the Jim Shooter science that is always supposed to make sense, I mean, presumably, you you know, just like Gilad, like you you shouldn't really be able to occupy the same space time as your past self, but yet because they're in the lost land where time is not absolute you know what i mean like like right. then then they have this unique opportunity for for magnus to like cradle his young self which is is you know just i i i there's something about that that's like it's it's cute it's unique and it kind of tickles you but it's also kind of like you know it, it, it's a different kind of uh tickling than seeing the two gilads like be armed side by side right it's it's kind of right. like this this kind of interesting like alpha omega type thing you know to see yourself at the beginning but then there's that it's like you have the context to realize that but magnus doesn't you know so it's like you're in on a secret that he's not in on so you feel you know it's it's one of those things that like is probably by design and probably an aspect of the story that's well written, but it makes you as a reader feel special because you're in on the secret. You know what I mean? And and so you you feel like, oh yeah, I I know something that like you know even the characters in the story don't know. Right. Yeah. So you you have a you have a larger uh, or a deeper breadth of knowledge, depth of knowledge than the uh, than the the characters do, which is always fun. The Huns drove us from our homes. The Romans killed my father, imprisoned my wife, butchered my armies. But an enemy far worse, far more powerful, now comes to destroy us. The seeds of their invasion have taken root in every kingdom. 
But I, Eric of Dacia, last of the Visigoth people, will be conquered no more. I will crush this enemy. Their blood will stain my boots, and the weapon I will use to do it will be their own. Chapter 13, Exo Manowar, issue number 8. Title is Crossroads. Cover date, September 1992. On sale date, June 16th, 1992. Cover price, 225 This credit for editor goes to Jim Shooter. Writer is Bob Layton. Penciler, Mike Leak. Inker, Tom Ryder. Letterer, Ken Lopez. Colorist, Jorge Gonzalez. On Unity, day 150, Eric leads his army of scammers to steal an important device from one of Mother God's facilities. Exo encounters Rai there, also fighting with the goal to destroy the device. Since Eric would rather use the device as a bargaining chip for his personal empire, the two agree to steal the device and fight it out back at Eric's camp. Rai explains his vendetta against Mother God for the destruction of Japan. While all Rai has left is his honor and revenge, Eric tells him he must think of his warriors and his people first. Eventually, Magnus and Gilad also arrive to convince Eric to destroy the device. While Eric does not acquiesce in their presence, he knows them to be good men and destroys the device. On Unity Day 153, Eric grants Mother God an audience under the auspices of truce. While their people celebrate, Mother God offers a selection of beautiful women for Eric to bed in tribute. Eric agrees to listen to Mother God's terms in the morning and goes to his private tent with the woman called Kayla. Although Exo plans to have the Exo armor shield the both of them while they make love, Mother God uses her energy manipulation powers to lure the Exo armor away long enough for a giant T-Rex Bionosaur to break into Eric's tent. Kayla is immediately devoured, and Eric's midsection is also crushed between the jaws of the T-Rex. The Exo armor returns to its master, managing to hold his shattered body together while Eric and his army fight back against Mother God's treachery. Ultimately, all of Eric's warriors and people are slaughtered. When Eric finally comes to, on Unity Day 158, the good skin tells him it will take 10 years to reconstruct the damage done to his body. Now, like Rai, he has lost everything, even his own body, and all he has left is his honor and revenge. Yeah, this is... Yeah. God damn, this is good. Yeah. This is good. Well, once a barbarian, always a barbarian. That's my note here. You know, you take... Take the barbarian out of the ancient world, put him in a different setting. He's still a barbarian, and that's very true here. And, and the other thing is, is uh, you know, Eric does not do well with deception. You know, he he, uh, you you tell him something, he's probably going to believe you. He doesn't seem to do well with deception in general. And if you say, hey, you know, I want to I want to have peace, and uh, hey, I brought a bevy of mega bims for you to choose from. You know. And I love Eric here. These women have gladly volunteered to give themselves to the great warrior Eric. You may choose any one of them or all if you wish. It's like, <laughs> hello, 1992. Thank you for calling. You know? <laughs> hey, man, don't don't knock, uh, you know, uh, or don't put all the, the blame on 1992. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are 
plenty of uh, terribly skeevy arrangements in uh, yeah. 2020, 2022 that the same horrible fucking shit happens. So oh, yeah. there's no reason. There's no reason. Like like I've been saying with the Eternal Warrior stuff, there's no reason to throw one one particular uh, time frame under the bus. Like we yeah. we think we're uh, evolved and 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 so much better than we were, but when when it all comes down to it, the reason why I think Eric as a barbarian and Eric his 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 pureness, his honesty resonates so much with the audience that reads the comics is that he's not a bullshitter, you know, yeah. like like the, he's not he's not bullshitting you. He's telling you the truth. You might not like what he has to say. You might not like what he has to do, but he's telling you the truth. Oh yeah, you know, and 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 there's something about that that's that's certainly pure and honest. Like my my favorite line in this book, I I love because he's got the eternal monologue, and after him and Rai agree, like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna take this weapon from Mother God, and we'll we'll fight it out back at camp. I love when he says that Rai is a proud warrior. I'm honored that he has chosen to die by my hand. You know what I mean? Like like that <laughs> that that confidence, the the hubris, the the whole. You know the whole nine yards. It's just yeah. it's 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 fucking sweet and and um, I I you know and and of course I I was gonna try to um, show you this real quick. So and and this is you know of course a podcast the the great uh, visual medium that it is. But yes. the my my favorite is and and I'll I'll discuss this while I'm I'm pulling this up for you. But the man that splash page. Where he gets chomped oh my by God, the T Rex yes. is is freaking beautiful, and and so like uh, to to prove the impact it had on me, this is this is I just linked you to uh, an image I did because this is this is how I got out of doing work in school. Like this was yeah. part of my book report because I like drawing and stuff, and this was before Jurassic Park came out as a movie, so I could get away with reading Jurassic Park for my book report. And yeah. and so I just you know it was like I think I took the skull from Spawn or something like that and and I I grabbed the T Rex and then instead of it being like a naked Eric I I I was like oh this is Alan Hamilton he's an archaeologist and I just kind of gave him boots <laughs> and gloves and whatever but you know and it was supposed to be all symbolic like this is symbolic because he's you know he he can't control all these dinosaurs that are running around on the island and this represents that and the death and all that stuff so anyway <laughs> it was it, that, that that was my way of oh so i don't have to like do a whole shit ton of work and i can just do something that's actually fun for me but yeah that that splash page had had mega mega impact on me and 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 i just i mean this is so good like i i can't convey like how much like I enjoy this, and then and then that sequence where once once he's all you know bitten in half and everything, and the 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 good skin comes back to rescue him, and he starts blowing away the bionosaurs, and that that panel of him where he's trying to defend his army, and like all those like legions of kind of Roman looking douchebags, or and he's standing on the pile of bodies and blowing the one guy's head off, and zapping the one guy's stomach out and everything i mean that's just yeah. such a money shot and it's so 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 good like and then that moment where you find out like because you know it's it's funny because you know a lot of times stuff like this happens and it's like oh no big deal you know like tony stark gives uh you know 
Exo a pill and his body's fine or whatever by the next issue. It's all back to status quo. But like this is one of those things where, you know, they're like the science and the consequences and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, fine. He's got this suit and it can hold him together and preserve him. But like I loved like when I first read this, like I, I, I know ultimately how it gets resolved. But like when I first read that and the suit's like it's going to take, you know, like the the moment where he's like the suit tells him and he he's listening but you don't know what the the time frame is and then he says 10 years like right. like and you were just like i remember i read that and i was like holy fuck like what what is he going to do like i was totally <laughs> like you talk about like some of these other things didn't have uh have a a, a cliffhanger or whatever like for me like i mean i guess you could argue like he, he's he's all determined now and he's 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 definitely more in the fight you know, against Mother God than he ever was before, and and maybe it doesn't have like a conclusion, like you know, exactly like what what happens next issue, like type thing. But I mean, to me, it certainly was a cliffhanger enough where I was like, dude, how is he gonna, you know, ten years? Like I was like, and especially when like when you're young, like I think now that I'm older, right? Like ten years, I'm like, ah, oh, it's probably a blink in the eye or whatever. But like, you know, the the I think especially when I was reading it as a, you know, a young kid where I was like 11 or 12, I was like, holy, f I was like, I'll be 22 by the, you know, like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's I'll crazy. Be I'll be so old. At yeah. I'll be so, I'll be so old. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, it was, it was just, that was, that was insane. But yeah, I mean, I just, this this is one of my favorite i mean like i i said i can't i'm unabashedly you know in love you know i've got i've got a big man crush on exo and and exo issues are always always awesome and this was to to me this was like super duper awesome and i i i think like i said mike leak to me is definitive exo kind of you know the look the feel of it and everything and that that splash page where he gets chomped his money the 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 battle pages that that follow are super awesome. Like I I, I love everything about this issue. Yeah, I mean that this is this is especially putting it with the previous one, making a little two issue arc where Eric is introduced to the Lost Land and he immediately has all these ambitions about building an empire, and then here he's done it to a degree, but then all his hopes and dreams and all of his ambitions are are dashed in a couple of pages. Yeah, you know. And it's because he was deceived and it's his own fault. And he, and he knows that, you know, so now all he has left is to live for revenge. I mean, again, at 12 years old, this would have blown my friggin' mind, you know, because never mind. I mean, the fact that, you know, he, he takes Kayla, you know, and, and, and is betting her and they're, they're naked. I mean, they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're yeah. buck ass naked in there. I mean, fully embraced naked. And, you know, if not for his artfully placed arm, you know, right, that's right. Uh, that that's that's, uh, you know, uh, that's some, some Cinemax level nudity. And then, so, you know, then she gets just chomped right there in the page. It's like, oh, yikes. Yeah. yeah, you're like, and then oh. it's uh, then, you know, right after that, a little something for the ladies with the uh, <laughs> you know, the full Eric butt there. That's uh, that's uh, uh, Visigoth's ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, you know, we my wife and I we watch Outlander. That's like that's the Outlander shot. So you get Jamie's uh, ass. You know, a lot yeah, of episodes yeah, yeah. of Outlander like that. A little something for the ladies. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, for 1992, that's uh, that's a that's 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 pretty it's pretty edgy stuff. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. But this just is... from a, but even from just a story standpoint, like you say, it's a, th- these two issues make for a great little EXO story. And at the end, he's brought he is his own uh, ambitions are what you know lead to his downfall here. And again, it's like, well, how are you gonna how are you gonna get out of this? You know, your 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 army that you built is gone. You are basically being held together by your suit that is going to take a decade to knit your body back together. And, you know, you, you saw what happened when you tangled with mother God and pissed her off. What are you going to do? You know? And again, it's not a cliffhanger in the traditional comic sense, but it is, it's, it's this, it's this, this wonderful little, like I said, little two part story that gives you so much insight into Eric as a character. It's just really well done. This, this, this is a, a standout issue in a standout series. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something else you did. Without fanfare, it was introduced new characters very subtly in other books. Oh, like, yes. Like, right. Yeah. Um, the Eternal Warrior. It just, there wasn't any big premiere issue. It was just, if you missed it, you missed out, man. You got well, I, I wanted to create a situation where you got so involved in the universe that you didn't dare look away. You know, you wanted to see what was going on. And my big plan, my biggest evil plan, was uh, uh, was Shadow Man. Because in Unity, you find out that a person from the future tells Shadow Man, you're gonna die in 1999. And, uh, you know, what's he gonna do about it? Not much. So so anyway, uh, and we, you know, we plan to keep publishing these books. And people said to me, you know, that's not that far away, Jim. What if this is like a huge hit, you know, and you've promised you're gonna kill the character? And I said, for the first time in comic book history, series canceled due to death of hero. Okay, we're gonna kill it. And they said, well, how can you do that? I said, look, here's the deal. Other companies, they get a hit, and they're, they're, I don't think they know how to do it again. It's like, it, it, it seems like they act like every hit they get is a miracle. And they better hold on to it because, you know, God knows when it'll come around again. And I said, we can do it again. And if we do that, if we actually, let's say it's selling half a million copies, and then we kill them, and the series is canceled due to death of hero, who would dare look away ever again? And also, I mean, it would be like uh, such a phenomenon in comics, you know? And like I said, and then we'll do something else. And it'll be just as so, so anyway, we, we, we felt like we had a handle on it. We knew what we were doing. We had old pros and young kids who were QBs who listened to the old pros. Shadow Man 5 is chapter 14 of Unity. The cover date is September 1992. The on-sale date is June 23, 1992. The cover price is $2.50. Editor is credited as Don Perlin. Title, No Love Lost. Writer, Jim Shooter. Penciler, David Lapham. Inker, Paul Autio, I guess? Audio, I, don't know. I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm afraid I'm, I was going to end up calling him Paul Audio, but... Paul Atio, letterer George Roberts Jr., colorist Mike Cavallero. On Unity, Day 31, Jack Boniface continues his recovery inside a chamber field filled with healing fluids in the Rainbow Towers Med Center Massive Reconstruction Unit. On Unity Day 60, Jack is well enough for Elia to visit him. By Unity Day 63, Elia explains to Jack that time is not absolute outside the lost land. 
By Unity Day 101, Elia and Jack are now lovers, and by Unity Day 157, Elia reveals his future, including his eventual death in 1999. When Elia is called away to fend off attacks upon the Rainbow Tower, rather than stay locked up in her quarters, Jack dons the replica she made of his Shadow Man mask and costume and heads out to find her. After commandeering a pterodactyl ride to the dome, Shadow Man encounters Archer and Armstrong arming a bomb at the site. Shadow Man shoots Armstrong with a laser cannon from the shadows, but Archer manages to block the laser with the return fire from his crossbow. As Archer and Shadow Man fight and Armstrong climbs back up to the dome, Prince Albert and his guards arrive, causing Armstrong to carry Archer away and retreat. As the duo flee, Albert shoots at them and nearly kills Shadow Man. As Elia argues Jack is a hero of Unity, Shadow Man also disappears from view. Albert tells Mother God about Shadow Man running around the Rainbow Tower unsupervised, and she trusts Albert to handle the problem. Later, Jack returns to the home of Elia, and they share one last romantic encounter before Albert orders Elia to find Jack and bring him into custody. As Shadow Man, Jack follows Albert to the speakeasy and witnesses him beat Bunzi, a bim he had dressed up like Mother God. When Shadow Man confronts Albert, he tells him that his mother will destroy everything outside the Lost Land if unity is allowed to happen. Elia had also followed Albert, knowing she would encounter Jack as well. Albert then reaches for the blaster of a guard and tries to shoot Elia, but Shadow Man knees Albert in the face, causing him to drop his weapon. Albert, now in a panic, orders Elia to tell Shadow Man everything about Unity. After Elia confirms that all of Jack's friends will be erased, Shadow Man decides to throw his lot in with Albert and stop Mother God. Later, the two come across Archer and Armstrong for the second time in the bunker where Mother God had trapped Solar, Man of the Atom. Although Shadow Man avoids Archer's crossbow fire, Armstrong tosses a crate at the ceiling, knocking loose machinery that buries Shadow Man and knocks him unconscious. When Shadow Man finally comes to, he is horrified to see the energy dispersal coming from Mother God's reactor, because he knows he is too late and unity has begun. Yeah, the uh, my note, my main note for this one, you know, there's many sides to a story. Mm. And this is Jack's side. Yeah. You know, you know, he, he wasn't recruited. He wasn't part of the hero team. He kind of found his own way there and he's found his own way in the lost world or the lost land. And, you know, it's all jazz. Right. But in the end, it's like he says, you serve the demon, you pay the price. And that's that's kind of an interesting path because that's always kind of shadow man, the line he walks. Right. It's, you know, with especially in the modern world in the modern Valiant where he is more more directly uh, a spirit Loa, you know, a, a, a voodoo spirit, for lack of a better term, that he can serve different uh, different masters. He can walk, you know, different lines. And here he has unwittingly thrown in with Mother God and her forces because it's him and his girl that work for Mother God. Yeah. And now it's, you know, now it's him and Archer and Armstrong who make a great foil for him. But it's, you know... It's it's just really I really like that that they kept with that that he doesn't have this revelation that he needs to go and help you know Solar or anything like that he's on his own side in all of this which I really think is a good use of the Shadow Man character and I do like also that we do come back around to some of the aspects from the first issue we get back to Club Scum you know we yeah. do get the Albert abusing the the Bims and all that which was 
touched well, on in the in the first issue, the previous yeah, issue. Yeah. Again, it's his story here comes to a a close, and it's it's not not it's it's not again not a cliffhanger in the traditional sense, but it's not looking good for for Jack. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, this is another great story with great art, and I, it, you know. These are the stories that I just get lost in, you know, like that. This that kind of thing of, you know, I know you're supposed to be a podcaster and you're supposed to look at things critically or whatever. But when when I read these books, I just get lost in them. I mean, I I love the art in this. I I I I enjoy his romance with Elia, her and Jack, or 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 him and Elia. You know, like like that. I I enjoy their romance together. I I find it fascinating that like. He's able to hear a song that he's destined to write before he writes it. You know, like that that's just that 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 to me is like it's it's just a line of dialogue and it's it's you know, it it, it, it puts a spin on that uh you know, the 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 day after, you know, type thing. Yeah. Like where it's like it's like, oh, it's not just, you know, they're gonna make each other breakfast and tell each other stories and tell each other, you know, Oh, these are all the people I slept with before you. And these are all the yeah. people I slept with before you or whatever. Like, it's not, it's not that type of thing, but it's, 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 it's part of that where, you know, they're playing this song, but it's like, this is your song. Like, and I dig it. You know, I'm a fangirl of this song, but you haven't wrote it yet. You're going to write it in the future. And I, I was just kind of like, that's such a weird head trip, you know, and it's so, it, you know, it's that it, it's something that's cool. It's that science fiction, you know, kind of fantastical thing about it, you know, and like, I like that, you know, e even though I, I kind of complained about how maybe his his power set isn't quite, you know, texted, I guess, you know, like, I mean, they, they do sort of establish, you know, like when he's fighting with Archer, you know, it's, it's improvisational, his fighting style, you know, he's, he's right. fighting on the fly and the fact that jazz is improvisational, that was Engelhart's whole angle with the whole thing that, that, that those two things kind of, kind of flowed together and everything. And then, and then it's interesting what you say about, you know, it's, it's Jack's point of view of this war. And, and I, I you know, initially I think he thought the red man was the devil and now he's realizing that Mother God is the devil, and 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 he's got that that cool line of dialogue where he's like, "Serve the demon, pay the price," you know, and right. and like and 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 it, it's interesting because that not only applies to the people that he fights in this issue, but it applies thematically to himself. It applies thematically to Albert, you know, like it, it applies to basically everyone in the issue right like like yeah. like elia serves the demon right and she pays the price do you know what i mean like like right you know it's like it's like all those all those things you know apply to to every character thematically and and i think this is the point where like for me i i always thought of albert as a dimensional character and also <laughs> I guess j just being honest between me and you, like like there's plenty of things I've done in my life that I was not super proud of, right? And right. and I remember yeah. during during those periods, one of the shows that I ended up watching, and and I have a very I, I imagine I don't know maybe I'm wrong maybe everybody's a, a scumbag or something like that, but <laughs> I, I I'm like I'm like I imagine I have a very unique perspective on 
the Battlestar Galactica reimagining because when I watched that for the first time, I totally related to Baltar mm -hmm. because of a bunch of shit I had gone through. And he's not a good person, right? Like no. he betrays the, the entire species. Like he, he basically uh, is a participant in genocide and all this other stuff. And I, I feel like that development of that, I mean, I would compare Albert and Gaius Baltar in the reimagining, like they, they are similar character archetypes. Right. And, and in, in this issue, I think this is the point of no return, right? Like I think had he been dimensional and had he needed help and had he been established as, you know, somebody who, you know, had had been abused and 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 then was passing some of the abuse on, if that was something that could be corrected, right? Like where he could stop the break the chain and and he could get help and all that kind of stuff, then it's something that, you know, you might think of as a good thing, but the fact that he dresses people up like his mom to not only beat them to death, but then later, if they talk shit, he doesn't want them to talk shit and he kills them over it. Like yeah. that's to, to me, that's like he purpose, you know, he purposely goes and kills them like and, and that ties in heavily to the kind of, I guess, wrongs that Shadow Man would typically write, whether it's a a cosmic level story like this, or just kind of a street level story. So, yeah. so it, it works very well within the context of this book one way or the other. And it, and it's just one of those things where you, you know, that, that, that I think, I guess earns, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to jump too far ahead, but, but I, I, I think his actions earn him his, his final fate, you know, yeah. like the fact that, that him, you know, trying to, you know, cover up his, I don't know, his, his predilections or his, his perversions or, you know, whatever, you know, his murder basically, right? Like his, his killing of these, right. these women, right? Like after he's, he's had his way with them and, and expunged his demons, I guess the demon that he served, right? Like he can't, he can't take out his frustrations on her. So he takes these frustrations out on, on these other other women and, and, and slowly like, you know, beats them to death. Right. And, and, and that's why you have, you know, the, the sequence in that rise zero, we talked about where Jeff falls into his little, you know, little tunnel full of bones and all this other weird stuff that he's covered up over the years, you know? So it's like, you find out he's, he's much more, the, the more of the layers you peel back, you know, the much more depraved he becomes and the less, you're inclined to relate to such a person, right? Like, so it's like, it's like, you you know, at the outset, the first time you see the banana, you might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a banana too, you know, like, and then you keep peeling the banana, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, holy crap, that banana is full of termites and, and, and uh, evil, you know, and you're like, right. I'm, yeah. I'm nothing like that banana. Like that's, that banana is terrible. Like Shadow Man should beat the hell out of them and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's like, and then, and then this, I think takes the, uh, you know, we, we talked about it before, but I, I wrote down all the, the terminology and stuff, but it's like th this takes the uh, the North Am speak, you know, to its height. You know, Albert's a sleaze weasel, you know, lizard licking bims, fun fun, love yum, mellow vapor, rubby rub, kiss kiss, twisty, breaky, flute, yeah. 
you know, like flutey flute, you know, like all that kind of, you know, future speak, <laughs> you know, that that's that's crazy and everything, you know, so like that's that's cranked up to the nines for whatever reason that that reminds me a lot of uh, Warriors of Plasm, too, which was also a, a shooter Lapham collaboration, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's it kind of goes beyond the pale here. I mean, and that that whole sequence of him. Uh, you know, hiring the girl and then dressing her as Erica and then, you know, I mean, and, and it's done. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say this and not sound like a complete asshole. It's done about as tastefully as you can do something that awful. Uh, right. Cause they, they, they don't, I mean, I mean, mostly it's left to your imagination, which is the worst, you know, like that, that, that that's much better than, you know, it, it, it's the difference between, you know, I don't know, seeing the Joker cut his face off and then and then it's physically right there on the page. So so it doesn't leave anything to the imagination and it's 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 grotesque and gruesome and all that stuff. Whereas this, I think, right, you, you see, you know, some violence and and what mostly it is, is the look of horror on her face, you know, right. that 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 sells the 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 kind of atrocity that's about to take place. Right. And then from there, it's like they reemphasize that by having Jack, you know, sort of watch this from the skylight. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and he's got the same horrified look on his face where it's like, you know, that that's, you know, that that's what sells it. You're not actually, you know, seeing, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's not HBO Spawn, right? Like right. it's it's yeah. it's just you know it's 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 more like you're just kind of you know seeing you know it's 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 more it's more uh, you know Greek chorus kind of you know somebody's looking to the side of the stage going oh my god look at what Albie is doing you know and 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 if you're yeah. a really good actor like David Lapham is making these characters right then it then it sells that that horrific event more so than any. Uh, stage squibs could ever do right like so that's 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 right. kind of yeah. what it is yeah the thing it reminded me of early in right after the like the post-crisis flash like early in the wally west run there's a story and i'm trying to remember what the context was but there's a story of a it's a husband and wife and and it's it's an abusive relationship and there was one that always stuck with me where we see like them arguing in the house and then it cuts to the outside of the house. And there's like the traditional superhero sound effects mm. to show, you know, the husband assaulting the wife. And to me, that always was like just a corny and tasteless way to do mm. that. Mm. You know, I get why you do it that way, but it's like, that didn't really age well. Whereas this again, it's a horrible thing, but there's no mistaking like you say, from the the look on on her face, there is absolutely and look on Jack's face. There's no mistaking anything about this. Oh and yeah, it's yeah. done, but it's done in a way that it's this horrible thing. But it's done in again the most tasteful way you can portray that, you know. But it's like you say, it's it's come to a head here. It's been building and building and building all this stuff we've heard about these things Albert has done. Now we're seeing it. Yeah, and like you alluded to, we're going to see some more of it. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, you, uh, mo most men will tell you their bad intentions if you listen. Right. And, uh, that's, that's what we've gotten here. 
And uh, yeah, it's don't worry, folks. It's it's only going to get worse until it gets better. So, <laughs> so what I, I at Marvel was more like conducting the orchestra, and and right. at, at my subsequent companies, Valiant, where I like I said, I wrote almost everything, including the ads and the uh, the promo copy and the solicitations and everything else you got. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I almost all of it. So I was the machine that made the product. Right. Right. And also, I mean, I was art directing the, the artists and, and, um, and the colorists and everybody. Is, so I, I was the machine that made the product. Define, that makes sense, uh, especially since you've owned the company. Yeah. You want to make sure that everything comes out good. Well, and also, we didn't have any money to hire anybody. So if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. Right, That's sure. why I actually drew a couple stories, because uh, couldn't find an artist that we could afford. Uh, everybody that we could afford was busy a couple of times, right. and so I would draw it. Uh, uh, I, I'm not a great artist, but I'm, I can I can tell the story. I can storyboard it, right. and then lay it out reasonably okay. And then if you have a really good anchor, like well Bob Layton, for instance, at at, at Valiant, uh, I did that at Marvel a couple times too, and I had uh, uh, like anchors like Jim Mooney. If you have somebody like that who can you know, fix your little mistakes, then, then it's, uh, that's, that's, you know, that you can get away with it. I signed, uh, you, I used a pseudonym, uh, Paul Credic. So if you see the name Paul Credic on something, I did some covers. Okay. I, I did, I did some, um, a couple of interiors. Uh, the only thing is there was a mistake. We had the credits put in by the printer on the first issue of Rye, the flip book. And uh, they put the wrong credits on the Rye story. They said Paul Credit, and it was actually David Lapham. Uh, okay. And he was very disappointed because that was his first superhero work. Oh. And he expected to see his name there. And, you know, in, in a way, it was the printer's fault because they stripped in the wrong credits. We told them what the credits were. Right. <clears throat> and, um, but they were so used to doing this way, they accidentally did it. Yeah, but they, they accidentally used, used the, the Paul Credit credit. And, uh, in a, in a way, it was my fault because that that book kind of went down to the wire. We were always on time. We never missed the deadline, but because Deadlines it went down to the wire, we, we yeah. sent the book off to the printer without the credits. Called them up and said, "This is what we wanted to say. Strip it in," and because uh, they can do that, you right. know. And so um, they were happy to do it. They just did it wrong. Well, so if I we, if I hadn't if the book hadn't been down to the wire, which I guess is my fault, uh, we probably would have gotten it right. But you know. David Lapham was a man. He got over it, you know, yeah. and then he did plenty more. So his name's everywhere. Now, those of you at home, if you don't know who Bob Layton is, uh, Bob Layton is the man responsible for bringing back Iron Man. He also did a few other things. He was the editor in Magnus Robot Fighter versus Predator. I actually met him at Fan Fusion back in 2014. Actually, great guy. He's actually really down to earth, and I thought he was a very sweet guy. Uh, he's always been that way. No, he he uh, <laughs> he was part of the. He, he got paid off by the people who stole Valiant from me, and yeah, he he was uh, he stabbed me in the back, and uh, and he got paid quite a bit of money for it, you know. And uh, uh, when they when they did this, uh, he uh, you know he, they they needed him to sort of run the the bullpen, the office. They brought in they they made Barry Windsor Smith the president, so they'd have a big name. Like me, I'm supposedly a big name, right. but they wanted to have a big name figurehead. They brought Barry in for that. They eventually let him go because they didn't need him anymore. Um, 
and uh, they also paid off John Hart's, the, the marketing guy, to stay. Quite a bit of money. I mean, we're, we're talking six figures and more than that. See, normally as a fan, that I didn't know that actually until. Well, how would you? Yeah. But read the Forbes article. But at any rate, um, which I'm so glad they did that because it codified it, and it's Forbes. They're not telling my side. They're right. they did their research. They they fact check. They they did whatever they could. Um, but at any rate, no. So I, I I have not a whole lot of respect for Bob. He basically, you know, sold me out to the bad guys. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, and the P.S. on on, on Valiant, uh, when we were struggling at the beginning, uh, uh, we had. Uh, uh, the, the people who were funding us, before we were really, uh, sort of February 92 is where we really started making money. But up until then, and even after then, uh, uh, the, the people who were funding us, they wanted to cut the costs to the bone because we were losing money. Right. Um, and uh, they wanted me to like fire a whole bunch of staff people, including Bob Layton. And uh, uh, he, he was an inker. But he, 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 he actually uh, sort of took the job of, of organizing the lettering, paste-up people, which he was very good. He was very good at that. Um, and uh, that originally, I had wanted Don Perlin to do that. But Don would rather sit at the drawing board and do art. And, yeah. and, and, and Bob did a lot of inking, but he also you know, sort of ran the bullpen. Uh, but, but at any rate, uh, uh, they wanted me to cut down uh, the staff, and I said I can't do that because you need a certain uh, critical mass. You have to have a marketing guy. You have to have production people. You yeah. you know you can't just say oh we'll get rid we'll, we'll take it down to four people and you can do everything. No, you can't. Um, you know if you're a, a, a little indie publisher, maybe because you're not dependent on venture capital money. Right. You know. You know that, I think more in comic books, there's more of a specialized. Well, you need certain. You need a. You needed a certain critical mass. Yeah. So the. So the. The. The deal they offered me was, all right, if we assign a value to everything people do, mm. and they earn enough money, to make their quota. In other words, to pay for themselves. Right. Okay. And and um, the, the thing is that they, they assign no value to anything like uh, uh, managing the bullpen. Mm. Right. Nothing. So the only things that had values were actual things that you would usually be freelance, uh, 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 writing, uh, penciling, uh, inking, lettering, coloring, and and then I convinced them that no editing would also be, you know, something. Right. Now I was writing everything and I was editing everything and I was uh, you know managing a lot of this, the stuff and doing the business you know uh, and working on the marketing and and. Uh, you know, was was the I was the CEO and I was doing a lot of stuff. I was putting in so many hours that even though I was the highest paid person there, right. I was beating my quota by more than double. Okay. Nice. In other words, I was paying for myself and then paying again. So, the guy who was uh, the venture capitalist spy at our place. Uh, they put a financial guy in just to sort of keep track of us. Oh. It, it, was, it wasn't a, uh, a bad guy. And he, right. he, he sa I, I, I said, you know, and every month, Bob Layton would fall short. J.J. Jackson would fall short. Sometimes Jade Mady, Don Perlin even, they would fall short of their quota because a lot of stuff they did wasn't, uh, you know, uh, didn't count. Right. Right. So what the financial guy, was, you know, he, I have to respect this. He, he was nice about it. He allowed me to take some of my overage 
and cover their other the other people's quotas. Okay. And so when you see credits like editor JJ Jackson, she never edited anything. She but but I gave her editorial credit so that they wouldn't fire her. And and same with Layton. And That's the same, awesome. And the same with Jay Mady and and even Don sometimes. Don usually he was a god. He was industrious. He he, he usually made his his numbers. But, but that's why you'll see credits at, at, at uh, value that don't make a whole lot of sense. Right. <laughs> you know? But, uh, you know, it's like somebody somebody needs some more money on their quota. Okay, you, you edited Rye, you know. <laughs> so. Well, speaking of getting worse, Chapter 15, Rye mm -hmm. 7. Cover date, September 1992. On sale date, June 22nd, 1992. Cover price, 225. Editor is credited as Don Perlin. Title, Sacrificial Spirit. Writer, Jim Shooter. Penciler, Joe St. Pierre. Inker, Catherine Bollinger. Letterer, George Roberts, Jr. Colorist, Mark Cesar. Unity Day 12. Rye continues to fight Mother God's forces, bringing himself closer to death's door every time. Magnus pleads with Rye to think of their resistance group as his people now, and to continue to live and work with them. Meanwhile, in the bedchamber of Mother God, Erica reminds Albert of her plan to use the reactor she is having built to rip a hole in space-time so she can manipulate its energy and shape the universe to her liking. When Erica asks to spend the day with Albert, he tells her he needs to visit a friend of his in the med center. When Albert reaches the underground infirmary in sub-level 169, we see his quote-unquote friend is one of the bims from the speakeasy named Bunzi that he actually sent to the infirmary. Albert rants and raves about his abuse from Mother God, trying to justify his perverse need to beat women that did not have godlike powers. He then reveals that Mother God is not actually his mother, but a doppelganger from another time space that kidnapped him and made him her lover. He tells Bunzi he needs to kill Erica before she can implement unity. Having said too much, Albert rips out her life support and kills her. Unity Day 14. Ryan and Magnus catch up with the Eternal Warrior and the Harbinger Kids. They engage some robs, and Rai quickly destroys them. Unity Day 40, Rai is leaping out of his own infirmary bed to head back into battle when Magnus stops him. He'd rather Rai work with the group than die a feudal death without them. Magnus also takes this opportunity to confess to Rai that before they left for the Lost Land, he'd had a confrontation with Grand One that ended in her death. Rai bows before Magnus and tells him his sword is at his service for the moment but once they defeat Mother God, he would kill Magnus and then himself. Unity Day 105. Rye and Sting are very close to breaching the Rainbow Tower and confronting Mother God. However, Sting is distracted with Chris's pregnancy and gets hit from behind. Rather than sacrifice the boy for the opportunity to fight Mother God, Rye thinks to himself Magnus would want him to retreat and save the boy. Sting flies them out of the complex to fight another day. Unity Day 158, Magnus briefs the group that Mother God is less than two hours away from activating her reactor. Jeff and Magnus are convinced that their only option is to attempt to rescue Solar to stop Mother God. 46 minutes later, the group has snuck into the complex through a secret entrance, but the alarm eventually sounds once they get to the central reactor. While Jeff whispers to the proud door made of fused neutrons to let them pass, Rye must hold off an army of robots coming down the hallway. As Sting attempts to free Solar from his prison, a blinding sunlight washes over Rye that turns out to be Mother God herself. 
As they fight, Rai manages to slice Mother God with one of his energy swords, but Mother God just unloads on the guy, incinerating his flesh until nothing remains but a charred and singed skeleton. However, Mother God senses that Rai's sacrifice allows for Solar's freedom. Although Mother God continues on with her plans for unity, moments later we see Albert grab one of Rai's discarded energy swords, saying that he's got to kill her. And that is Rye issue number seven, chapter fifteen of Unity. Yeah, pretty pretty major issue here with what yeah. you know. It it's uh, set, the death of Rye, and it's like, yeah, how yeah. can this be? How can this be right now? I mean, this book is one of the the most popular and successful books they have, and it wasn't like they hyped it that this, but you know, I mean, Mother God flays him. You know, right on, right on, on panel there. Yeah, know? right, right down to the bone, man. Uh, like that's, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of alluded to it before, but you know, uh, again, I'll, I'll just reiterate or reemphasize, like Rye is, is not just the Hal Jordan of this, but he's also the Barry Allen. I mean, he, right. he loses, he loses his city or he loses his country, and, and then he loses his life. I, I feel like it's worth going into like, I mean, there is some backstory that you probably don't have context for with the whole tension between Ryan Magnus. If you're just reading, I mean, I, I suppose if you follow your example, right? Like if you were reading Magnus, then you read the Rye flip books and then presumably you're reading Rye and Magnus. And then if you read unity, you'd understand the context of this. But if you were, maybe reading only Eternal Warrior and you decided to venture out and read the other chapters, you might not have any context for their kind of the the, the dramatic tension between the two characters. Like and and I had to sort of refresh myself because I was like, oh yeah, okay, so the grand one is a combination of Magnus's mentor A1 and grandmother who is Rise basically she's the very reason for a rise existence, you know, like they're they're the rise are a lineage of fighters that are made to defend grandmother and grandmother is again, an artificial intelligence that basically takes care of all the citizens of Japan in 4001 AD. And at right. some point the two, like there was some virus cause there were the anti grannies and the anti grannies hated that granny, ran Japan and they wanted humans to be in charge of human affairs. And so they, they, they introduced a virus, but the virus happened to be from the spider aliens so they can invade. So solar could stop them and all this kind of stuff. And long story short, because of that virus, the only way to save grandmother was for Magnus's mentor, a one to put some of his free will robot circuits into grandmother and then they became this merged form which they dubbed the grand one and you'd think everybody would live happily ever after but then like later on because of all the kind of i guess dramatic turns and tensions that went on in magnus at some point the grand one was kind of like the the previous robot in the last chapter tulpa or whatever was was executing humans and then magnus basically had to do his robot fighter kung fu and like chops her head off and you know basically he's confessing to rai he's like look i've i've killed our paternal figures 
And Rai's basically like, okay, Japan's dead. Like, my kid's dead. My wife's dead, as far as he knows. You know, I, I have no honor. Like, and and also you're telling me, you know, you killed my grandma, my artificial grandma. So I'm basically like, once we kill Mother God, I'm killing you, and I'm killing myself. Like, right. and that's yeah. what he's telling him. And I, I think if you... If you didn't, you know, the reason why I went through all that is because, you know, if 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 you were just coming to this cold, you you don't really have all that context. Yeah, right. And they they refer to it a little bit in the uh, in the first issue, but but not really, you know. I mean, I kind of I kind of take Rye as as you know what it really. I mean, I know I compared it to you know the in terms of the event, right? I compared it to Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. The guy loses his country and his life, but I also feel like in terms of his his the way he's written, he's he's a he's such a tortured character, and it reminds me of like the original Starlin run on Warlock. Do you know what I mean? Where where yeah, where by the end right. of it, Warlock's like, I welcome death. Like I'm I, I want I want release from this suffering, basically. So it's it's more of a you know, it it it, it, it I, I guess in some ways, you know, it's like it's interesting because you know, I guess Flash, it it's a little different, right? He like sacrifices himself to save the whole universe, right? Like like where I, this is a sacrifice for a larger play, but you know, to release solar, but I, I feel like there's something in him where there's some sense of, you know, happiness or release where it's like, he's, he's glad to be over, you know, like mm -hmm. where he, he, you know, it was some, it, it just seemed like no matter where he turned or what, uh, uh, what any other new information he uncovered, it just led to, you know, to, to, to him wanting death even more you know right. like yeah yeah not nothing was gonna nothing was gonna satisfy him except the end at that point so you know and and the thing with rye is he's such a thoughtful character you know that that he you know it's it's very uh, he's a thoughtful character that still can generate weapons and loves to fight so there's there's a lot of action but there's it just it's always been that interesting juxtaposition that you have this you know character that has a, a kind of a, a running monologue with himself that's not just surface level it really is fairly involved and he has a lot of you know he talks about you know his ancestors and his purpose and all this but end of the day it's it's still he's got to go kill mother god and he fails and so it's it's really it, it's a it's it's like i said rye is a, is a very fascinating character because you look at him you think oh this guy's just going to be another guy in the just swords fighting robots but there's so much to him, you know, and this this one does a good job, I think, of of showing that as well, you know, and even even as he dies, we're wondering, OK, well, where the hell do we go from here? You know? Yeah. 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 You you, you know, you, you do have that, you know, again, it's it's it, it does have an interesting sort of conclusion or cliffhanger that that compels you to find you want to find out more. And then, you know, the, I, I guess the, the other thing for context that to me is interesting about Rye was. You know, initially, he not only did he not want to follow in his father's footsteps as, as being the next Rye, but he didn't want that for his son either, you know? Yeah. And so, it, you know, th there's that part of me that's got like, you know, 
Dante from Clerks in the back of my head, you know, like uh, his original arc was, I'm not even supposed to be here today, yeah. you know, like, like, like as, as Rye, right. I'm, I mean, I'm trying to make light of it, but you know, it goes from that to, to him, you know, making the ultimate sacrifice and, 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 and he, he does become committed to honor and the tradition and Japan and, you know, everything. And, and, and then what the tragedy of it all, I guess, is under his watch, all those things, to, from his perspective, all sort of fall apart, right? Like so. Yeah, right. He doesn't. He doesn't really succeed at any of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You. You can see if if he could uh, go back and talk to his dad, he'd be like, "Sir, you shouldn't have made me fucking rye." <laughs> like, look at look at what happened. <laughs> yeah. my, my favorite uh, story sequence I did probably was uh, Harbinger number one through seven which was with artist David Lapham, who's a genius, and, and it was like such, a, such a pleasure working with him. And he, he was one of those guys who he'd give you everything you asked for and then little touches to, to make it even better. Uh, so he's like George the kind of guy that went beyond and above. Yeah, yeah, like George Perez or Don Perlin. I mean, he really, he understood what you wanted, he gave you everything you wanted, and then he'd find little touches to put in that, that you know, an expression of somebody in the background. Or and I like the artists, uh, like who who understand acting. I mean, some 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 artists, a few, yeah. they have like three expressions, you know, mm -hmm. like like uh, swearing vengeance and you know, uh, uh, in pain, and you know, they only have yeah. a couple of uh, tricks tricks in their in their bag. But uh, guys like uh, that I mentioned before. Um, and Barry Windsor-Smith, I mean, they, they, they can convey emotion and they can, they can make you feel it. And, and that's, that's like gold. That's, that's wonderful. Harbinger, number nine, chapter 16. Cover date, September 1992. On sale date, June 23rd, 1992. Cover price, $2.50. Editor is credited as Don Perlin. Title, Children of Destiny. Writer, Jim Shooter. Plotter, penciler, David Lapham. Inker, Gonzalo Mayo. Letterers, Jade Moe, George Roberts Jr. A multitude of colorists, Maurice Fontenot, Janet Jackson, David Kleistek, Jorge Gonzalez, Paul Audio, Carol Van Hook. We catch up from Unity Day 157 to Unity Day 158 and find out how Sting helps to free Solar from his prison. Within unreality, Sting finds himself succumbing to despair and doubt as Solar did, but he fights past those feelings, and the two of them are released. While this occurs, some robs breach the bunker where Chris and her baby are and bring her to a jail cell at the Rainbow Tower. As Solar and the group, now joined by Exo Man of War, make one last effort to stop Pierce, Sting senses that Chris is nearby and rescues her and the baby. Sting says his farewells to Chris and rejoins the Eternal Warrior and the others. As Mother God's reactor ignites, it looks like Solar and all of reality will be destroyed. Before that happens, Jeff finds Chris and tells her that she has got to give him the baby. Yeah, so uh, things are starting to come to a head here. Momentum is uh, starting to build up. Yeah, we're um, not uh, we're not jumping around so much. This is this is kind of uh, you know getting to the the nitty gritty of everything. Yeah, well, you know, it's um, between uh, the last so the last few issues we've had 
right? I mean, uh, so between Rye and Harbinger, and then the next one is Solar. These are the characters that, in one sense, are more central to the story. Yeah. And so that's why their books are coming. That's why they came closer to the midway point, and that's why they're coming now at the end. Because now we, like I said, we're, we're building up some momentum as we're, we're moving towards the conclusion. And we've got the beginnings of the, of the end here, you know, where we see Solar getting uh, Solar and, and uh, Mother God in battle. We see the release of energy. And like you said, but Jeff coming to, to see Chris. This, this, is, this is where I was saying that, you know, Jeff is back on the next day. And yes. we don't really know why. As you say, that go, go read your ride number zero to, to find out that story. I do like that again, where it, it, it's, you know, the Harbinger kids, they kind of have their own, their own goals and their own uh, uh, needs here. So we do spend a good amount of time with, with Chris, which I like, because that's the main story is Chris giving birth. Right. So I, I do like, I like this issue. It's just, this is uh, th this one. It, it reminds me of very much like Rye in that a lot of things are starting to come to a head and both of them seem to have a cliffhanger. You know, because now, like I said, everything is everything's really kind of rushing forward as we're getting closer to the end. The art here is fantastic. There's so yeah. many great bits of coloring here, so many nice explosions and just light sources and stuff. I really do like this. And again, Sting being a bit more just building on from the Magnus issue. Sting is now, uh, you know, Peter Stanchek is more active and stepping up. You oh know? yeah. So that's it's 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 a really it's it's a good progression, and again uh, taking it as a two-parter with the first one, the first issue of Harbinger from Unity, it's a nice change. Where in that one, you know, they the 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 kids were kind of on their own, doing their own thing. We don't want to be involved. We don't want to deal with this. You know, we're we're very concerned about Chris's pregnancy. And now it's like, you know, Peter is front and center. They're all part of Unity right now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in terms of, of the art commentary, again, I I really like David Lapham. I think he, you know, the the acting of his of his characters, you know, is odd point. Uh, the images are, are very beautiful to look at. And then also in terms of what you're saying about the coloring and since there's this litany of colorists, I'm not sure exactly who to credit and or praise, but unreality has such a cool and unique color scheme like i i it's like there's a logic to it but it looks nothing like reality and i yes. just I, I i just dig the way that that turns out and everything my other note is to our good buddy dr bill and and th that that was kind of like i feel like if dr bill had read the 15 first pages of this he might be just as mad as when he read the last issue of House of X, Powers of X, you know, because there's a yeah. lot of that that overlap, you know, like, I mean, it's like we, we you know, it, 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 I think it's important for readers of, say, Harbinger, right? Like if, if 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 you go from that vantage point of, you know, you know, maybe they they weren't reading the issue of Magnus. Well, you get filled in that. You know, Chris went through childbirth and gave birth to the child and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you, you get filled in on how the, the rest of the team makes its assault and, and goes into free solar. But, you know, again, like some of this stuff is, you know, just like, like their whole, I guess, raison d'etre. You know, the, the, the vantage point is just unique to, you know, 
I guess the the Harbinger book, right? And you get to see things from a different angle. I mean, I'm I'm usually happy with it, especially when it's somebody like David Lapham or Barry Windsor Smith. Like, if if they do a redo, I'm kind of like, ooh, cool. Like like an artist that I'm genuinely excited about having another take on things. And since you weren't as uh, keen on on like the the Ernie Cologne, you know, Magnus stuff. I, I I would suspect you probably would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I like this take on that. Those similar scenes better in this one, but it's still right, right. again that this just looks more, again looks more traditional. What I think of for Valiant for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I said, I, it's it's exciting stuff because now like I said everything's starting to build to a head, and then you realize, oh wait, the next one is Solar. And then, and then it's Unity One, so it's like everything is really coming to a head here. Yeah, and this it's is like this is kind of, of yeah. what the the penultimate issue, I guess, almost like yeah. like like or at least penultimate of the the tie-in issues. You know, not counting the the Unity sort of uh, you know prologue and epilogue issues or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, and but it's like we're starting to see Erica's stuff, all her planning and everything that we've been hearing about. And we say, it, and it seems like a lot because it's been 16 issues, but this has all been, you know, in less than two months yeah. that all these have been coming out. You've been hitting them one after the other, boom, 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 you know. And that that's that's the other thing too is that because it, even though at 18 issues they all come out within I think nine weeks, you know, so there's a lot of momentum to the story if you're going to the comic shop every week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is good. I just, I, I guess, I just don't have a whole hell of a lot to say about it because it's, it's, it's the kind of, you know, like you say, it's leading up to the conclusion. The, I think the art's great. I, you know, I, I, I do enjoy all the, the connected Walt Simonson covers. You know, like so. I mean, and 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 I, I do uh, appreciate the the reinterpretation of certain scenes, especially when it's when it's David Lapham. So that's that that's basically. All, all I have on the the issue itself. Right. Yeah, it was there was an excitement with Valiant. We did get Wizard Magazine. That was that was a, a big influence on everybody. Wizard Magazine would talk about this strange American pop culture that was becoming incredibly popular in the '90s because of you know the Death of Superman and, and all the gimmicks and and uh, the baseball market, baseball trading card market coming into comics. So there was a excitement. There was like electricity, and more so it seemed to be on Valiant. And then as you started reading the books, there was something a little bit deeper, at least to my 12-year-old psyche, with those books. They seem to be touching issues that um, were ignored and other things promoted to someone of that age. So in Ex Manowar, for instance, there's a man who's out of time who's tackling issues of, of how the world has changed. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? He's holding a mirror. His barbaric nature holds a mirror up to our society. And it gets you thinking about why do we act the way we do? Is that the best course of action? So it was just it was an interesting dynamic at the same time you've got guys beating each other up. Which is you've got, fun. You've got... A, a, a great issue there, X06. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, all those early issues. Yeah. There's just something that grabs you about each of them. But other than that, considering your your early Valiant collecting as a whole, do you have a favorite issue or story? Yes, yes, I do. But it's it's interesting. I didn't I didn't get to read it until until several years later. So there weren't any comic shops in Hong Kong. So the first one opened, I think, around the time Bloodshot One hit the stands. And we were able to get all the books from that, but we never got the early Valiant books, the ones that really built the company, the pre-Unity issues. And it wasn't until I came to the U.S. Uh, to go to USC that I was able to jump onto eBay, and at that point nobody was looking at the Valiant books, so they were, they were crazy cheap. 
and I read Magnus, mm-hmm. Robert Fine, the first, the first Arthur Bell I put on, the first story, the, yeah. the first Magnus story. And it was so fascinating because it starts exactly where, and I didn't know this at the time, but it starts where Russ Manning left off. Yeah. Where you have... So uh, it was basically, it basically started like it was number 22. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and the archetypes are the same. You have a, a, a kind of archetypal hero in Magnus who isn't very complex. Leisure is simply the damsel in distress. The, the villains are mustache twirling. The, the, the evil robots are evil. And then over the course of four issues, everything changes and the characters evolve. It was a very smart thing they did. They didn't reboot it. They just evolved it over one arc. Without, without contradicting what had come before. Yes, yes. To me, that, that makes it much more compelling because yes. they're not rejecting what was before. Yes, and you're going on the journey with them. So you, from Magnus's point of view, you see him as the, the savior of, of humanity, and then you start to question it, and then he starts to question it. And then you start to change your opinion, and he starts to change your, his opinion. It's a very, very difficult thing to do in, in, in storytelling, but, but they did a great job. They did. So what's the story with Unity? Right, Unity, no, we can't say. We can't say. Unity, Unity was uh, a giant, it's, it's considered the best Valiant story. It's a giant 18-part crossover back in the day um, that involved all the characters, and it really was the tipping point for Valiant when the entire industry started looking at Valiant and, and a slew of new fans came in. So our Unity is decidedly not that. It's not an 18-part crossover event where the entire universe comes together. It's something that I think when people hear what it is, they're gonna get very, very, very excited, and they're gonna say, of course. Why didn't we think to do that? Because that's my reaction when I, when I heard the idea. Chapter 17, Solar, Man of the Atom, issue 13. Cover date, September 1992. On sale date, June 23rd, 1992. Cover price, 225. Editor is credited as Bob Layton. Title, Dreams That You Dare. Writer, Jim Shooter. Penciler, Don Perlin. Inker, Stan Drake. Letterer, Jade Mode. Colorist, Mike Cavallaro. Solar is trapped in an endless loop, reliving the mistakes of his origin until Peter Stanchek breaks the loop and helps him escape from the cincher wormhole. After killing Rye and sensing the others had freed Solar, Mother God activates her reactor. Albert sneaks in one of Rye's energy swords and stabs Mother God with it. This doesn't kill Mother God, but lowers her defenses long enough for Solar to enter the complex. Solar still tries to reason with Erica, but she continues to shred time and space, forcing Solar to confront her physically. As Jeff screams to the two Gilads that the Earth is dying, Mother God dumps Solar into the center of the reactor. She blames her father for his abuse and Solar for rejecting her advances. Finally, she manages to tick Solar off. The anger gets Solar past his fear and guilt, and he decides that if anyone around here is going to be God, that it's going to be him. He points out her treatment of Albert makes her just as twisted and depraved as her father. He defeats her in a spectacular explosion of power and traps her within the same cincher wormhole. However, Solar still must figure out how to shut down the reactor, shredding all of space and time. Meanwhile, within the cincher wormhole, Erica is forced to relive the abuse of her father and his death for the rest of her days. And that is chapter 17 of Unity, Solar Man of the Atom, issue number 13. Yeah. So first things first, this cover, this is one of the best solar covers of the entire run, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, I love the colors on it. I love the figure work on it. 
You got uh, Solar and Mother God there. It's just wonderful. Wonderful yes. cover. Yes. So my note here, you know, TB Fate, the big fight at the end. I, I like that we are we start this story with Solar's shortcomings, you know, and the his his failure repeating, you know. And it's a great bit from a it using the visual storytelling where uh, you know, pages two and three repeat the panels. I mean, they're literally just repeated yeah. until you get to panel four, and then there's Peter opening the door. Now, Peter is here, and now in his own memories, Solar is seeing Peter interjecting himself. I think that is that is fantastic. That is such a great use of, again, the visual medium where you can make something, you can literally just make the panels identical and then change them just a little bit like that. So it's really, really good. And even and and what I love is even when after Peter shows up, the panels stay the same, the same setting, the same action. It's just now he's there, and now Solar's changing to look at him, type of thing. You know the the I said, and here even the other thing I like about this, even now after all of this, after months and months of fighting her, Solar still doesn't want to fight Erica. He doesn't want to hurt her. You know, that's that's just not his thing. He's still looking to, you know, to to reason with her and talk to her. And he even says at one point, I, I don't want to fight Erica, please. You know, but it's all all the same. He's forced to. And then, like you say, at the end of it, now she's trapped and reliving her her traumas. And it's like, OK, well, for a guy that didn't want to fight that's a pretty cruel fate that she now has to suffer. But, you know, it becomes a question of, well, that was what she had done to him. Does, does Erica deserve that? You know, how much of, how much of her actions is because of her own trauma and how much of it is that she's brought on herself. It's, it's, it really does kind of fit the valiant mold here in that. Yes. There are superhero characters. Yes. There's action. There's super heroics. There's melodrama, but there's character. And they're characters that are consistently portrayed and raise a lot of questions on some of them. And, you know, this this conflict between Solar and Mother God, two very flawed individuals, both of whom seem to think that they know better, but only one of them has even a modicum of, you know, understanding that, hey, maybe I'm not the best person for the job. Maybe I really don't have, you know, everything, everything here. Even that. You've, you've got this conflict and it's it's just it's so well realized and again the art is just fantastic the coloring is amazing especially in the, the last few pages with uh, all the energy being released just a just a i mean again if this is the penultimate one it's like where the hell do you go from here yeah i mean i i think it's worth talking about because we we haven't seen too much don perlin in unity but don perlin worked on solar you know alongside you know uh, barry windsor smith did the alpha and omega sort of i guess in between chapters and everything but for the the day-to-day solar comics you know the 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 issues that uh were released where it was taking place i guess in present groundhog day where he gets to relive uh, and and correct his mistakes that was all don perlin and you know i i have a soft spot for don perlin because of transformers you know, the right. Marvel Transformers series. But I mean, you know, there, you know, Moon Knight, you know, Ghost Rider, and then 
the, the thing I always like to point out, because it's a spinner rack comic of mine, and then uh, 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 some some buddies of mine that I've made friends with due to, you know, collecting original art, you know, it was this thing of they were lambasting, you know, certain artists and going, oh, you know, sh show me something that Dom Perlin has done that I, I would think is cool or whatever. And and I brought up the cover to Dino Riders, number one. Mm -hmm. And then they went and they went, damn you. Like, <laughs> that is that is pretty fucking cool. You know, so it's like it's like there there's some awesome things about this. I mean, I, I feel like. In some ways, you know, maybe even though he didn't get a chance to draw too much of it, I feel like his stamp is all over this, you know, because there are dinosaurs and there are cool, like you say, energy beats and 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 fantastic visuals in this that that you could see being things that Don Perlin enjoyed, you know, penciling and everything like that. So so there's there's that aspect to this sort of penultimate, you know or conclusion issue, like whatever you want to call it. And then going back to that alpha and omega issue, the, the whole, you're, you're starting to tick me off. Like that's his, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily lasted throughout the entire run of solar, but that at least was a callback to alpha and omega because, you know, it, it seemed like whenever Phil Seleski was was put in that mood, you know. He was put in that mode, and 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 longtime listeners of uh, fan holes will appreciate this. It, uh, it's round o two, you know. It's round two power mode. Yeah. You know, once one Solar says he's ticked off, he's in round two mode. Like they're all bets are off. He's he's about to lay a can of whoop ass on you, you know. So you you know you're in trouble when Solar says you've ticked me off because like mm -hmm. that's. That that means you're in trouble, you know, and it, it, uh, to me, this is also that aspect that's interesting because, you know, it's like, how do you resolve, you know, to, you know, it's like, it's like if you say, OK, well, you're omnipotent. Well, guess what? I'm omnipotent, too. Like, how do you how do you resolve that? And I know I know sometimes I used to have friends that, you know, would get mad because I'm the type of guy that likes, you know, I, I like Superman comics. I like the. The fantasy or the the power trip fantasy of of uh, superhero, you know, uh, you know, comic books, the fantasy, the aspect that, you know, you know, that, that the person with the most power can can right the wrongs and all that kind of stuff. And, and ultimately, like this is a very, you know, uh, you know, wh whether it's Dr. Manhattan or Solar or, or Superman or whoever. Right. Like there there is that aspect of this is a person with with ultimate power that can do that and you know that the, you know the the argument the crybaby argument i'm gonna call it is you know well why didn't he just do that like 18 issues ago and it's like well then you wouldn't have had a fucking story bro right like that's yes. that's why right like but 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 i mean in terms of you know the story that they tried to convey it's like it's what you've been saying the whole time he he didn't want to lay the smack down on her he wanted to talk to her he wanted to try and you know diplomatically convince her not to do this do you know what i mean like he was right. he was he was trying to offer her an olive branch and as as you you mentioned he still tries to offer her an olive branch because he he says i've got a proposition for you it's not like he wants to do this but she's the one that 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 fights with him and throws him into the reactor and then at that point he's like all right at, at, you know he knows now he's like look you know like this is you know she's she's not going to listen to reason so now it's time for me to you know 
go into round two mode and, and whoop some ass. And then that's, you know, that's when, you know, it's like the, the moment where it's like, you know, Superman remembers he's super, you know what I mean? He's like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this, you know, like, like I'm, I'm kicking your ass now. And, and that's, I mean, to me, like I've, I've always been amenable to that story trope. Like, like I've seen, I I'd seen it since I was a little kid. I understand it. Like it makes sense to me. And, and I, I, in some ways I revel in it. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, that's, that's that moment where, you know, to, to me, I, I know we had that long conversation about, you know, mental health and everything. And, and the, the beginnings of this, you know, the, the, the artistic way that they display him reliving his mistakes over and over again by using the same nine panel grid and then, you know, Sting interrupts the nine panel grid is, is, you know, a, a wonderful artistic choice of showing how to break that, that chain. Right. And, and then in terms of him being released and getting past that, you know, there's something about reading comics and having that, that fantasy, you know, like getting away from it, but also that you can, you can have an escape that corrects wrongs you know like there's to me there's always something that's been emotionally fulfilling about that and that's that's why the trope of it you know that's why i don't try to you know i don't know deconstruct it or overanalyze it or you know uh, uh try try to poke holes in it because that it, you know, to, for me it's that, that's not what it's about like it's it's not there for me to tear down it's actually right. the reason why i like it is it's there to build you up so you, you to me that that's why i've always been frustrated with that kind of vantage point or that criticism of things it's like it's fine if you want to read you know i don't know somebody who's down on their luck like peter parker but the reason why 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 you really like it is because you relate to someone who, who has everyday problems like you, but you can't deny that when Peter Parker scores a win, the elation that you feel, right? And this is kind of no different than that. It's just, it's just on this heightened cosmic level that's, that's you know, just super duper fantastical. But I, I still love those moments. Like I love, I love when, when characters, you know, have that moment where, you know, it's like that, that's what, you know, the, the friend that always used to criticize it, but I, I sort of, I, I take that in stride or I own it. You know, he used to say, Oh, well, this is just another story where Superman proves he's the bestest, you know? And I was like, well, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like, he is the bestest. And like, this is, this is a solar is the bestest story. And, and, and I, I, I don't take umbrage to that terminology you know what i mean like i don't take umbrage to that terminology i'm like this is a solar is the bestest story and he is the fucking bestest and this is right. the proof right like so it's like i i just you know i kind of i kind of dig all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah and and i said we we definitely get that here with uh with solar you know and he should be he was the top dog at this point in valley oh, yeah right yeah. so he and and this story was started by him you know, it, this this was his screw up that started all this, and so it's got to be him that's going to set it right. We're gonna we're gonna expand, and let's see, we've got 13 titles coming out now. 
on a monthly basis. In November, we're launching a new book called Ninjack by Mark Moretti, Joe Casada, and Jimmy Pamiati. That'll be our 14th book. In February, we're launching a new title called Time Walker, which I'm writing and Mike Leek is drawing and Paul Audio Zinke. That'll be our that'll be our 15th book. We'll have another book coming out in the summer, which I can't talk about yet. That'll be our 16th book. And then by fall of 94, we'll launch our 17th and final, I, I never want to say never, but it, it'll be our final planned Valiant book, so that the Valiant universe will all be a cohesive group of 17 to 18 titles. And that's it. You know, not 100 titles, not 75 titles. You know, we'll keep it down to 17 to 20 titles and, uh, and expand on there. So this way it becomes consumer friendly as well as, uh, you know, us able to coordinate it and be able to tell one big story with the cohesiveness to it. Uh, like I said, I think one, it's it, it becomes consumer unfriendly. So the, the problem is is that is that uh, a consumer can't afford to buy. There are so many comic books coming out in the marketplace today that a consumer can't afford to buy one of every title. You know. Uh, uh, he would have to spend something like three or four thousand dollars a month just to buy one of every book. You know, when you put out a hundred titles, you know, you're 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 demanding too much of the consumers. You're saying, you know, if you want to enjoy the whole universe and it's a hundred books, you, there's no way you can do that. Also, coordinating all hundred books to make them all tell one big story or to make them all interconnect, you know, and be an enjoyable read like that. The, the, the amount of editorial coordination that it would take is just astronomical. There's no no one or two or four or five guys could do that. You have to have an editorial team of 16 or 20 people, and you just can't get that kind of coordination anymore. You know, but by keeping I limited it to the number of titles that we limit, you know, Bob Layton and Kevin Van Hook and Mark Beretti and myself can all, you know, we can make all that stuff interconnect so that you don't have to read Archer and Armstrong and Eternal Warrior every month. You know, you can read them separately, but if you read them together, you start getting a bigger picture about this world and this this creation that we're trying to do. Okay. Here we are. We we we've we're at the home stretch. Chapter eighteen. Unity Issue 1, cover date October 1992, on sale date July 28, 1992, cover price $1.50, editor is credited as Barry Windsor Smith, title Until the End of Time, writer Jim Shooter, penciler Barry Windsor Smith, inker Bob Layton, letterer Jade Mode, colorist Jorge Gonzalez. Another vantage point of Solar trapping Erica within the Cincher wormhole. Once that is finished, Solar realizes he will be unable to shut down the power unleashed by the reactor. Instead, he will save as many lives as possible. Magnus is taken away from battling robots back to 4001. Solar promises Archer and Armstrong he will return them to where they came from before Unity started. Realizing that would be back to East L.A. and their confrontation with the sect, Armstrong gathers some armor plating for defense. In the chaos, Shadow Man finds Elia, and they head to the pond to use the underwater gateway that he initially used to enter the Lost Land. Meanwhile, a hopelessly lost Albert returns to the speakeasy. There he finds the remaining Bims, who bring him his just dessert, stabbing and beating him to death. Upon Solar's return, he realizes he needs to work faster than one-by-one -one rescues and blankets the Lost Land with an energy field that allows the remaining heroes to get home. As Exo Manowar stands victorious on the battlefield, 
He muses on what he could have accomplished with a good skin in ancient Rome, and he teleports away. The Harbinger kids find Chris without her baby and teleport away in a whisk of light. As the two Gilads tell each other how awesome they are, both are teleported back to 1992 and 4001, respectively. Archer and Armstrong are similarly whisked away in a flash of energy. As Shadow Man and Elia swim through the underground stream, Solar returns all those originally from 4001 back to their own time. Fearing Elia has drowned, Shadow Man says he'll find her no matter what. Solar sends Chris's baby to the future, so it will grow up to become Magnus, robot fighter. The energy released by the reactor turns into a black hole that threatens to destroy the Lost Land, but with Jeff's encouragement, Solar transforms the black hole into energy and converts the Lost Land into unreality. Since the Lost Land never existed, there would be no way for Erica to enter it from 4001. The Solar and Jeff from 1992 go back to their own time, while in 3975 AD, the future Solar is there to catch baby Magnus and bring him to his robot guardian, A1. And that is Unity. Yep. It's uh, somewhere over the rainbow. I yeah, think yeah. is all you can say for this, right? It's uh, it is uh, it it is a hell of a finale, yeah. you know, uh, putting everything back, putting everybody back to where they need to be, so that when you pick up that next issue, we're back where we were before Unity, because it's it's that Jim Shooter thing. It's kind of like Secret Wars, right? You know, Secret Wars happened, but it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> right, you know? right. Unity. Well, uh, the, the you, first you, rule of unity is we don't talk about unity. Right. Now that we're back in, now that time is absolute, right? So, yeah, uh, I, I, and, and the thing I love about this too is that Solar, he's able to do the, what he couldn't before, which was stop the black hole and save everyone. Whereas the last time that this came up, that's what caused all of this and right, caused right, the Groundhog right. Day was that he couldn't stop the black hole. And now we can, you know, and it's with Jeff's help and Jeff's guidance that he's able to grow and do it. And so Solar has learned something, even if certain other characters, <clears throat> Eric, uh, have have learned nothing from their ordeal right. here in the, the right. Lost Land. At least Solar has, and since he's the main dude, I guess that, that works, right? I mean, that's the, the one the one thing that is not a repeat from the Solar issue that, that I, I find exceptionally creepy is is when Erica is uh, knocked over and and she says to Solar, please, Daddy, Daddy, yeah. don't please, you know, and that that you know, you, basically you, I mean that 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 shows how, as I like to say, Betty Cooper, cray cray level like ten thousand that she is, right? Like that she's she's just completely out to lunch, you know, and 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 is not not on the same planet as the the rest of us, basically. So yeah. there's that, and 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 it's it's like you said that this is this is very full circle, right? Like not only do all the the toys get put back in the toy chest to where they're supposed to be, but but solar, like you say, learns, you know, learns from his past mistakes, which, you know, if you, if you started reading the solar issues and you read the alpha and Omega, this is, this is a, a payoff to that too, because he doesn't, he doesn't fall down the same rabbit hole and everything like that. And, and if, you know, as, as you've been stating this whole time, you know, Albert is a shit bag. Well, you know, the shit bag 
gets what's coming to him. So, yeah. I mean, all, all those things are, you know, pretty cathartic. The only the only thing I think that is a little heartbreaking about the whole thing is is Jack losing Elia in the whole everybody teleporting to where they're supposed to go back to where they belong. And if right. you if you pick up, you know, uh, Shadow Man after this, you know, there there is a number of pages where he keeps diving back under the water and he keeps expecting to find her. And there is a you know, th there is that kind of, you know, sadness to it where you're kind of like, you know, that that, you know, I, I, I think I think, you know, the, the, the unique thing about it was, it, it you know, like you said, he, he had that unique vantage point of of unity of of the war. But also, whereas, you know, presumably this is a triumph for solar. This this is, you know, to a, to a lot of the characters, uh, uh you know, potentially, uh, I, I don't know, I hesitate to say happy ending, but like at least, you know, th things are resolved for the most part. Right. You know, like the the stuff with, with Jack and Elia is very much unresolved, you know, so that that's, you know, something where, you know, if you if, if you were as connected as I was to their romantic uh, entanglement, then, then you know, it, 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 then it's natural to kind of be like, oh, hey, what happens to that guy next, you know, and that whole right. thing. And that again, that keeps in with the, you know, the same kind of tragic aspects that that he had in that in in his oh, yeah. in his issue, you know. Yeah. And in fact, both his issues because he comes in, he fights Solar, and then he's immediately put the put in the hurt locker, and then he recovers from that and has this whole months long whirlwind love affair and then she just disappears right yeah. so it's it's part of that that the the tragedy of alternate dimensions and alternate timelines that we don't think about sometimes and uh yeah you mentioned albert so in uh, the span of eight panels as albert gets his i'm not you know i'm gonna put this up there i don't think i'm gonna go too much of them eight of the most satisfying panels in comics history <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's, that, that, the, that obviously yeah. is super cathartic for anybody who's who's been reading, you know? Yeah, the, 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 the second panel on the second page there of this sequence where, you know, we see Albert from behind and he's got his ridiculous shirt on. He's got his bottle of uh, hooch and we got the five bims and they all got their weapons, you know, and the one in front's got the fishnets and the uh, the it, it, it look it looks like a blood pipe is what she has. Right. It's a rod of some kind. She's holding it like a ball bat. And the one behind her has a has a big dagger. It's like, yeah. And then she says, uh, she goes, don't downsy too much on that. Lovey yum. We don't want we don't want you to numb nummy numb. Do we girls? You know, and they will take real good of you, Alvy Pooch. Oh, yeah. The way you took care of poor Tubi, Grease Weasel. And Yumsy and Bumsy, and they just start beating him. And they've got him on the ground surrounding him. It's like, and last we see of Albert is his a feeble hand being reached up to defend himself that's covered in blood and bruises. And it's like, yeah, sucks to be you, dude. Sucks to be well, you. <laughs> you. You know, you know, it makes me dawn on things like where, you know, I, I always, I'm always, this, this is me doing the deconstruction thing. Uh, with this as opposed to other tropes but you know there's that trope of you know villains calling out to like you know I don't know Cthulhu or you know villains trying to team up with some bigger villain or some greater power than themselves to, yeah. to establish their own dominance and I, I'm always in the back of my head I'm like 
well, how did you think this was going to go down? Clearly, Cthulhu is going to come and eat you and then try to take over themselves. Like, they're not going to be like, high five, bro. Like, let's be buds. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, and, and, and I, and I, I, that kind of applies to this scenario for me because you see how, I mean, at least in the context of the story, you see how mentally deranged and ill Albert, I mean, you know, we, we've seen it, right. But, yeah. but in the context of this one scene, if you just look at it, the, the, it, it continues to be spelt out because it's like, dude, bro, what did he comes in and he's like, Oh, who's going to take care of me? Like, you know, yeah. and, and you're just like, well, one, what a, what a, uh, you know, selfish, spoiled, bratty question to ask. It's like the world's about to end, essentially. And it's like, oh, somebody take care of me. It's self-centered like he's always been. Right. But then it, on top of it, it's like what you think you thought these people liked you. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you you thought they were your friends because they they not because they had to be like because they were afraid for their lives because you were the son of this demon god woman like like it's just it's just you know it's it's funny the the lies people tell themselves that they believe right and it's yeah. like it's like you know i mean if that's not the definition of of mental illness i don't know what is but you know and again you know like you say i mean albert gets what's coming to him man like and 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 no no one you know like you know it's it's the fucking steve buscemi you know you know what this is it's the world's smallest fucking violin right here yeah you know like that's that's basically your reaction to it and and like i said it's extremely satisfying like i said especially that fourth panel with the one stabbing him in the back and the other hitting him in the side you see the blood piece of blood you know flying out of his mouth it's like yep we we had to watch you uh, beat a girl into a coma. Now you now you're gonna fucking get yours, dude. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny because there's there's so much stuff that that comes out of this, right? Like the the to, to me, it's like I I you know I feel like spoiling you know or, or filling in people on you know what happens with EXO. You know, the fact that he gets teleported back to his his. Uh, you know, time so he can fight the Romans with the Exo Manowar armor, but then he 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 sort of learns the futility of that and buries himself until 1992, and then by then you know the, the ten years has long since passed, so his body is healed. He's remained youthful because of the good skin, but it it also you know is a scientific, you know, quote unquote explanation of how he gets back to present day without the, the, the powers of, of solar, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. And like I said, the, you know, uh, Galad goes right back into the hotel room that he was in and right back into the firefight, you know? So it, it, everything, everything carries on from this, you know, it, I mean, it, the, it really the, does the a, big... a great wrap up. The, the, the big change, I guess, was, and I remember they really made a big deal about this in previews and things like that, but then, you know, Rye turned into Rye and the Future Force, you yes. know, and so that there was a big push for that, and, and I remember, you know, the, the, the cover for that issue nine of that, it was like the new Rye, and then you had like Magnus, the Gilad from 4001, I think you had the... Um, I'm trying to remember her name, but the the robot girl that was heading that separate um, robot society or whatever, and then um, 
I'm trying to remember if there were like other characters, but it was almost like they were their own, like, you know, future team and everything. And I remember that kind of, I, I thought that was like a cool, you know, cool concept and everything. So, I mean, you know, again, the, the, I, I can't, I can't understate how much impact this had on me because it not only made me go back and catch up on certain titles that I, I hadn't read, you know, especially Exo Manowar, you know, but, but all the other titles. And then for a while, I mean, w- whether you enjoyed, you know, their portrayal of Magnus or not, or, or, or how you felt about any of the other titles, you know, whichever ones were your favorite, there, there was a period where, you know, just based on the sheer strength and hype of, of this event, it, it seemed like all Valiant comics were, were, uh, you know, must have reading, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I, I remember there was a period where I just, I just bought them all, you know, like, and, and like I said, some things, like I said, tapered off you know, earlier than others, more quickly than others. But, you know, the, the characters and the events of this crossover were always very memorable to me. And, and you know, the, all the books I followed at one point or another. And then and then even into, you know, into other stuff, you know, like I remember they made a big deal about, you know, Dr. Mirage. And even after this, I it's funny to me was even when I lost interest in Valiant for a while, the thing that that brought me back to it again after a relapse for a little while was um like the 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 chaos event or whatever mm-hmm. and it was like you know that was another thing that ran through all the the valiant books and i if i recall correctly it's been a long time since i read it but you know it was like master dark was the big bad and it yeah all the titles and everything and you know and 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 that you know again if you had that anticipation because of the the rye zero because of the rye companion you know you knew you know, Jack Boniface dies in 1999 and, you know, oh, holy crap, there's a big event with Master Dark. And, you know, is this it? Is this the big death? Like what, you know, like like this whole kind of thing that got you, you know, at least for me, that that piqued my interest and, right. you know, got me excited for things. So, I mean, I, you know, again, there's not too much more I can say other than I I love this event. I wanted to celebrate it. I'm I'm glad that you and I can get together and talk about it. You know, like I'm I'm glad I could talk about it with somebody who also you know shares the same appreciation and everything. And you know that's that that that's essentially what I'm here for. I don't know if if you have any final thoughts on it. If there's anything you want to expand upon as far as your 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 future with Valiant, you know, like like how 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 it impacted you then and you know, what, what you carried on to, uh, to what, what it, what you took from it and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I just want to say first, with, as far as chaos effect, the other thing I remember for that is that it specifically was advertised in a way that evoked unity. Cause I want to say the, 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 the tagline was that time is not absolute, but chaos is. So it specifically called back to unity. So that's a, that's a good, good piece of connective tissue there. Yeah, you know, the thing is, Unity was always, like I said, this legendary story that I always had read about, but you could never find those books. They were vanishingly rare to find, and if you did find them, they were super expensive. So I never knew what Unity was about when I was a Valiant reader. I always just knew it was some some bad stuff went down. Erica, Mother God, was the big bad, and it was time was not absolute. That was the only things I ever knew about it. So it was this, it was, you know, it's been the days, younger readers, they may not understand this, that, you know, it wasn't like everything was collected in a trade or on some app. 
or, you know, barring that pirated somewhere and you could find it and read it. I mean, if you couldn't find the back issues, you weren't reading it, you know, that that really wasn't happening for the vast majority of stories. So when I finally did read Unity, it just made me I, I fell in love with it reading it the first time. And it made me that much more of a valiant fan because, like I said, of the care and the design and the effort that went into it to make it work as well as it does. And then, like I said, it's natural to compare it to the other crossovers, both of its time and after that just don't, they don't have that level of quality control, that level of attention to detail that makes unity such a good series. And it doesn't have that, you know, attention to the characters. Characters are not just shuffled around from plot point to plot point. I think I said this uh, earlier in the episode. They don't just move from set piece to set piece. All the characters have their own reasons, motivations, goals, histories, and all of them are, they stay true. You know, there's only a handful of writers here, so they, they do tend to get everything straight. And that's, to me, the strength of Valiant, because they don't have the huge, sprawling reboot history at this stage that you know marvel and dc had it's it's relative it's 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 more feasible to have a story like this where everything stays consistent and everything is impactful and everything does mean something you know it's not just oh well we got to get we got to get these 12 x-men characters from here to here in the purpose of this story because for the next part they have to be in this other location you know there's none of that there's no there's no you know my brother says sometimes some you know uh, you know, does nobody here just carry in water? You know, Every, everybody's a, a top guy in this story. Right? There's, no, there's no underneath there's no, characters. There's no Wolverine, Cable, and Bishop in X Factor. Yes. Oh, I love it, Pete. <laughs> it drives me nuts. And I like Cable. As I get older, I identify mm -hmm. more and more with Cable, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like eventually that's the only X Men I can cosplay as because I'll have the hair. You know, what little <laughs> hair I have will be gray. You know? So. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but uh, I mean, and rereading this, it's been a couple of years since I read it, just sitting down and, and it's a little intimidating. You get a big stack of 18 comics to read. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, that's a lot of stuff. And then you start reading, it's like, oh yeah, I remember why, why I espouse this to everyone who listen. And I get called, I get called all sorts of names. I get called all sorts of stuff from uh, folks older than me about how do you read that crap? Isn't it Valiant that the same as Image? Isn't that that same just stupid crap from the 90s? It's like, you ever read a Valiant comic? No, it's, I'd never read anything like that. It's like, it, oh, okay, it, so you're it, stupid. Got it. Thanks. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of weird because because uh, how, how those things get conflated, but I guess maybe because cause Deathmate happened, then people yeah. just conflate the two the or thing. whatever, that, that, that it's yeah. all the same or whatever. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I... I I mean, there's certain blind spots I have in terms of, of, you know, I guess what you'd call non big two, you know, comics and everything. Like I, 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 I always point to things like continuity. Like I, I don't know too much about continuity comics. That's something that I'm pretty blind to, but like I got into a lot of that stuff, whether it was image or valiant or even yeah. uh, the Ultraverse, you know, uh, that kind of thing, you know, comics, greatest world, like all that kind of stuff. Right. And I mean, I, I think all of those in their own way, you know, tried to be unique because they were all competing against each other in the same market. Like they couldn't have all been the same homogenistic crap. Otherwise they wouldn't have had any sales, you know, like, right. and, 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 
you know, uh, image and, and Valiant couldn't be farther from one another. You know what I mean? Like they, they right. couldn't be more opposite ends of the spectrum if, if you tried, you know, like, yeah. so, I mean, I mean, one was, was focused on, uh, you know, extremely popular hyper stylized art and and the other was focused on you know intensive connective you know uh, great storytelling you know so it's like i i mean i don't i you know and and, and that's not even really a knock on image you know what i mean it's just facts, no it's just you know it's, like it's just yeah they, they had a different motivation and i think you're yeah. dead on about deathmate no no pun yeah. intended because yeah, yeah. I, I, I have lost track of the number of times when I say I mentioned Valiant and I'll get somebody and again and to a person they're all older than me. They say Valiant, oh like Deathmate. And I have to correct them. It's like, no, that was a, a co production between Valiant Image and it was only six issues and it's an alternate universe and it was it was a big stunt because there was some friends between the two companies. Oh, okay. I'm like, and then I say, no, I'm talking more like, you know, Solar and Magnus Robot Fighter and, you know, Eternal Warrior and Rye and Bloodshot. Like, oh, I guess I remember those. It's like you never read them. You don't know what you're talking about. But you knew that it wasn't pick your poison. Were you a Marvel zombie or a DC zombie in the, in the mid 90s? And that was all you read because that's what you read in the 70s and that's what you read in the 80s and that's all you read and you didn't and all you did was look down your nose at this stuff because it was getting more press because it was new and different and attracting a lot of readers and you, you know, never gave it a second thought and now you just dismiss it. And, you know, I, 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 I always say this all the time. I try to ask questions, right? If, if you come up to me and you tell me that you like, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever you, you like, um, you know, you know, wham zoom comics, best of all of them. And I've never read a single wham zoom comic. I'm going to ask, well, what do you like about it? Right. You know, I like to ask questions rather than just dismiss people outright because they disagree with me. And maybe I'll, maybe I continue to disagree with them, you know? Maybe I can, but at the end of the day, I'd like to say, well, hey, I'm glad you found something you liked. You know, it's not my scene. But, uh, and and that's what I always try to do any podcast I can about Valiant because, and I think I said this when we did the Valiant, it's like, I'm just trying to spread the word and let people try something that they think they might like. Because pretty much, again, anyone I've ever suggested a Valiant story to that they've read, they've come back and said, hey, that was really good. It's like, yeah, I'm not recommending you read crap. You know? Right, right, right. I wasn't, I wasn't like, haha, my nefarious plan to get you to read crap worked. <laughs> it's like that's not. You're just trying to say, hey, this this Wrath of the Eternal Warrior is pretty kick ass. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's all. You know, like yeah. And and then, yeah, out. again, I think I think it's a a good place to maybe put a cap on it. But yeah. but the, you know, Unity is is uh is is a pretty good story, and that's why we're. We're celebrating it. That's why we still remember it 30 years later. And, and it's, you know, and, and I think maybe there's a reason why, you know, most of the Valiant comics are referred to as pre-unity and post-unity, you know, because it's such a, uh, a you know, delineating factor, you know, in, in, in the, the, the company's history and everything, you know, so... Right. I'm, I, you know, I'm super thrilled we got to talk about this. I just want to give you an opportunity, like if if people uh, are listening out there and they don't know where to find you out there on the interwebs, uh, why don't you take a moment to uh, 
pimp promote and propagate your your current projects and stuff sure thing so if you are not tired of hearing my voice at this point uh, godspeed to you if you aren't but uh <laughs> You can hear me on my main show, which is called Earth Destruction Directive. This is a Daikaiju podcast. This is talking about Japanese giant monsters, movies, TV shows, comic books, toys, games, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, Gamera, heroes like Ultraman. Uh, we covered the entire Marvel run of Godzilla, the Marvel run of Shogun Warriors, any of that stuff. If that sounds interesting. You can find that show on your favorite podcatcher, or you can find it directly at the Two True Freaks website, which is T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot com. I also am a co host of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror movie podcast, which I co host with my brother Jason, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell. That show is also available again. Uh, on your favorite uh, podcatcher or at twotruefreaks.com. And I am also one of the co-hosts of Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. And uh, I do that show with my brother Jason and the Hair Metal Hero. And again, uh, you can find that on your podcatcher or at twotruefreaks.com. So if any of those sound appealing, please check them out. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, they're all they're all awesome shows. They're fun to listen to. So I, I also endorse... And recommend, if, if those sound interesting to you, to check them out. And I have to thank you for letting me come on to talk about Unity, because this this has been a blast. And, and it, again, anytime you get to talk about Valiant, either classic or modern, is welcome. And so I have to extend a very big thank you to that to you. Yeah, even though you're a big fan hole, that you did me a solid by having me on here, and I really appreciate it. Hey, I, uh, I, 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 I needed a lifeline. I reached out, and 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 you were there, buddy. So, so it it, it all it all worked out. I I thank you as well. So, if if anybody has any comments, questions, and or concerns, uh, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, I I just cleaned up the fanholes email inbox. There was so much like spam and goofy ass stuff in there. Like I I don't even know what to tell you. Like there. There, apparently there were all these uh, comments on the blog from, uh, you know, Marlena telling me how to make love good or, you know, you know what I mean? Like some weird, weird stuff like that. But if you have real comments, questions or concerns, you can email us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We have the backlog of episodes of comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com, you can direct download all the episodes there. You can listen to any of our spinoff shows there, direct download them there. We are also on all kinds of streaming services. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And we are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, Flutie Duty, signing off. <laughs> and and this is Luke, the ultimate Mega Bim, signing off. <laughs> <laughs>
What is? Okay. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. What is up with this new background? I don't know. There was I, I talked to Mike for a few minutes before you came on and um, it said something about beta testing mode. So they're trying to do some new thing with it. But I'm like, OK, so I, I recorded like 20 minutes of us just bullshitting because I wanted to make sure it would still, you know, the onboard recorder would still work and everything. But it seems just fine. It's just it wants to put weird uh i don't know uh what do you call it uh what are those lamp light you know <laughs> looking yeah. backgrounds or whatever you know? right so if you hit the little uh the little thing up by on the right hand upper side the little drop down where it says grid view it says new call screen beta and you can check it off uh, so it's back to just oh, being then it's back to just being a black screen i see yes okay normal 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 skype Interesting. No, no, no lava lamps, guy. Hey, man. That's just like your opinion, man. That's just like your opinion, man. So yeah, my 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 hopes and dreams are that we can we can get through the the rest of this and that I can edit it on Sunday and release it on Wednesday. 